everyone, and welcome to Between the Cheeks, episode number 341. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to go back 25 years to 1997, which is just insane to believe it's 25 years ago. Yeah, 25 years ago this week, we all turned on Thursday, Raw Thursday. Yeah. I don't know why I yawned there. And saw the beginning of the show, and we're like, what the... Well, I mean, this is also the year I graduated high school, the year I started working. So, 97, a lot going on that year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Thursday, Raw Thursday, yes, was a thing. And um, little did we know what was going to happen that night as uh, we turned on the USA Network. And on that note, let's go ahead and start the show proper. As we go to the week that was February 9th through the 15th of 1997. Yes, and we although begin... not actually the lead story in the World Wrestling Federation. No, well, I didn't properly intro it yet, but yes, we will start with the World Wrestling Federation. All right. The lead story involves USA Network, but not involving this week's Raw in particular. But the World Wrestling Federation USA Network officially confirmed on February 10th would have been negotiated on and already largely expected the past few weeks, a two-hour junior live Monday Night Raw would become a fixture. If there had been any trepidation going in, the rating results on February 3rd would have ended them as a tape two-hour Raw from Toronto's Sky Dome came closer to Nitro's do- dominant ratings than any week in months, trailing by a 3.04 to a 2.64 margin. In addition, for the first time since the two shows debuted, USA Network's prized new show, La Femme Nikita, Paced by the stronger leaning of the second hour of Raw, beat TNT's prize new show, Robin Hood, by a 1.5 to 1.3 margin for the first time. The two sides have been negotiating on what percentage of the added cost, believed to be in the range of $100,000 per week, will be picked up by USA as opposed to WF. The first live head-to-head shot will be on February 17th when Raw emanates from Nashville the day after the In Your House Final Four show from Chattanooga, which we covered that week uh, on a previous show. While Nitro takes place as part of the State Fair in Tampa. Raw will be live every week through March 24th, with the exception of March 3rd, where the show will be airing on tape coming from Berlin, Germany. As of press time, no final decision has been made regarding the Raw shows on March 31st, April 7th, or April 14th, while WF main crew will be out of the country touring South Africa, India, and, of course, Kuwait. Raw will be done live from April 21st in either Binghamton and everywhere thereafter for the foreseeable future. As reported here last week, and it's since been confirmed, both Raw and Superstars will be done together every Monday, with the one-hour Superstar show that airs on Sundays being taped after the completion of the live Raw show. The Tuesday shows that were originally scheduled to Superstar tapings that advertising is already out on will become regular house shows. The WF is intended to reschedule its tours so that when the transition period is completed, there will be generally no house shows Tuesday through Thursday every week, so wrestlers will be booked on a weekly Friday through Monday schedule. Shotgun Saturday Night is being reinvented. But a final decision of what that entails has been made. At least one new format idea in the discussion would be the area combination of matches from the previous week's Raw and interspersed the show with TNT. As in the mid-80s, Tuesday Night Titans television show, not the current Turner Network television, like skits that would be taped earlier in the week in the Titan TV studios. There's also been talk of taping the show less frequently but having first-run matches. At least at present, there are no more tapings scheduled which leads to the creation of the former as opposed to the latter. 
we should on February the 8th was basically a complete throwaway featuring thir- some 31 minutes of Godwin's crush and Farouk to where there were a large chance of boring the second time the two teams faced each other on the same show. First in a regular tag, second in interference as part of a six-man tag. The boring chants from the Penn Station crowd were so loud that Vincent Mann had to acknowledge them on the air and tried to act as if the fans were bored with the nation of domination. In addition, there was no announcement as to where a February 15th show would emanate from, which theoretically would have to be in the Chattanooga area since the entire crew by Saturday night would already be in town for the pay-per-view, which means this week's show will probably be combined tape matches to hype the next day's show. Now, Dave doesn't know what the end result of the head-to-head two-hour Monday Night War is going to be as far as an ultimate winner and loser. It should and probably will be, in the short run, the best thing for wrestling fans because both sides will be forced to put on the more competitive shows. But Dave does believe the cost, more than monetarily on the personal lines, the sanity of those in the thick of the battle will be more than anyone that's considered, considered up to this point. Nitro and February attempt showed key people self-destructing, either from the pressure or lack of perspective, depending upon whom we're talking about already. The show is totally devoid of direction. It was obvious, but I'm wondering if you have to know they're going nowhere, then nobody has a clue where they are going. Some people have some nasty habits they better get in check, or far bigger problems than losing in the ratings are ahead. And that battle doesn't even start for another week. Boy, that's some heavy foreshadowing there <laughs> from Dave. Yes, and okay, so let's review. In the last, what do you say, four or five months, the WWF has exited the paid syndication market, leaving Wrestling Challenge initially being the recap version of Wrestling Challenge, being the only show in syndication and on a very limited basis. Raw got moved an hour earlier um, to avoid going head-to-head with Nitro. Or initially that was it, right? Because Nitro, or was Nitro, I forget, was, did Nit- no, Nitro was 8 to 10. So what am I talking about? So at least with the hope of getting a better rating. Um, then they decided to re-enter syndication with what had originally been the plan for the weekly pay-per-view idea with shotgun with live shows from nightclubs and then after six seven weeks they give up on that and it just becomes a clone of superstars with different commentary and also takes over the challenge slots so a lot of tv upheaval oh and now the brought two hour thing too and going to live more often so just on every level their their television situation has been a bit of a mess lately well, just like the promotion was a bit of a mess in that time period. You know, I mean, this is where they start, you know, to get a little momentum going as uh, 97 moves along. But yeah, the promotion in general is just in total flux. So, um, Regarding Raw going two hours, I mean, we again, we talked about this on the show we did for the week after. We we talked about that first Raw. But again, we'll talk about it here. I mean, it was something that, you know, at that time, I think, you know, had to be done to go against a live Nitro every week. Although it would change because they would eventually go back to doing, you know, tape Raws. Although only not, every other week. Well, yeah, but still, it's still not, not every week was live though. Yeah, here the plan is to do every week live. Yes, so that changes. So, yeah, I mean, it was something they had to do at the time. Um, it's just to see if it work. 
You know, just it made it made that big of a difference. But here's the thing, you know, I mean, I, I kind of wonder if USA, if the reason why they want to do this is maybe to help boost LaFib Nikita more than doing this for Monday Night Raw. Because they think, A, being live every week will help, plus if the wrestling fan is already sitting there two hours, they may be less likely to just change the channel at the end. Yeah, and and the USA brass at this time and how they feel about wrestling, but that, you know, I don't think they're trying to help the wrestling as much as they're trying to help La Femme Nikita. Same thing with Pacific Blue. Perhaps. You know, when they were trying, when they were doing the tie-ins with W, you think you think Barry Diller was wanting to do tie-ins with WWE on his new hot shows that he's trying to push? No, but he knew he had to. Because that was what was hot, and they try to leech off of that, you know. Yeah, I think so. And also, we should mention too, there is a big asterisk with the rating for that Sky Dome Raw because it had been advertised as including the entire Royal Rumble match. Yes, which they ended up not doing because request, understandably, threw a fit. <laughs> And they didn't need to get in that issue again. No, they did not need to do, need that. No, they did not. Um, Especially at this time period. Like, they do, it did end up showing some clips, but, you know, more than they would usually show for that era. But that's it. So, I don't think they actually ever said during the show, remember how we said you're going to see the whole Rumble where you're not? They don't actually say anything indicating that you're not getting the whole rumble and it doesn't really become clear until we get towards the latter part you know the first hour when theoretically even if it was edited it would have started by then you know even if they yeah that was a nice bait and switch yeah well (laughs) because also wasn't the show still called royal rumble raw i think it was yeah i don't think they changed that i think it's still called royal rumble raw during the show so if you're watching live expecting the rumble, you're not really given any indication about that. Nope. <laughs> so of course that it did their best rating in quite a while. Yeah, exactly. Um so there's that. Um I mean sh- yeah, shotgun Saturday night. But we talk about that real quick again. I mean they tried the bar thing, um, but I mean, what do you expect if you're doing 30 minutes of Godwin's Crush and Farouk? What do you expect those people in that bar are going to do? You know? So wait, which which show is he talking about there? The February 8th show. And that was what venue? Penn Station, he just talked about That was Penn Station? I don't remember. Okay, that's... Because that didn't match how I remembered that show. I mean, maybe we just remembered Triple H Undertaker. Well, let me tell you what happened, okay? You had... All right, so you had Farouk and Crush over the Godwins at 11.30. Triple H and Undertaker then went 10 minutes. And then Savio, Farouk and Crush beat Aldo Montoya and the Godwins at 9.30. So you get you get 21 minutes of matches, but that's not getting anything else that went on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, and Shotgun would start being taped as Raw. 
the February twenty superstars. Yeah, superstars. Yeah. The February twenty second shotgun superstars are the same thing. And as long as superstars last in this format until it becomes, you know, the kind of off kilter recap slash magazine show, it's just identical to Shotgun and Shotgun Challenge. Yeah. Oh, I should say Shotgun Saturday Night and Shotgun Challenge. Shotgun Challenge soon becomes Shotgun. It is the daytime version of the show. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk about Thursday Raw Thursday and the big story to come off of that. Shawn Michaels' career is being teased as being over due to a knee injury portrayed on Thursday Raw Thursday on February 13th as being so bad, even reconstructed surgeon may not be able to repair the damage as a teary-eyed Michaels whose problem was clearly clearly in the interview, not a knee injury, said farewell to the WF in a classic interview repeated the death on television and the pay-per-view about 100 times in the ensuing weekend. Obviously, Dave wrote this after the pay-per-view aired. It wound up only have noted two noted ortho it wound up only to have noted orth- orthopedic surgeon Dr. James Andrews oh. say that Michael's knee injury wouldn't even require surgery at all. After four six weeks of rehab, he may be able to return. In a press time, here's the plans for Michael's to now be put back into the WrestleMania mix, although not as a wrestler, perhaps doing some announcing or as a special referee. Wrestle a few major shows during the summer and return full time in the fall. We're not sure where the plans have been changed at the last minute, where Michael is scheduled to drop the title of the set on, on Thursday or Thursday, but we do know that Michael's short-term departure threw a total monkey wrench on all the house show and WrestleMania plans. To the WS credit, they didn't pressure Michaels into staying at a time when it appeared emotionally he needed the break. But surprising, they didn't do an angle to build heat on the opponent for his eventual return. Exactly what is the true story involving Michaels is anyone's guess. There is no doubt there was a knee injury. Anyone who does what Michaels does is going to wind up with knee damage. Obviously, there are serious problems that were a lot more important to address than any knee problems. Just because someone appears on the surface to outsiders lead a charm life and that they have money, looks, ability, and can entertain outsiders, admired, and even worshipped by people who don't know them, doesn't mean that on the inside they're any less immune to the same problems that face each of us. A broken heart and broken dreams don't hurt any less if you have a million dollars in the bank or nothing in the bank. Or you having people clamoring for your autograph or blowing smoke up your ass. In fact, if anything, in Michael's position, he's a lot more susceptible because he was put under a microscope and put in a pressure cooker position. You have the illogic from a professional standpoint in his mind that he may be unable to come, up, come to grips with. He rose to the top in his profession by doing things a certain way. All the people run the bandwagon with him on the road up there, many suddenly turn against him, point out his flaws for doing exactly the same thing he did to make it to the top once he's under the microscope. That's why performing in good matches most nights and great matches on the big shows, and more importantly, from the top man position, how show business with him as key draw and headliner being the best in years, everything he dreamed about being important on paper was going exactly according to plan. Suddenly, everyone focused on TV ratings, and suddenly he was a failure as champion. He was a standard bear, the quarterback of sorts on a team that people wrote was on a 33-game losing streak going downhill fast, despite it being really the most successful it had been in years. And being a perfectionist to his craft and in a perfect world where others make mistakes often, his immaturity showed, particularly when his big buddies left him. If anything, it made the injuries and the injuries on the inside that are a lot more painful than back and knee hurts hurt that much worse. And his starting quarterback position was going to be taken away either by the former starter who walked out making it somewhat public. He was waiting for his rival to self-destruct 
and came back in with the biggest money offer in company history, looking like the wisest clairvoyant in the 20th century. Or by someone who couldn't lace his boots, but whom fans chanted for while he did the most important and closest to the real interview of his life. A cry for help that some people may have understood, but that the fans for the most part thought in the promotion treated as being just business as usual. And maybe his problems had little or nothing to do with the profession that he called his entire life. Maybe it was the fact that at 31, he stepped back and realized outside of the profession he didn't have a life, which is awfully scary. Maybe it was simply that he needed time off to get his house in order. And maybe simply because he was setting up a new home in San Antonio and their stress moving and all this time was time to get away from work and to move everything in or all the above. Or none of the above. Maybe his best friends know and are disappointed he isn't getting the help they think he needs. Maybe they don't. The last word appeared to be Michael's return to non-wrestling role of Mania, probably an angle to lead into his in-ring return. And then he wears some major shows over the summer before going full-time in the fall. Ironically, not all that different from the original plans Bret Hart made after he had to drop the title. Rumors will flourish, most of which won't be true, and some of which will. The fat WF after the fact played it up for all it's worth turning into just another fake shoot wrestling angle. Michaels has been in the before. The irony was just last year. Last time they played this game and teased Michaels never wrestling again, set him up for the biggest run of his career. Perhaps he forgot or hope he wouldn't remember that he, when he talked in an interview about a doctor telling him he may not be able to wrestle again for the first time in his life. That may have been the first time a doctor actually said that to him. But it wasn't the first time that story had been told about him. It was the third time Michaels hadn't lost a WF belt in the ring. In September 1993, he walked out as IC champion, only returned a short time later. October 95, after being mugged, he wasn't able to return to time for the pay-per-view show where he, and gave back the IC title. Okay. Before we analyze this, should I read Sean's side from his book? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. This, now, this is the same basic story he's told for years since. I kind of believe it for reasons that we'll talk about, but I think there's more to it. So, Two weeks after the Rumble, I was having a three-way match with Sid and Bret Hart when I tweaked my bad name. Let me see if I can make the text a little longer. Well, that larger. Okay. Uh, it swelled up and was sore, but at the time I didn't think it was too serious. It happened before, just to be sure, though, I called Vince and told him I wanted to get it checked out. He mentioned Dr. James Andrews, who worked on countless top-caliber athletes, but I said I'll just go home and get it checked there. I went to see my doctor. He took an MRI, looked at the results, and then said to me, you will never wrestle again. What? You have no ACL in there. I know. I've been wrestling for years with no ACL. You're not going to wrestle on it anymore. Your knee's deteriorated. You need a knee replacement. I was devastated. He was a doctor, and I thought his word was final. I thought my career was over. At the next TV, which was a special Thursday edition of Raw, I told Vince what my doctor said. I broke down and started crying. There have been two times in my life I've really, I've been, excuse me, I've been really scared. Here with the knee... And then a year later, when doctors told me my back was shot, I reacted negatively both times. I didn't do anything but wrestle, and the idea of not being able to wrestle was a tough pill to swallow. Vince felt for me. He knew how much wrestling meant to me. He told me no matter what happens, I'd always have a job here. Then he said, we have to get the championship belt off you. We'll make an announcement tonight. Uh, that night, you know, he told the story. Uh... His mom had sent to, said to him a month earlier, Honey, they're running you to death. You don't look so good. He said, I'm working a lot. Yeah, all the time. You don't even smile anymore. You've always had such a sweet smile. You've lost your smile. I had lost my smile. I was exhausted. Nobody ran harder than me when I had the title. 
but I can't blame the woes of the business. I wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. When I had time off, I wasn't taking care of myself. My mom wasn't aware that I was running myself so hard. So the speech I gave about losing my smile was real. The emotion I showed out there was authentic. I broke down on national TV because I was emotionally spent. I think most of the fans that care for me know I've been open with them over the years. I was that night. And then he talked about, you know, some of the rumors that were going around and stuff. And I guess we could get to that. And, you know, there's more being talked about here. And, you know, I'm sure that goes to what I'm about to say. What he says, as far as the knee thing, is that he went to, it was his GP, basically, that he went to. And that that GP, not being a doctor, deals with athletes a bunch, was like, well, you can't wrestle on that. The fact that he's been so consistent about it, and it's all been since he's kind of turned his life around, I think he's telling the truth. But I also think he was happy to have an excuse to get off the road. No, it's convenient. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, especially with 25 years of hindsight and everything we've seen since, even setting aside that he's going through all sorts of substance issues at the time, maybe it's the phrasing... But with hindsight, like, give the guy a break. Like, this is, like, that people made fun of this for so long. I feel like they don't really anymore. I think people have a better understanding now. You do not see, like, the jokes about smileectomies or anything anymore, you know? I think people realize that this is a guy who, on top of his substance issues or, you know, feeling his substance issues, was severely depressed, severely burnt out. And he, And when you consider that, he was... Fairly honest in the speech, I think. Especially since, you know, as we'll get to when we play it, he doesn't mention the word knee once in the speech, and he only talks about the injury in passing. It's It doesn't seem like it's what was at the forefront of his mind. But either way, like, clearly the guy needed time off. You know, even if just mentally. But the thing is, is that it's the fact that this happened and without him dropping the title. Yes. That, I mean, that's the thing that people, that people always would point to that, you know, and, and the reason why they wouldn't make fun of it is because he lost his smile because he, you know, he didn't want to, you know, get the title up. He... I mean, we should say as far as that too, he had thought he was at at least going to a WrestleMania program with Brett for the title, and then Vince springs it on him that oh we're gonna have it you drop to it drop it to Sid on the special Sid Undertaker for the belt at Mania you wrestle Brett in a non-title match in a match that's not for any belt or anything I I forget if the hair match idea came up there I think that was later but. Vince is also being kind of shitty to him about the belt in the first place. You know, like... Plus, in fairness to Sean, the first time he walked out because he was suspended for a steroid test that he swore was bogus. The second time he vacated the title, the only reason I think it's really reflected badly on him at all with the 95 thing after Syracuse was that WWF kept advertising him for the show. And that's not his fault. And it was, and it was against Douglas, who <laughs> is 
you know, doing promos and all that shit. Right. This is the only time that it actually even remotely looks like he's doing it to get out of doing a job. If we're being realistic and examining each circumstance in context. Well, 93 definitely wasn't. 93 absolutely was not. No, he quit because he was pissed off. 95, I mean, all the stuff that was going on 95, I mean, you can't. He should not have worked that show, though. Like, I was I was refreshing my memory on that stuff for a thing I'm writing about the losing my smile thing. <sighs> like, his injuries, like, I forget if he had a concussion. I think it turned out he didn't, but he had a perforated eardrum. Like, he had some bad injuries coming out of the Syracuse thing. He should not have wrestled that night. And the other thing, too, going back to the, you know, mental health issues like it was in the observer the second week of coverage of the syracuse thing that the police report said sean was passed out in the front seat when it started yeah like it's not exactly a secret that this guy is going through some stuff and he's been going through it for almost a year and a half or at least a year and a half you know what i mean that just at least as far as even the public knows and you know, he well, I mean, we just did the Royal Rumble press conference deal. Where we talked, where to, we he, watched a clip where he's very obviously not of his right mind during the press conference. Yes, yes, yeah, he's geeked up. So, you know, I mean, yeah, like he he gets a bad rap that he doesn't deserve for a lot of this stuff. And now, and like I said, granted, yeah. I think people have largely evolved on it. But another thing he he gets a bad rap on that is talked about here is, I mean, the guy was not a failure as champion as I mean, especially not as far as house shows, where he where they you know had their problems was in TV ratings because WCW got so damn hot. That's not Sean's fault. Pay per views not great, but he was doing solidly as, as a house show draw. Yes. Yeah, as a house show draw, pay per view and TV was his problem. Yeah. But it wasn't his problem. It was the promotion's problem. You know? He's not booking. So. One thing that I always think about, and I find weird and interesting because if if it was true, we would have heard about it, but more about it by now, I should say. But clearly it was needed. So at the time, Killer Kowalski has a column in Wrestling Then and Now. Um, I'm trying to get a scan of the relevant one but i don't have one because they're in lowell kowalski's backstage he writes in his next wrestling than a now column and i'm sure he's telling the truth based on what he saw and what he heard that he didn't buy the knee story from the way sean was running around backstage and that i don't think he said who but that one of the people in the back told him that sean was going to rehab he needed to yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to, you know, we're laughing because it's kind of, you know, we're not laughing at it. But it, I always found that fascinating. Like, had someone, had someone broached it to Sean? Did they think that maybe he would be going? Because I don't think anyone in the back is telling Kowalski, especially when Kowalski's prize student that's there is Sean's best friend or one of his best friends. Like, is anyone telling him that if they don't believe it? I don't know. It's weird, though, right? Yeah. But... Probably, yeah. He probably heard somebody say they were hoping he would do it. 
Maybe. Yeah. That my guess is maybe something more like that. But I forget actually if he did go to rehab later on, did he? What in oh one oh two? Or did he if so. he cleaned up he cleaned up on his own, right? Yeah, I don't think he did. Which you know I would have to skip ahead in the book here to refresh my memory on that, but if he did, you know, credit to him since he's as far as anyone can tell, he's been completely sober ever since. Yeah. Um I think the not, you know, the not having a life outside of wrestling thing was probably a factor too because you know, what is his motivating factor when he gets clean? That he has a wife and kid now. Yeah. You know, that that might have saved his life more than anything else. Yeah, whisper definitely and then you know, still together. Yep. You know? And Doing all that, you know, I mean, it definitely had an effect on him. And he needed it. Yes. So. Now, all of that said, also, it is messed up that they didn't act sooner. Just, they didn't, because it doesn't seem like there's any evidence that they tried to get him help before this. Yeah. Because there's so much, like, there's so much shit people forget about. Sean almost com- take, taking his dick out on, at Royal Rumble 96. Sean actually taking his dick and balls out at a house show a few months later. Like, this guy has been very obviously crying for help, been wasted on TV multiple times, and just nothing happens. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You know, the story ended up okay, but... And when you consider just how long he was in such a bad way, it's a miracle that he's alive in the first place. Absolutely. Because his, like, consistent heavy drug use, the period that everyone talks about as far as him being hard to deal with is, like, 95, 97. And he's in a bad way from at least 95 to well into 2001. Like, it, it, it's genuinely miraculous and somewhat inspiring that he made it so but seriously like i mean do you agree with me that it seems like people have gotten over the pointing and laughing at the lost my smile thing yeah i guess which is good you know i guess it shows changing attitudes with mental health and stuff that it i think even if people haven't read up on it they realize okay he was going through some shit so all right so we'll get to the clip though when we actually go through the show right yeah yeah, because there's, there's more to go, but, um, yeah, this uh, crazy time. Uh, Torch has this. Sources indicate that Bret Hart's very upset with several aspects of the weekend, including that he is being used once again as a transition champion. Used once again as a transition champion. And that he has been booted from the WrestleMania main event. Some suspect Bret is upset that Michael chose such a convenient time to declare himself incapacitated to wrestle, given it, saying, came, given it came so close to WrestleMania. It's possible Michaels would have lost their title to sit on Thursday or Thursday, and that was part of his motivation for taking a personally vast at this time. It's possible Michaels would have kept title to WrestleMania and is now avoiding doing the job to real-life rival Bret Hart. So there's that part of the story, the Bret part. And that's the thing with this too, Bix, is that, I mean, we see it now, even today. There is this whole... Are you a Brett guy? Or are you a Sean guy? Among rest, internet wrestling fans. Yep. It's a very real thing. And stuff like this, 
gives the Brad people ammunition against Sean. He's screwing, yeah. he's screwing Brett over, you know? I guess so. So, there's that too, Biggs. Yeah. And Brett did say in his book that, you know, when he and he was trying to smooth things over with Sean at one point later in the year, that he, he does say to him, like, well, look, you know, I'm sorry for the, some of the stuff I might have said about your knee. I, I should know from my own knee issues that it's not always obvious, blah, blah, blah. So... He tries. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's another thing, too, Bix, with Sean. Is Sean, his track record definitely doesn't didn't help his standing in some people's eyes. You know? No. And even today, he's still an easy target for some people regarding that. You know? It's because of how he acted various times over the years and everything, especially towards Brett. And Brett's no angel either, but still, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot there. Brett, Brett is not a perfect person. He was not the dick professionally that Sean was at any point. Uh, no. All right, um, Torch again. Sean's financial secure due to a seven-figure inheritance he has, or is due to receive, and presumably does not need to guarantee money remaining on his day of contract. If he is as unhappy as he claimed to be during his live shoot-like interview on Thursday's Raw Thursday, he may not return to WF, and Brett may not have a chance to get that rematch victory over Michaels, which even though it's a work match personally, means a lot to Brett. <laughs> That's the other thing. Brett never got his win back on Sean. Don't think that don't eat in his craw. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Never got it. And they already had had the, they already had that boot made for whatever finish where he was going to break his ankle. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact origin of how it got out, if it was the Observer or whatever, but my understanding is the reason Sean has the gimmick boot for the deal where I think it's Triple H puts him in the ankle lock to make fun of Shamrock and his ankle starts turning 360 degrees is because they had a gimmick boot made for whatever finish they were going to do with Brett breaking his ankle. Obviously, there was something there. Yeah, because I don't think they had it made just for the, you know, the Shamrock parody. No. So. But, yeah. So there's that part of the story, too. All right. On the Raw special, it was announced at the beginning of the show that Michaels would be vacating his title. Um, Let's play the beginning of the show, shall we? Yeah, we should, because I don't. I don't remember if there was any word if they put any notice online or anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't have had the internet at the time, but I don't think there was any advance warning here, was there? I don't remember anything. Okay, so, yes, let's go to the beginning of Thursday. Raw Thursday. Which I believe was the cadence in the promos. It was Thursday. Raw Thursday. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Oh, yes, the World Wrestling Federation going back to 1946. <laughs> Tonight, the World Wrestling Federation title will be declared vacant. Thus, this Sunday's Final Four winner will become the new World Wrestling Federation champion. Tonight, live... Shawn Michaels will forfeit the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Thursday, Raw Thursday. 
And then they just go into the originally made intro. A different intro, though, than normal, though. Yes, they did not use the regular Raw intro here. Although it is listed as a regular Raw on the network. Um, it just... Weird. I didn't know. Yeah, I, I, I remember I didn't know. Until I watched it, I was like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? Why is Sean giving the title off? Yes, and in the words of John Lister in his travelogue and slamthology from his trip that we talked about on the show when we had John on from when we covered the previous week. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't remember how it was reported. Like you said, you know. Uh, yeah, did you check the Larry any... at all to see if there was anything? I'm looking now. No. So, I don't think there was, though. But just weird. But that would have been after the fact anyway. You know. I don't I think mean, there was anything before Raw, no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There was nothing before Raw. So, you went and watched it. What the fuck? Because, I mean, I can't remember what the wrestling news internet was at that time as far as what kind of sites and stuff was around. But, I mean, there was no Observer website. There was no Torch website as far as I remember. No, not so, yet. No, the, there's only one wrestle.com yet. No, the most trustworthy site at the time is Mike Smooda's Mikasa Wrestling because he's scoops. the only one that's actually directly crediting the Torch and Observer hotlines. And then you got Scoopy. You Scoop. mean Scoops, not Scoop, not Uncle Scoopy, Chris. <laughs> cool, close enough. I wish. I mean, I was an Uncle Scoopy's. <laughs> But uh, they spammed the news groups enough in that era. Good lord! Yeah, yeah, I was a faithful Uncle Scoopy follower. But yes, scoops, scoops, and, and know, scoop wrestling. Yes, Al Isaacs. And but all they that got a lot wrong. He got a lot wrong. So like the only, the only real decent, consistently good source I would say at the time is Mikasa. Yes. So again, you didn't. You're not. You're not having the. The deluge of everyday news, you know, like you do now. So it's just this different time in the wrestling internet. It's still a early time in the game. Yes. But, so yeah, those people watching, what the hell? I mean, what's going on? So that would, I mean, I'm sure that hooked some people in. We'll find out when we talk about the ratings. All right. So um, we get the interview, which the interview doesn't happen at the first of the show, but Dave talks about it here. Um, do you want me to skip to it now or do you want to, well, let, oh, let me, uh, let me do this. Cause, okay? cause I mean, we do want to play the finish of the opener. That's why I wasn't sure. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to move it to where the interview is at in the show. Okay. Very good. Okay. So there is that. And let me move this to here. I'm doing this on the fly folks. Yay. All right, so um, editing done. There you go. All right, so on February 13th, WWE presented their first two-hour live Raw special on Thursday, Raw Thursday on USA Network before sellout by 23:47, paying 41.218 at Lowell, Massachusetts Memorial Auditorium. The show did a 2.3 rating and a 3.6 share with virtually all the talk afterwards revolving around the Shawn Michaels interview and the typhoon forfeiture. While the rating was higher than the 1.7-ish figures USA movies do usually do against the strong NBC competition on Thursday, 
the ratings was basically what a typical Raw averages, and this was hype far more than a typical Raw. In, fa- in fact, this was hyped more than the most d- Clash of the Champions in recent years on WCW. And was p- hyped on par with the pay-per-view show in the same week, which had advertised a Shawn Michaels Sid rematch on top. Yet the show did a rating that would be considered an absolute disaster had WCW pulled that number four clash. There were all kinds of audio problems with the show, an atmosphere problem with an audience that could be best described as ECW-ish to the point they were chanting for Sid while Michaels did his interview. The biggest problem for WF in going two hours once again appears to be a lack of talent depth. There are enough average wrestlers on the roster to fill two hours of average wrestling programming, but the number of top-notch performers in that dressing room is slim, and it isn't like there are a multitude of guys working in other promotions or even in other countries anymore that can be brought in and add depth to the roster. Which, this would be a problem that plagues WF for the rest of the decade. <laughs> but um, that's the thing. The 2.3 rating... Not as I mean, yeah, I mean, you would hope for more, but you know, if people remember, we looked, we did last nineteen ninety seven show when I went over the NBC lineup in that era on on Must See Thursday. I'd say that's good, two point three. You know, considering. Yeah, I think you know, out of football season, it would have been if it was Monday. So considering this is such strong competition that they wouldn't normally have on Monday this time of year. I don't think that's that bad. Well, I mean, yeah, the ratings are, I mean, com- I would say close to what Monday Night Football was doing at times, but, I mean, they're more, actually. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was definitely tough for them to, to do a Thursday show and try to hope for, you know, some big three... Over, rating over three, so to speak, I think. So, yeah, like I can say it could have been a lot worse. Could have been better, but it could have been a lot worse. Yes. Now, by the way, digging around the uh, RSPW stuff, just out of curiosity, um, Rick Skaya mentions in his news from Dayton that in the tags around the horn at the house shows, Michaels had been taking the falls all weekend. Hmm. Yes. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Going into the week of the tenth, yes. All right, so, and and let's talk about the crowd. Let's talk about the sh- the atmosphere of the show. It's in Lowell, Massachusetts. ECW is about to do a Massachusetts swing. ECW is hot in that part of the country right now. They're getting to- getting ready to go to barely legal. I mean, that's part of this thing. This thing here, you know, Michaels is definitely not a favorite to that type of crowd. No. And, and Sid, as we all know, and we'll find out later on, is a favorite to that type of crowd. Okay, so for what it's worth, um, the person didn't copy and paste it. There was an AOL announcement about okay. John vacating the title. Uh, according to Chris, that's all his name that's given, and the timestamps on this are clearly busted because they all say February 14th, 97 to 3 a.m., uh, I just read on WWF's AOL site that WWF World Champion Shawn Michaels were forfeit the, his title tonight on Thursday or Thursday, according to Grill Monsoon. No other, excuse me, no further details were released. Just thought I'd tell you guys before you got shocked while, when watching the show tonight. Peace. Chris. Hey, I completely forgot about the WWF AOL thing. That would make sense if they would put that on there. Yep. Definitely would make sense. Yes. Okay, here's the actual... Here's the actual uh, announcement I found in a different post, okay? Yeah. From uh, 
Gangsta Spammy of the Freshy Cues posted this on our on uh I think RSPW. Okay. This just in. It has been confirmed by World Wrestling Federation President Gorilla Monsoon that tonight on Thursday, Raw Thursday, World Wrestling Federation Champion Shawn Michaels will, all caps, forfeit the World Wrestling Federation title. You can already guess who wrote this from the note about the all caps. <laughs> Monsoon would not give further details, but once again, he did confirm that, all caps, Shawn Michaels will forfeit the World Wrestling Federation title, end caps, tonight on Thursday, Raw Thursday. Signed, Vince Russo, Editor-in-Chief, World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> There you go. So I guess at this point also he's the editor-in-chief of WWF Publications. And that's why he just calls himself editor-in-chief World Wrestling Federation. Take that. But, yes. So if you were on the AOL site in the hours before the show, you knew this was coming. Or if you were somewhere like this where it got copied and pasted. Otherwise you had no clue this was coming. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so... Again, talk about the. I mean, what, the thoughts on the atmosphere, and and if this would have been somewhere else, you think that it would have been a a, a hotel, everything for Sean, or more friendlier environment for Sean? Hmm. If it was not in the Northeast, you mean? Oh, if it, I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily the Northeast, but in that particular environment in Lowell, Massachusetts. Oh, you think maybe if it was in more of a regular, bigger arena? Maybe if it was like Poughkeepsie or some shit like that, or you know, somewhere like that, Albany, New York, or somewhere, or even, yeah. or even like somewhere where fans are not hanging over him on a balcony or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's not not literally, but still, it's a different kind of atmosphere, maybe. But we also need to remember they had been teasing a heel turn with him on house shows for weeks in like December and early January. There's that. Yes. Which we've talked about before. I was at the Nassau show where they did it, so... Yeah, we talked about the last show about, you know, all this shit that he was doing, you know? And they never resolved it, so... Why wouldn't Northeast fans continue to boo him? Yeah. It's not a good calculation. Yeah, in the way he was acting, absolutely, yeah, I mean... He they he was setting up for what was you know the reaction of what they were giving because they're thinking he's turning heel, mm-hmm. and that, and that's a smarter crowd probably than you would be in other places too. So they see they see this as like wait a minute, this guy is supposed to be probably losing his title to Sid, but here he is forfeiting the title. Yep, he's scared of Sid, mm-hmm. and they're chanting for Sid, which we'll hear you know when we play the clip. Wrestling so, fans in the Northeast chanting, we want Sid. I'm shot, shocked. And that, well, that's what I'm saying, you know, about how we always saw how over Sid would be in ECW a couple years later. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So we move on. Uh, dart matches. Astro Man beat Burt Centennial in a dart match opener. These two are two area independent wrestlers. It was described as a negative star match. Fans hated it. Or chanting, you both suck. Always good. That's never good. <laughs> then another dark match. Ahmed Johnson pinned Salvatore Sinceri, that jobber Tom Brandy, in what was described as a one and a half, one and a quarter star match. Ahmed was working with a badly infected arm. The apparently was injured on February 9th at Continental Arena, Continental Airlines Arena, and ended up being hospitalized for several days after this match and his later run in. We'll have more on that later in the show. 
All right, Mankind over Flash Funk by Countout after Funk took a bad bump over the top rope. Scarm is a two and three quarter star match. It said it'd been the best match on the whole card. Well, that's not encouraging. Then Tony Roy beat Bursitano. <laughs> and was described as a quarter of a star match with the fans heckling both wrestlers big time. Why not just wow. have Tony work his second match as Antoine Raw as well? <laughs> Why is Bert working tw- two dark matches? Good Lord. All those wrestlers in the Northeast. Killer Kowalski's backstage. You could get uh, Cowboy Chris Duffy or somebody, you know. <laughs> I mean, good Lord. That's insane. How does that happen, Vix? I, I don't know. All right. Well, we start with Raw now and uh, the live show. Rocky Maivia, the, for- the former Dwayne Johnson. Also misspelled. <laughs> yes. We have one, one, less than one year in the pros. We're surprised to give the IC title February 13th from Hunter Hussemsley. There have been some questions that my VS push is going to wind up in a Van Hammer Eric Watts-like situation. That fans went by being a green wrestler, by a green wrestler being shoved down their throats and pushed back. If there was any doubt during the match, even before the title had changed hands, there were chances of Rocky Socks. My via wants to tell in 1703. Well, there's your the first problem. <laughs> Yeah. Helmsley carried the match, which since my V didn't do much offense was better than their preview match and the best match on the TV show. He got near fault to near fall for the surprise title change. My V was out after a pile driver superplex. Helmsley twice tried to pedigree, but my V went limp on him. As he celebrated a certain victory, my V caught him in a small package for the win. My V thanked his father and grandfather at the match. Two and a half stars. All right. Well, let's watch this and let's hear what's going Let's hear Lowell, Massachusetts, and how they're reacting to this. Yeah. Do you want me to go back a little bit further to gauge the crowd reactions or not? Nah? Well, I'd probably hear it here. Okay. Everything he possibly could give it here tonight live on Thursday, Raw Thursday. I forgot about the paper. Look at this. Too. He's finished. He's limping the dish rag. Hunter can't even pedigree. Just roll him over, pin him. Roll him over, Hunter. Looks like a slinky. Might be too much of that overpriced to feel he's pushing. Roll him over. Completely in control of the match. <laughs> and look at this. And now... A little psychology is Hunter Hearst Helmsley. got to gloat a little bit. polish off. <laughs> See, that's what happens when you don't know. No, 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 no.
I know he did it sometimes, but if I'm Triple H, I'm kind of pissed off at Hebner for the way he slow counted that. <laughs> it made him look like a huge chump. In his home, in his home area. Yeah. Which there's that too, you know? Triple H, I mean, he had worked that building <laughs> as a Kowalski guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Kowalski ran shows there. So, I mean, this is his home base, and here's this guy that the fans are seeing push down their throats, you know, given this title when they don't think he really deserves it. So you got a double whammy here. So, but you know, all this all this ended up working out perfectly for, for everybody involved. It did, but all, that's it, 17 plus minutes, bell to bell? Yeah, that was long. On free TV with someone that green? Well, I guess they thought that the uh, hunter could carry him, could make him look good. No comment. <laughs> but you know, I mean, should they have put the belt on him at this time? No. Yeah, he wasn't ready. And then it has a was... bizarre byproduct of WCW almost immediately deciding to, deciding to knock off this weird failure of an angle with the Prince Ayukea Regal thing. Uh, oh, God. I don't even want to get started in that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, there you go. Dave gave the match, match two and a half stars. All right, the headbangers beat Aldo Montoya and Bob Holly at 544 when Thrasher pinned Montoya to ledger on top rope, star on a quarter. The stage dive, yes. Yes, and next we get the big one. In a memorable but now totally overplayed in the motion interview, Shawn Michaels talked about a knee injury so bad it may be beyond surgical repair. Hey, wouldn't return to wrestling if he was anything less than 100%. And then broke down talking about this past year as being the top man in the business, being the happiest year of his life because he got to do everything he dreamed of and saying it would be okay, it would be okay if it never happened again because at least he got to do it for one year. He thanked this man for letting it happen. Broke down even worse. Said he needed to go home to find his smile because he lost it somewhere. And ended up saying he needed to go home now as he hugged McMahon in the ring. This sent shockwaves throughout the industry because it was all totally unexpected. Apparently, the WF higher-ups received word at about 6 p.m. the previous night from Michaels that he was taking time off when Michaels informed WF officials that Dr. San Antonio had told him his knee injury could be career-ending. WF sources claimed that they chose this tack rather than do an angle on Michaels' knee with a wrestler like Sid or Steve Austin to give him a grudge match upon his return because they were afraid of doing any further damage to the knee. Press a real-life situation involving Brian Pillman, where both he and WF wanted to use him so much when he should have been rehabbing that his ankle healed improperly, and he wound up having to, to have everything redone and start from scratch, in order that we end up keeping him out of the ring for more than one year when all said and done. Of course, at the same point in time, even with all the damage to Pillman's ankle, they still did the in-ring angle for the storyline explanation, and the grudge match built up for his eventual return. It was announced for the title vacant at Final Four match of Sunday Pay-Per-View, which was determined who would get the title shot at WrestleMania instead before the title. And that the original title contender, Sid, would get the winner the next day. One day before the match, the rules of the Final Four were meant to be in Battle Royal rules, which meant eliminations would be by throwing someone over the top rope, as well as pins or submissions, although as it turned out, all eliminations were over the top, which allowed them to placate more delicate egos and saved all three from doing jobs in a match separately to where the at least three key performers are going to have to do jobs. Well, naturally. Um, do you think, before we play this, we'll talk, we'll talk about what they said, do you think they should have went an angle route with this? If they genuinely had concerns like that? No, of course not. Well, I'm just saying, but you still could do it and be safe. 
you can do the th you can have the camera show up and he's already down. Yeah, you can do that. Um, okay, okay, well, okay. But you know what? Question. They're not doing angles in the back in this era. That's the thing. Well, you don't have to do it in the back. Doing the rain. I mean, it's the thing. You don't have to. There, there's a way you can do an angle with somebody's knee where you're. It looks like you're hurting them, but you're not. Yeah. You know. Um. So the question is. Who should if the if such an angle were to take place, who would have been the person to do it? I don't think you do Sid because Sid's a babyface. Yeah, Sid never actually turns. Although Brett's Sid a, did was basically a heel for like six weeks, but, but he Brett, still Brett's wasn't a baby. pure heel. Brett's a babyface. Austin, I mean Austin's a guy who had already done it to Pillman. Yeah, so this would fit his mo. Yes. So I mean, so if we if if they did such a thing where Austin does that to Pillman, I mean does it to, to um, Michaels, I mean we should wonder how different that would be, you know, in Austin's trajectory. Because do you think they would go ahead and do Austin and Brett if Austin and Michaels was going to be on the pipeline? I don't. Mm -hmm. Because why would that? Why would you try to do a turn of Austin? When you're saving him from Michaels and his when he comes back, right? So, yeah, you think about that. Where does that leave Brett if they if they do such an angle too? So, well, because also remember, until everything gets further shuffled by Sean pulling out, Austin's in not, not in a particularly push spot at Mania. He's, do, he's doing the weird Bulldog feud, which I guess means that Owen and Bulldog would have lost the tag titles at the pay per view. Well, yeah, and, and who would who would have Brett been programmed with? You mean if they didn't move Austin in against him? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. Because you got, I mean, what, what would they put him against, Vader? Oh, no, I realize. Uh, probably, well, they've already done some Vader matches, so probably Mankind, right? Which would have been interesting. They only had one match together on the Webster Hall Shotgun Show. Yeah. I think they might have had a few house show matches, but not a lot. Would have been a very interesting match, for sure. Although Mick was not uh, in uh, at his best at Mania 13 from the back injury and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? I mean, it's one of those things, again, where we're talking about The Rock and Triple H. Everything worked out as it should have worked out yes. for their success. So there is that. All right, well, here we go. It's that time. So let's play the infamous Shawn Michaels interview. World Wrestling Federation, Mr. Gorilla Monsoon, Hall of Famer. Gorilla, and now would you please welcome the most flamboyant, the most charismatic. By the way, I don't know if Gorilla was sick yet or if he was just losing weight. His suit is hanging off of him in a way it had not uh, the pre like a year earlier. He had started losing weight before the sickness, I think. Yeah, but he hasn't got think, new I, clothes yet. Yeah, I, I think that the whole thing was there, you know, possibly too. They were telling him he needed to lose weight. So, yeah. Anyway, we have someone in a cowboy hat in the front row. Hello. Is that really a cowboy hat, or is that some type of fishing hat? Uh, let's see. It kind of looks halfway between cowboy and crocodile, Dundee. I'm not sure. It's very fishing hat-esque, too. 
WWF champion, perhaps of all time. Here, ladies and gentlemen, to surrender the World Wrestling Federation Championship. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the one and the only Shawn Michaels! It's also very weird seeing a Vince who is clearly off the gas, too. <laughs> yeah. For this era, at least. <laughs> He's playing up a wolf that he doesn't have otherwise. He could also be just being up for careful to be This comes obviously as a shock. It's a shock to WWF fans all over the world. Maybe it really shouldn't be, considering what you give. Obviously, Shawn Michaels, what you bring to the World Wrestling Federation has taken its toll on you, specifically your knee. And as you are facing a knee operation, I wonder if you would share with millions of your fans all over the world what's going through your head. Well, it seems... Uh like we've done this before and uh, this time unfortunately for me it's uh, much more serious than it was last time uh, I've never had um, a doctor look me in the face and say uh, that I may never be able to wrestle again and I was uh I was told that the other day, of course, you know, I, it's not something that I believe, um, but the fact is it's something that I have to deal with. Time has, has taken its toll on, on my body, and... <laughs> I know you're just as disappointed, more so. Do you think the crowd thinks it's a work? Um, it's like a storyline work. Yeah. Um, I, I, like what I said earlier, I think this is a smarter crowd than a normal crowd would be. I you think, think just this is a fuck you you are trying to get out of doing a job reaction? Uh, in a, it, I think it starts out that way. Mm -hmm. And you know how wrestling fans are. Once you get like a chant started... 
then the others are going to join in. So, I mean, you'll have the ones that, uh, you know, look at this shit here, and then they'll chant, we want Sid, we want Sid, and the others will fall in like Pavlov's dog. Now, there's possibly, I'm sure there's possibly some in the, in the crowd that think that, yes, that this is all an angle, which is wrestling. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's WWF and it's wrestling and we just, and the Sean's allude to it. And this is not the first time we've been here. Yeah. He's trying to play it off with a smirk, but you can also tell that we want Sid chance getting so loud is bothering him that it's happening during this kind of moment. Because even though, you know, he's trying to kind of smile and laugh it off, he just stops talking. Yeah. Like, he just abruptly stops talking and Vince realizes he has to take over. Which, good on Vince. Yes. Oh, than anyone else that you are not defending the WF championship against Psycho Sid, or for that matter, whomever would have been stacked up against you. And no one has taken on more challengers. No one in the history who's ever won this championship belt has ever had the schedule, has ever had to endure the kind of schedule that you have so readily taken upon yourself. Well, there's uh, one thing about me is that I can't do anything halfway. And I, you know, I come here and I hear the people and they chant uh, Sid's name or they chant Brett's name and they chant a lot of people's name. And one thing is for sure, you're going to have all of that in the future. Um, and that's what I want for the World Wrestling Federation fans. In spite of um, what people may think about me, what I've always wanted for all these people is, is for them to have a good time and to enjoy themselves. I've always tried to be the one to provide it, whether it was on the good side or the bad side. Um, but was all, what was always most important to me was the performance, was the performance so that these people, each time they reached in their pocket and they paid to get a WWF ticket, they didn't regret it because they knew that if they saw my name on the card, they could yell, they could come and they could cheer and they could boo and they could do whatever they wanted as long as they had a good time. Over the last couple months, uh, there's been a lot of talk of people uh, having bad attitudes and a lot revolving around this belt. Uh, all I know today is that one thing that's not going to revolve around this belt for a long time is is going to be Shawn Michaels. Uh, I don't know where I'm at right now. I have to uh, I have to have everything checked. I may have I may be beyond reconstructive knee surgery. Uh, I may or may not be able to fix it, but if I can't come back and perform at the level that I performed at before, I can't, I can't perform. Uh, I can't come out here and just go half-ass. I have to come out here and I have to romp and stomp and I have to get tossed around, I have to toss people around and I have to have fun. Uh, the schedule over the last year I took on because I didn't feel like I could say no. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to enjoy my life as the WWF champion. I wanted to, 
I wanted to ride in Lear jets and I wanted to ride in limousines and I wanted to be on TV shows and I wanted to do autograph sessions and, and I got to do every bit of that. And if nothing else, I have all of that to take with me. But again, and I know right now we're in the middle of a time where toughness is real big here in the World Wrestling Federation. And unfortunately, all I've got right now for you is a lot of sorrow, a lot of tears, and a lot of emotion. I don't have any toughness for anybody. Um, so I guess, you know, here you go. Here's your belt. And uh, what I'm going to do is go back home and see what's left for me, whether it be in this ring, whether it be out of this ring. I know that over uh, the last several months, I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. And, and I know it doesn't mean a whole lot to everybody else, but it means a lot to me. So I have to go back and fix myself and take care of myself. And I have to go back and I have to find my smile because somewhere along the line, I lost it. And I don't care, really. I don't care if it's unpopular. I don't care if uh, people want to make fun of me because I'm an emotional guy. Um, but this is, this is all I've ever wanted to do. And uh, over the last year, I got to do it. And whether you like me or not, I just want to tell you that... Uh, Last year was the most wonderful year of my life, and uh, if I never do get to do it again, it'll be okay because I got to live one full year as being the number one guy in this business, and it was the single most greatest year of my life, and I have you to thank, and I have everybody here to thank, and it means a lot to me, and uh, I'm going to go home now. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Shawn Michaels! I think I'm key. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. The drives are cool. Well, I'll tell you, folks, 25 years I've been doing this tonight. I said, chill. I've never... I have never the pain to my gut I've got right now. One more time around the ring. I hope it's not the last time. 31-year-old athlete with a career-threatening, perhaps a career-ending knee injury. Completely out of the blue. Completely unexpected. How do you prepare? Loss of a franchise player. Well, Ross, I think that I think that you know, and probably McMahon knows, and most importantly, probably all of these people realize that Shawn Michaels has been the most resilient champion ever. And Good luck to you. Best luck to you. And I'd say, Ross, if I had to bet. I bet that he can come back from this too. Well, I'll tell you, I saw him as a rookie 
in Freeport, Louisiana, the Irish Manil Boys Club. And you knew them kids, about 18 years old, had it. He still got it. Heart's breaking. Takes a man's man to do what he just did, folks. Goodbye, Sean. Godspeed. What I noticed there was the crowd stops with all the bullshit when they realize he's actually crying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They When they see that the emotion is real, then yeah. And this is not, and this is not some, you know, pro wrestling deal, which goes to what you were saying about whether they think it was angle or not. But just, you know, the people that were doing the We Want Sit thing, I mean, once they see that and realize what's going on, it takes on a totally different tone. Yeah, and also just the tone of it and everything, like, it's like in, it feels almost in a way like an inverse of the, you know, the mental health parts of the punk return speech or Moxley's return speech from a few weeks ago. You know what I mean? Like, you transplant this into now with a couple changes this is a very welcomed, you know, speech where people would be very supportive if this was his speech before he was going to rehab, if he decided to do that. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's weird to watch this now, like even through the, and try to even put on the mindset of what people used to think, because like you watch this and you realize just how far we have moved past that bullshit. But you know what, though? Uh, uh... You know, I just, I just thought about this. You know, we talked about how everything was, you know, how people look at it in hindsight and everything. I don't think Sean does himself any favors of how quick he came back and how he acted when he came back. No, with doing the handspring off the top, not the handspring, the backflip off the top rope in the first match and landing yeah. on his feet and looking maybe like he was an even better worker than when he left. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's part of it too. That's that's what he was like. Oh, look at this fucking guy. You know, he was he wasn't really hurt. You know, stuff like that. That I think that that also goes into the Shawn Michaels um you know, the narrative of what really was going on here with Shawn. So, I mean, he he didn't do himself any favors at all in that regard. Um but it was an emotional promo. I mean, you could see him being emotional. I mean, the one thing also that just hits you in the face is his speech. You mean and that he, he sounds like he might be on something, too? Yes, he sounds terrible. He sounds like he's, he sounds like he's someone that's trying to numb the pain away. Like he's trying to be present, but he also sounds like he's, he took something. Yes. Yeah, he, sound, he, sounded, he sounded high. Which also, the thing I think that also made me think that he probably was too, besides all that, we had something here that I think we've spotted a couple other times in promos where it seems like he's on something. He's lit in a way where they have his eyes very darkened. Mm-hmm. And that seems like it's by design. Yeah. So. So, yeah, there's the, there's all that too as part of that, but... Mm. It... it I mean, it's a lot of it's him, but good lord, I mean, we said it before. 
one of the lessons of watching the show back through, you know, years later as an adult and everything is just how many people were allowed to go on the air blatantly either drunk or off their tits on pills. Happened a lot in this era. Mm-hmm. A whole lot. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and this thing too, you know, if, if something like this happened today, oh, the reaction would be completely different. Because you couldn't, you couldn't go out there and and you know try and try to you know talk shit on this because I mean it wouldn't be the the thing to do in a you know in a, in a, in a from a decency side of things. Yeah, you know? I mean even if you just throw out the knee stuff, if someone gave the same basic speech and basically said I am mentally burdened out, I need to get better, it would be welcomed. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a one, definitely one of the most memorable interviews of uh, of all time for sure, and, I, and um, <laughs> it's something that still gets talked about to this day. So, yep, there you go. All right, uh, the, so they followed that up with the Undertaker. Undertaker beat Savio Vega in 844 after a choke slam. After the match, Undertaker was beaten on Wolfie D, Jamie Dundee, and D'Lo Brown, who all tried to interfere until Farouk and Crush finally made a six on, on one. Ahmed Johnson made the save, but eventually got him down. Undertaker set up as they found on Ahmed, and together the two clean house. Savio did a good job in this match. One and a half stars. Then we get Austin over Sid by DQ in 342, and Bret Hart attack Austin. For associate match from a world title match, it was really lame. Since they went short, it was fast-paced, but Sid was still awful. After the match, they explained Brett interfered because he watched the match and couldn't stand it any longer. Dave was thinking the same thing. Brett and Sid did a long pull-apart after the match set up their match for the next Raw, although nobody knew what that was about it at the time. Yeah, Brett must be the one-day champion. Uh, Farouk had crushed over Owen and Davey by count-out, so Owen and Davey retained their tag titles in 12-23. Owen and Davey worked as total babyfaces. There's no explanation to this match considering Clarence Mason manages both teams and his name was never talked about. Mason simply worked the Farouk Crush quarter with no storyline as to why. Wait, 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 wait. The way I remember it, Mason is not with Owen and Davey Boy uh, starting at Survivor Series when he comes out with the nation. I guess tell Dave that. <laughs> Do you remember it the same way? I don't remember. Smith was mainly worked on the entire match and made the hot tag to Owen... Owen took a bump over the top rope, so does Nia again. Stayed outside for the title, saving Cat out. Three quarters of a star. And then the main event, Bret Hart pinned Vader after Miss Moonsault in 712. There's two in the ring. Undertaker's music played. He did a promo. Austin also came out and attacked Bret. Austin came out later in the balcony. He was taunting Bret and Vader both. It was okay, but not the level you expect for these two guys in the main event. But television special, two and a half stars. Okay, I was wrong. He... He was with them at the Beaumont Raw a few weeks earlier. He's with them at In Your House on the following Sunday. So yeah, Clarence was still with them at the beginning while he's with the nation. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, this is weird booking. <laughs> a lot of them do at this time. There's just a lot of stuff. They just throw stuff against the wall, you know? The, the the whole Bayface heel structure is all over the place. They're just throwing stuff against the wall to see what will stick because they're so desperate. You know? Yeah. But there's your Thursday, Raw Thursday. And yeah, Final Four would be that Sunday. And 
the raw to that, and which again we talked about that on a previous episode of Between the Sheets. So go look that up. I'm With John Lester, who was at I believe both Final Four and the Raw, right? Yeah, because he was he was there live because we, we we talked to him live about it. Um, I'm looking it up now. See what time, what show that was. That it's very early with thirty something. Show thirty one. Yeah, three hundred and ten shows ago. Yep. So there you go. All right. Ahmed Johnson is currently in the hospital in Lowell, Massachusetts. The belief is that Farouk at the Continental Arena on February 9th splintered a board, and the splinters got into his arm. It was infected and badly bruised. After Lowell, the infection got so painful that when he went to the hospital, they had to hook him up to an IV. I don't believe in curses. <laughs> but if any wrestler was just straight up cursed, it's him. So many freak things. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah, there's the stuff where he's careless and green. But there's also this. There's also the nail sticking out of the new announcing desks later in the year. Which, I don't know if that was the same side, but it was in his hand. You know, like, the, if something was going to go wrong like that, he was the one that was going to get hurt. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that that's obviously not his fault. So, he's just snake bit. Yeah, he was. You know, him and, him and Jane Douglas at the same time, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because also, like, you know, early WWF and also going back before that in Dallas and, you know, wherever else he would wrestle like the occasional Japan tours and stuff. Was he particularly good or polished yet? No. But those injuries clearly did a huge number on him athletically. Yeah, watch him watch him as Moadib. Watch him as early Ahmed Johnson. Watch Absolutely. all the insane dives and stuff he's doing. Yeah. That guy, I mean, there's a tell what he could have done if he stayed healthy. Yes. You know, no telling. We'll never know. But uh, there's no telling what he could have done. All right, we talked about the ECW uh, connection here with the crowd. Well, the before the uh, before they can work a relationship with ECW, which has been going on behind the scenes to some extent for months now, which had a test from a foot plan angles were abruptly dropped a few months back, will pick up with a new twist on February 24th at the Manhattan Center for the second live two-hour Raw show. However, this time it appears ECW won't be the heels or the invaders, but the ECW will become, like AAA, a babyface promotion working with the WWF. The exposure in that position pretty well guarantees that whatever chance there was, the ECW would totally flop on pay is not exceedingly slim because the exposure on a wrestling show with actual large mainstream viewership should at least arouse enough curiosity to do a break-even buy rate. And you know, we don't talk about it much, I guess, because it's so many weeks out from the pay-per-view. You know, it's like, what, seven weeks? Yeah. But this probably is a huge factor in Beverly Legal doing as well as it did. We, we talked about that on the Patreon show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it definitely helped them out. But here's the thing. Dave got it totally wrong here. I mean, they were... They were... They're invaders, but they're baby faces. Yeah, that's the thing. But they're still treated so as invaders. Yeah. Yeah, very weird to see how that was, you know, portrayed. Also... You know? I don't know if I would say November, December. I don't know if I'd say like a year and four months or so counts as months at this point. Because we know they've been, they've had some kind of relationship going back to at least around Survivor Series 95. A small one, yeah. But who knows, who knows what it 
this point. Yeah, there's that too. Who yeah, it's who knows yeah, who knows what's formal, what's informal, everything like that. Yes, Vince, I will help you get public enemy. <laughs> he didn't help enough, did he? Alright, um Superstars Kevin, on February I will also help you get public enemy. <laughs> February nine superstars at a one point five rating, so there's that. Goblins and Jesse Jamis were on the Nashville Network doing a match with Jesse Jamis team with a host to beat the Goblins who acted as heels. Derek Wilson on their TV trying to portray that as being fake as opposed to the more serious stuff they do in their own rings since the host gave a double clothesline to the Goblins and won the match, which they said was because he had his own show. How is that different for wrestling? Mm. I got it. I I. I got to this crook and chase. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Which I wish that was online. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. I mean, if that's what it was. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. All right. So, how's your business for the week besides Lowell, Chattanooga, and Nashville? Which was after our week, actually. February 14th, Cincinnati drew 5541 and it ends up being June, right? Or May, yeah. right? It's, it's it's after April, that's for yeah. sure. All right, I said St. Paul for WF show was that there were more NWO shirts in the crowd than WF. Well, I mean, NWO smoking hot. Yeah. So, what do you expect? Also, a little creepy to go from Pillman to a story about WWF in the Twin Cities in 1997. <laughs> yeah. On the East Rutherford show on February 9th, which drew 8771 and 177375 gate, it was announced that Doug Furnace would be replaced by Bob Holland, Bob Holiday with Scott Groans, Flash Funk would be replaced by Henry Godwin, and Vader would be replaced by the Sultan. And refunds were offered. I'd hope so. <laughs> in the tag title match, Bulldog and Owen beat Bob Holiday and Phil LaFayette. They did a finish where the faces won, but Owen's foot was on the ropes and the bout was restarted and eventually the chance retained. Goldust beat Mankind as Goldust hit him with the urn. Goldust got a little babyface reaction to the finish. Ruby beat Undertaker by DQ when Taker 2 sent him on a chair. Helms would beat Godwin and thought about with his feet on the ropes. Sol to beat Ahmed Johnson with a camel clutch as the outside finish by Farouk. Crushing by Farouk crushing the rest of the nation. They continued to beat Ahmed after the match until George Steele did a run in and threw himself on top of Ahmed's body. This is where Ahmed got hurt. <laughs> George the Animal Steel. Memphis saw Brett and Sid beat Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. Reports on both this match and about in Pittsburgh were very strong. All four were cheered coming out, but once the bout started, Brett and Sid got the face reaction. Michaels was neither cheered nor booed. Fans finished saw Austin give Michaels a stone cold stunner to a huge baby face reaction, and Brett pinned him. Same basic stuff happened in Pittsburgh on the 7th. So it was Flash Fault losing to Helmsley. February 8th in Bethlehem. Which every time I see WF in Bethlehem, I think about Johnny Polo asking Girl Monsoon, is that where Jesus is born? They reverse things, putting Mankind over Goldust and Ahmed over Sultan, but the same tag match, which figures to draw big across the board. Well, just you wait. 
<laughs> to give Holly credibility to tag title challenge, they added a singles match for Holly beat Owen Hart before putting Holly into a tag title match later in the show. <laughs> they did like a captain's match. So, uh, yeah, so the house shows was Brett and uh, Sid against Austin and Michaels, Vix. Parejas and Credit Place? <laughs> well, not really. Kind of. Mm, I guess. Darren Drozdoff, or spelled here Drozdoff, a former member of the Buffalo Bills, is being taught along with Akim Albrecht by Dr. Tom Pritchard. Al Snow spent again a new gimmick where he'll wear a mask if he were the AAA wrestlers. Uh, thankfully, that did not happen. <laughs> and to close out, in some markets where Dave buys ads for house shows during Nitro, Doc Kendricks opens the ad to, Hey, Cleveland! Or insert your city. What are you doing watching this? Made a switch to Raw. Funny part is, is some of these commercials were airing after Raw had already ended. There, everybody. Uh, well, it's not their fault. No. Um, but still. If I had a dollar for every time I heard Doc Hendricks say, Long Island, in this era, I'd be a millionaire. Why are you watching this crap? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they can't. I mean, I don't. I guess they couldn't control when what in it, the show it was. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's your WR section. What a section this week, huh? Uh, let's go to Japan now, and we'll start with uh, all Japan pro wrestling. Again, not on tour, but there is a little news here. Where the observers getting right now is all Japan shying away from doing a dome show this year, and they don't. Nope, and do it a year later. So, yep. There's your All Japan news for the week. New Japan does a lot more news. Serious negotiations have gone on this week to build for an Antonio Inoki and Satoru Sayama promoted show outside the offices of New Japan in Tokyo Dome on April the 12th to be headlined by Shinya Shimoto versus Ken Shamrock for the IWGP Heavyweight title. New Japan and Shamrock have been negotiating, negotiating seriously for the past week. New Japan may have contacted Pancrase, which still has Shamrock on the contract for four more matches to buy out his contract with a group for the proposed Dome show. At the present time, no other mention of the proposed Dome show have been announced, nor has Shamrock signed a contract with either Noki's side company or with New Japan. Shamrock hasn't wrestled on a Pancreas show since January due to both USC commitments and injuries. And his contract from a time standpoint with Pancreas has run out. Pancreas has claimed he's got four matches left on a nine-match deal. After a bitter dispute over the contract, his position bookie before a talent, and as a manager for the American Fighters of Impact Race, the two sides split under less than acrimonious circumstances. The dispute came up when Shamrock agreed to work on a proposed valley to do an event at the Fukuoka Dome on December 15th, the same day as a major Pancrase show at Budokan. Shamrock eventually had to pull out of the match, and the card itself was canceled. It's believed that the negotiated deal is finalized as Shamrock worked this show, and perhaps others in New Japan going along with continuing in UFC. And there's more on this on the shows that we did after this week where, you know, it was pretty much seen as a done deal, possibly, that he was going to work Hashimoto and everything. And then he shows up in Delia <laughs> at the Raw show from the Manhattan Center. And long term, for the sake of his body and everything, he made the wrong decision. He absolutely made the wrong decision. Yes. Because what's the most active schedule he'd be getting while making big New Japan money? Once a month? Yeah, and he wouldn't be doing a whole lot. 
Right. He because he'd be working as incoming shooter Ken Shamrock. Mm-hmm. Or invading shooter, I guess would be the way to put it. But yeah. you know, instead he of he this, wouldn't be, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be working full tours. No, and he wouldn't be working as this work rate baby face that he was in the WWF either. Yeah. So, you know, money-wise, he probably did better overall in WWF, but in the grand scheme of things, he did not make the right decision. No. Especially as someone who was willing to travel to Japan in the first place and had done so so much. Well, think about this. I mean, just think about this. I mean, if he stops in New Japan, you know he'll end up in WCW. Mm-hmm. And that would have been easier for him there. Yeah. You know? So, and, and you know, Kid Shamrock, I mean, he, he, when it comes to WWF and their renaissance in 97, he doesn't get talked about, but there's definitely something to him being a factor in that too, his yes. presence being there, you know? Yeah, I don't know how much you can attribute to him, but I don't think it hurt. He had the, the most dangerous man on the planet, you know? Yeah. Kid Shamrock's here. It adds a, some a little extra oomph to them, you know? Yes. Now, so. Ogawa was going to end up in New Japan regardless, right? Well, let's, let's continue. Okay. There has been major newspaper press stating that Naoya Ogawa, 28, oh, yeah. an Olympic <laughs> judo star, will be turning pro wrestler shortly, and then New Japan is expected to sign him. Ogawa, six foot three, two 285 pounds, was the All-Japan Collegiate Judo Champions College freshman, then left college. Catch a world titles in the 209-pound weight division in 87, 89, and 91. He won a silver medal loser of the championship match to Riggs' David Kashivigi at the 1992 Olympics of Barcelona and placed fifth in 1996 in Atlanta. Apparently, he had negotiated recently with all Japan, but the two sides far apart on money terms. Neither Gawa's people nor New Japan have announced it, but it's getting a lot of press. Oh, could you imagine Aoi Gawa in, in ni- late 90s all Japan? The, the version of Ogawa that shows up. Oh my god. So much culture shock. Yeah. Um, This all worked out quite well for him, though. Oh, he definitely... He definitely... He, he steps into the spot that Shamrock leaves. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. And if Shamrock goes there, then, I mean, Ogawa probably still up in New Japan, but it, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. Also... Since I gotta think he knew about the whole plan for the Zillion Dome shows in 97 and, you know, the whatever it was, like three and six weeks, it is kind of shitty of Shamrock that to give them the impression that it was basically a done deal, knowing everything they had planned, and then kind of, kind of, sort of double-cross him. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. But, you know, it would have been worked out for him if he goes... Like I said, he gets a new Japan money, and he would parlay into, into WCW money. I mean, you, you know, Eric Bischoff would have took took on that one. He also, if Shamrock goes, I don't know if Don Fryan's up there. Yeah, or does Don Fryan up there anyway? Because he plays a completely different character from how Shamrock would have been used. And we'd probably get a Shamrock Don Fry feud before the real one ended up happening. Hmm. But yeah, maybe maybe Fry does go because Fry's gimmick was I am a shooter, but I am such an asshole that I'm just gonna do all this heel stuff and cheat all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
it was like an updated, like, you know, we are aware of MMA version of the heat of, like, you know, early 80s Ted DiBiase. The heat on DiBiase is that everyone says he's such a great technical wrestler all the time. So it makes him even more of an asshole that he's constantly using the loaded glove. Part of it, yeah. Part of it. So I, I can see a scenario where Fry still goes, but it's a very, very different New Japan 97 if Shamrock goes. Very different wrestling world. Well, period, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, um... February 9th, Nakajima Sports Center in Sapporo in front of 6,000 fans was headlined by the junior heavyweights as Jushin Liger retained the J-Crown, pitting Shinjiro Otani in 27-14, while Koji Kanemoto defeated Takamichi Noku in 14-41 to earn Otada shot against Liger on February 16th at Sumo Hall. The third main event was an NWO New Japan match with Masahiro Chono, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Scott Norton beating Stoch Kojima, Kensuke Sasaki, and Keiji Muno when Norton pins Sasaki. Results. Your opening match. Akatoshi Saido over Kazuki Fujita. Norianaga and Tatsuya Takeiwa over Chris Jericho and Black Cat. Buff Bagwell and Hiro Saito over Scotty Riggs and El Samurai. That's a match. Tatsushi Goto, Kuniaki Kobayashi, Michioshi Ohara over Junji Arata, Osama Nishimura, and Yotaka Yoshie. Rikicho Shumanabu Nakanishi over Kazu Yamazaki and Takashi Zuka. Tatsumi Fujinami, Kengo Kamara, Akira Nagami over Shinya Hashimoto, Osamu Kido, Yasuda, and then the uh, Chono Six-Man, Kanemoto Otaka, and then Jushin Liger over Shinjiro Otani to retain the J-Crown. And uh, from what I remember, those last two matches were pretty damn good, especially that main event. I don't think I've ever seen Kanemoto Otaka. I just know that the rep was that it was disappointing because their styles were too similar. I thought I remember it being good. Okay. Yeah, main event fantastic i'm not sure if i've seen the main event i know i've seen the one from the year before well you pretty much can't go wrong well no so yeah now uh they take tv in gifu on the february 13th and gifu industrial hall in front of four thousand. we have opener of kazuki fujita over yutaki yoshie akira nagami and kato saido over shinjiro tai tatsuki Tetsuo Shigoto, Kuniakobayashi, Michiyoshi Ohara over Samadhi Shimura, Norinaga, and Black Cat. Buff Bagwa and Hiro Saito over Takashi Azuka and Scotty Riggs. Liger and Samurai over Kanemoto and Jericho. Tetsumi Fujinami Kunkamura over Kazu Yamazaki and Osama Kido. Nakanishi and Kojima. Yeah, Bull Power over Kijimudo and Junji Harada. And then um, Masahiro Chono, Scott Norton, and Hiroshinzan, and Rishin Hashimoto, Kensuke Saki, and Tadao Yasuda in your main event. You know, we, and this is more about the Sapporo show, we don't really think about it this way, but seeing the crowd they drew here in a big market, you know, not like a smaller one that might be headlined by a junior heavyweight title match. Like, you know, I think the, I think like Rotani the year before the TV taping it headlined was in Beppu or someplace like that. Liger really elevated the junior division with the way he booked everything at 96 in terms of being, like, a money player to the company. Of course. Yes, absolutely. Which, I feel like people don't really talk about his booking anymore. Like, that, that is a guy that people need to study the booking of. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's been 25 years, and it's not... It's not the main events. 
you know, even though they're main eventing here, but it's not the main events, no, you know. But and and '90s wrestling in Japan. I mean, all people are going to talk about more than anything else is all Japan. Yes. Now, still though, like on kind of really every metric you can think about, though, Liger's '96 is one of the best years anyone has ever had as a booker. Yes. Think like elevates so many people, elevates the value of the junior heavyweight division dramatically. You know, like the, other than Choshu, you know, going for the G1 in retirement, the number two draw of that G1 tour in 96 was the J-Crown. Yes. You know, so you have that, you have the other promotions being integrated so well, the storytelling, the way he set up the battling groups between him and his junior horsemen against the Kanemoto and Otani group. Just so much. And then, you know, the way he sets up when he has to go out for the brain surgery and doesn't know how he'll be returning. What does he do? Works tag matches most of the tour. One singles match he does. He puts Ultimo Dragon over in three minutes. So as to put him over even bigger as going to the finals and eventual new champion a few months later. Now, he was was always a selfless booker, but there's just so much in 96. You know? Well, think about it this way, too. Skydiving Jay sold out Budokan for the annual Budokan, you know, June Budokan New Japan show, which had never been a junior heavyweight theme show before. No. So, it really is damn impressive what he did. He got it hot. He got the juniors hot, that's for sure. So, yeah, it's impressive. All right, uh, there there are several America-style angles to push the NWO's top heel group. Very similar to the United States. They're doing an angle where Chona refused to sign his New Japan contract, doing the contract holdout gimmick, and of course, he ended up signing an NWO contract. Open a storyline is that Shono's New Japan contract doesn't allow him to be merchandised or on NWO videotapes without New Japan's permission. NWO's recruiting Keiji Muto, who's in the Sting role. And of course, he eventually joins. So there's that. And New Japan's attempting to book Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, which they do. For the Fukuoka Dome. That's right. So they work they work a dome show. Yes. Um yeah, if any of you ever wondered where that clip of them that used to be in that weird intro that our video put at the beginning of every tape, where that came from, it was that Fukuoka Jump show. Yeah. War! Tarzan Goto has joined War as he did a surprise run-in on their February 12th show in Toyohashi, attacking Tenyugurichiro, and shaking hands with Koji Katao. On that show, we had Ryo Miyake over Tomohiro Ishii in your opener. Hiroshi Katsubo, Tsubagenjin, over Jun Kikuchi. Suri Okano and Igo Sawai over Mitsuki Endo and Remy Kazama. Koki Kitahara over Takashi Okamura, the future president of Okamura. Shinichi Nakano and Arashi over Kamikaze and Masakazu Fukuda. Then we had the War International Junior Tag Titles on the line as Masaki Mochizuki and Choden Senshi Battle Ranger. Defeated Lance Storm and Yuji Ashiroka to become the new champions. And then we have our main event, Hiroshi Hatanaka, Koji Katao, and Nobukazu Harai over Tenuganichiro, Nobutaka Araya, and Osama Tachiakari. Well, that's, a sh- that's a war show. 
in this era. My goodness. Yeah, it feels like, especially with Jericho gone, with Lance being the only foreigner, it feels almost like he's grandfathered in. Pretty much. He's like Benoit in New Japan. When when Choshi said, I'm not booking any more for, uh, foreigners. Pretty much. Lance is seen as like a regular guy in war now. So Well, and he's been consistently teaming with the Japanese wrestler, too. So there is that, you know. Yeah, Soroka's been his regular tag team partner for, what, over a year at this point? Yeah. So, it fits. Now, Choden Senshi Battle Ranger was... Battle Ranger Uena? Yukihide uh, Uena or someone else? Ch- Choden Senshi Battle Ranger was... Uh, Uena, yes. Okay. Battle Ranger Z. Policeman, yes. Oh, policeman from, uh, whatchamacallit, from, uh, Osaka Pro. Yes. All right, um, FMW, Odawara Citizen Gym on February 11th from the 2800 fans. We have Tetsuya Kuroda over Mamoru Okamoto, Kori Nakayama over Miss Mongol, Masato Tanaka over Dragon Winger, Megumi Kudo, Rie, and Yoko Ikeda over Toxicor, Shark Shishuya, Kreshimeya Damari, and Miwa Sato. The Gladiator, Mike Awesome, Hitsukatsu Oya, and Crypt the Keeper over Hayabusa, Riki Fuji, and Hayato Nanjo. The Headhunters, A and B, over Wing Kanemura and Hideki Asaka in your main event. So there's your FMW show for the week. Yeah, I think the main thing to look at just coming out of that is that however much credit you want to give to Kudo and however much you want to give to Hayabusa, and I guess to a lesser extent, Kanemura and Asaka... They have turned business around a good bit in the last year or so. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, the type of number you'd expect more from an Onita era show. Well, that's the thing. You know, Onita's, he's not, you know, not around anymore. And uh, the crowd's finally come to grips with that. And he'll be returning. So they, They've built an audience that is coming to see Kudo, Hayabusa, Kanemura, Hosaka, Gladiator, etc. Yeah. But Onita will be returning soon. So there you go. All right. IWA Japan. They ran Anaka City Gym on February 9th. We have Takeshi Sato over Akika Masuda. Two Door to Turtle over Akanori Sukioka. Kishiba Kamen. Imimoto Kao over Miyuki Sagabe. Leatherface over Kesumi Hirano. And Daikokuba Benkei, Great Kabuki, and Keizu Matsuda over Kishikawabata, Shigeo Okamura, and Takashi Shikawa in your main event. Yeesh. <laughs> so there's that. Well, Pan- Kabuki threw some nice uppercuts at least. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pancrase. When Yoshiki Takahashi arrived at Tokyo Airport on February 10th, he was met by reporters and made a lot of comments regarding the USC show on February 7th. Takahashi said his hand was okay after minor surgery and he wouldn't miss a date. With his next match being March 22nd in Nagoya. He wasn't both on the February 22nd Pancrase show because it was too close to the USC and you can't train for both at the same time. Takahashi said that Pancrase fighters are faster and more skilled overall than USC's fighters, and the level of fighters overall is stronger in Pancrase. Some more notes stemming from Takahashi's participation in the last UFC. Pancrase had complaints that Takahashi was told at 7.45 p.m. that night that he wouldn't be allowed to kick with the shoes he was wearing when he had the shoes specifically designed so he'd be able to kick with them. He also claimed they were told the match with Body Dishmail would be a 15-minute time limit and three-minute overtime, and that's why they were surprised it was stopped at 12 minutes. 
Pancreas sources claim Takahashi's willing to face Jerry Bolander on the next pay-per-view. Yeah, USC happened right before our week. So, uh, one of my favorite USC shows, as a matter of fact. February 97 <laughs> is the one where Coleman unifies the titles to become the first heavyweight champion. It's dope, then, yeah. It's Col- Coleman and Dan Severin and Vitor against Scott Ferrozo. <laughs> so, okay, well, that you mentioned Scott Ferrozo also takes me to where I was going with it. He's not wrong. Overall, up and down the cards, Pancrase does have the more skilled roster at the time. Yeah, and the reason why it's about Takahashi is that he he won his fight, and Bolander won his fight on that on that car, and they're both in the same weight class. So, yeah, right. And Takahashi a lot, got hurt. It, 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 Takahashi got hurt, so he could compete in the tournament final. So he get a uh uh. Alternate Nick San- Nick Sanzo, who does alternate. not have a Wikipedia profile. Yeah, so I'm guessing well, he had a he's been wonderful career in the mixing of the martial arts. <laughs> yes, excuse me. Um, so this is UFC 12, Dothan at the uh, at the Civic Center though, not at the Houston County Farm Center. Oh, of course not. No, it's too big for the Civic Center. I mean, the Farm Center mix. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so just to give an idea, then, when he's talking about skill level, based on, I guess, this card, your heavyweight alternate bout was Justin Martin, Eric Martin. I don't know if they're related. 14 (laughs) seconds with... Actually, no, wait a second. 14 seconds with a heel hook. Yeah, that sounds like a work to me. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, but look at the match, what it is. So, like, it really matters. Well, neither guy has a Wikipedia profile. Um, Your heavyweight semis were... Vitor over Trey Teligman and Scott Ferrozo over Jim Mullen, no Wikipedia profile, which... Lovely matches. Also interesting... Well, no, Trey Teligman was a legit opponent, though. No, I said, I said they were lovely matches. Yeah, Trey Teligman was definitely oh, I you were legit being sarcastic. Opponent. Okay, I don't yeah. know Jim Mullen. Uh, no, the Ferrozo the match is a lovely match. It's sarcastic. Yeah, yeah Vitor beats Ferrozo in the finals, 43 seconds. Uh... Coleman beats everyone with a neck crank in 257. Lightweight alternates was Nick Sanzo, TKO, and Jackie Lee in 48 seconds. Again, no Wikipedia profiles. So, yeah, Takahashi beat Ismail by decision after 15 minutes. Jerry Bolander beat Rainy Martinez, whose name sounds familiar, but no Wikipedia profile. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Bolander beat Sanzo to win the lighter weight uh, tournament finals. So, you know, you have some good fighters in there, but it's. It still has too much of the older UFC. Like Scott, Fer- Scott Ferrozo has no business being there. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> he beat Take Abbott. Well, <laughs> and he's Scott Ferrozo, for God's sake. Yeah. All right, let's go to Joshi Zenjo, all Japan women. They were at Cork and Hall, February 11th, in front of fourteen fifty. Not great. Kishnosh. Kesson Sakai members Miho Wakazawa and Momo Nakanishi over Nane Takahashi and Rumi Sakaguchi in your opener. Yukashina over Sai Endo. Uh oh. The third match. Masai Genki over Tanny Mouse Fix. A, oh. uh, a foreteller of things to come. Yes. And look at those yeah. pretty Japanese girls. Then we have Takako Inoue and Yumi Fukawa over Yumiko Hota and Yoshiko Tamura. Tamara. Kurito and Mariko Yoshida over Manami Toyota and, Mim- <laughs> and Manami Toyota over Mima Shimoda, Kyoko Inoue, and Toshio Yamada. And then Utops, Tomoko Watanabe, and Kumiko Mikawa over Aja Kong and Rie Tabata. 
Now, the biggest smaller promotion show of the past week was the All Japan Women's Show on February 15th at Hakata Star Lanes for a 2980. Main event had Takako Inoue and Mariko Yoshida earn a tag title shot, beating Karito and Manami Toyota. Non-title match, the Triple WA Tag Chance, Kamika Mikawa and Tomoko Watanabe lost to the WWA Singles Champion, Kyoko Inoue, and Toshio Yamada. And we like didn't have to switch from Triple WA to WWA, little in the sentence. Yeah, we don't have the results of this show. Other than those matches, which is interesting, That's but there you go. Strange. Yeah, it's the way it goes sometimes, I guess. And uh, former women's wrestler Saka Shigawa is now working on the Samurai TV station as a reporter doing weekly women's wrestling news show on the station. Hmm. Well, Look at least for... she's got something going on after they forcibly retired her. Yeah. Well, good for her in that sense. Yes. All right. JWP ran Cork and Home February 9th, but they drew 2,000 fans. Okay, if I'm one of the... uh, Why am I forgetting their names all of a sudden? Matsunagas. Matsunagas. That's the big red flag that we're still the company with the network TV at this time. And the company that only has, like... I mean, I guess they both had monthly specials, but the one that's only on cable and satellite... Um, beat them at Corican by about a third. Well, <clears throat> they should have booked Masai Ginky and Tanya Mouse higher on the car, Bex. It would have did a better house. Forty-eight hours apart, too. Now there, we'll see. There are some. There are some all Japan women wrestlers on the show. Not a lot, but let's see what we got here. All right. Um. So on this show, Tomoko Miyaguchi over Sari Asumi, Tomoko Kazumi and Kanaka Matoya over Candy Okutsu and Boshoi Kid. Kiri Suzuki and Nesta Moreno over Aldo Moreno and Plum Mariko. Judo Jacket match Karito over Romiyagi. And JWP tag titles Dub Masami and Hikari Fukuoka retained over Mayumi Ozaki and Reiko Amano. You know, not only is that main event much more interesting on paper than anything on the All Japan Women card we had the full results for, m- most of the matches on this show were a lot more interesting on paper than that. anything on that show. Well, maybe that's what they outdrew in Bix. But starting in, like, late 96, all Japan women, like, in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of amazing that they last another, like, eight, you know, seven, eight years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're on such a slide for so long, and we're not really able to find anyone or anything that really picked things up. Like, you think of other promotions who kind of went on that path, if they did go out of business, it was a lot sooner than that. Yeah. Well, they had staying power, I guess. You know, they they were that that brand name that had staying power. No matter what, people gave them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, yes. But I they had their heart. They had their fans of. They had the fans. Their fans were the, of that promotion, which is what yeah. we see in wrestling. I wonder if there was any kind of backlash over the mandatory retirement stuff too. I'm pretty sure some fans got pissed because they quit supporting them. It feels like, in the grand scheme of things, all Japan women just kind of accelerated Gaia rising to being the top women's promotion in the country. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was some type of backlash over that. Yeah. All right, let's go to the United Kingdom now and make this Eurasia all together. NWA UK. Yeah, Black Lion Center in Gillingham, Kent, in front of 300 fans. Interesting card here. British rules. Well, I would hope so. It's in Britain. John Stokes went to a tournament draw with Tyron Archer. 
Robbie Thomas and David Vane over Johnny Storm and Sebastian P. Sterling. Tony McMillan over Alex Shane. Handicap match. Gary Steele defeated Justin Richards and Adam Mansfield. Two out of three falls match. Andre Baker, Jody Fleisch, and Miss Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, Miss Amanda Dallas. Miss Atlanta, Atlanta Lively. That would have been a team over Doug Williams, Jorge Castano, and Tanzi Cook. Guy Thunder over Steve Briggs. And then Gary Steele won a Rumble, a Rumble Royal, I guess. That's what it would be called in some places, the Royal Rumble Rump Off. Yeah. A lot of less, less well known names on this card, but also. Got future names. All of the UK guys that are going to make an impact over the next five, six years. I mean, look at the future. Yeah, but look at the future names on this show: Doug and Jody and Johnny and Alex Shane. I mean, this is a few years before they break out. So yeah, also interesting to see a promotion in the UK doing a world of sport throwback style match in this era. Yeah, because the whole revival, you know, reexamination of it that. To that, I mean, that's still years away. Mm-hmm. So, kind of cool to see that here. Yeah. Um. I'm, okay. So wait a second. Was Tony Mc Tony McMillan's on any undercard match? So are we guessing that whoever put it in cage match or whatever that Tony McMillan is either the last man in or the old? Oh no, he was on the undercard. So this is probably in everyone on the show battle royal anyway. Yeah. I don't get. Uh, well, I guess no one knew for sure, so that's why we. Have he was so popular. He was probably the last guy eliminated. Yeah, that's how that so, works. Yeah, yeah. And they just named the last guy eliminated. That's basically what that is. When so. you consider like just how like the you know in terms of just regular indie indies, how the British scene is still not exactly fully formed. Like three hundred fans, no outside names. You know, not a huge market. Not bad. No. You know, pre, you know, pre, you know, widespread internet, you know, it's getting bigger, but still it's not close to everyone yet. Like, you know, pretty solid show, showing here from Hammerlock. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, it is time to take a break. And uh, after we have some great 1997 commercials, we'll come back where we'll talk about Patreon We'll hit the plugs, and then uh, we'll do all that and come back, and we'll go to Mexico. We'll have news on uh, AAA, CMLL, Pumas Teca, not a whole lot going on. We got a uh, jump in Puerto Rico to talk about, and all kinds of other stuff going on there. So all that more after the break. The Fox Tuesday Night Movie is brought to you by Pantene Pro-V Shampoo and Pro-V Conditioner. For hair so healthy, it shines. They're coming. Whoever you are, whatever length your hair, split ends are coming. Why cut them off when you can help head them off with Pantene Pro-V Treatment Conditioner, the first ever root-penetrating pro-vitamin formula to help restore the most damaged areas of your hair, reinforcing it daily, helping stop split ends before they start. Pantene Pro-V Treatment Conditioners, for hair so healthy it shines. The reinforcements are here. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess who wanted a little more magic in her life. So she went to see the wizard and asked him what to do. Get a Katara, said the wizard. And suddenly there was a coach like she'd never seen before. Well, off they drove into the night with the beautiful princess at the reins. 
This is magic, thought the princess, but I don't know whether to buy it or lease it. But either way, I'll just put it on my bill, said the wizard. Katara, it's the caddy that sigs. Captain, here's your cookie. Focus? Mm. Nope. With more than $272 billion in sales over the last 25 years, Kodak is the world leader in imaging. Now picture this. More than $1 trillion in real estate transactions makes the Century 21 system number one in real estate. And when you're this big, you can do things others can't, like average a home bought or sold by our customers every minute, every day. No wonder, in a nationwide survey, homeowners chose Century 21 as the leader in real estate by 6 to 1 over the nearest competitor. Call number one, Century 21. American Express, how can I help you? Hi, we'd like to go to Walt Disney World. Well, we've got white glove vacations just for American Express card members. Can my son meet Mickey? He can have breakfast with the characters. Really? Yep. We also have special storytelling sessions just for card members. Some packages even include 250 free Disney dollars. Free's good. So, when would you like to go? Call now, 1-800-AXP-TRIP. Even at Walt Disney World Resort, American Express helps you do more. Though edited for television, due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. Please pick Conte sauce. Seize him. Is there a problem, y'all? You stole all of our jobs. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Naturally fat-free blended tomatoes, onions, and fresh jalapenos. Folks are pouring pace over everything. Spicing up their favorite chicken, eggs at breakfast, even baked potatoes. Potatoes? Look, can I help it if everyone loves my spicy personality? Terrific. I've been replaced by a sauce from San Antonio. For great taste, Pace Picante tops everything. Life is empty. Torturous. I yearn wanting more. Wanting more. There's a burning from within. Here's a tip. Eat something. I recommend the new Extreme Carvers from Boston Market, like the chicken cheesesteak. Juicy, slow-roasted chicken, peppers, and onions smothered in four ooey-gooey cheeses. Now get a free sign and a free drink when you buy an Extreme Chicken Cheesesteak, only at Boston Market. Well, that uh, burning from within, it's called hunger. The coolest cop in New York meets the hottest woman on the planet. Tyra Banks guest stars on New York Undercover, part of Love Week, Thursday at 9, 8 central on Fox. Finding your way out. Hello, I'm Byron Wood. Coming up at 9.30, Jackie Madera has some do's and don'ts in getting out of your credit card debt. Join us at 9.30. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1997 commercials as we pivot to the Halftime segment Show. We began talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. 
where uh, we will be recording the new show for February after we record this segment. <laughs> well, at so, least part of it. Well, yeah, part of it at least. But anyway, but yes, yeah, so we will be recording our new Patreon show covering the 20th anniversary of Ring of Honor. So uh, that should be quite the show as we'll go back to uh, talk about the genesis of Ring of Honor and how it basically came to be because Rob Feinstein felt like there needed to be another version of ECW. And uh, we'll have that and, uh, you know, all the other stuff that was leading up to that, to the show taking place. And then we'll talk about the first show naturally and everything going on there. So should be quite the show as we uh, bookend Philadelphia, as we started, you know, with last month with Joel Goodhart and talk about TWA which is already up now. And then, of course, we've done all the ECW shows we've done and probably do more in the future. Who knows? And then this to uh, go on the other side, post-ECW, and get into this era of Philly indie wrestling. So, yeah, we've done a lot on Philadelphia area indie wrestling promotions. And, uh, yeah, this this is going to be quite the show. So $5 a month gives you access to that. Plus all the shows that we've done already in our five plus years of the Patreon, including all those Philly shows, Global Wrestling Federation, uh, Daphne AWA, Sid show, the show about Ric Flair and WWF, a lot of shows that we've done, Brian Pillman and ECW, and just so many other shows that we've done on the, the five plus years of the Patreon and all the other uh, other Patreon shows that we've done. So uh, a lot of bang for your buck there. So five dollars a month gives you access to all of that. Dollar month gets you access to the Discord and thanks to this segment. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week, which we'll have next week, which we'll talk about during the plug. As uh, you can pick a show for the week. And when you decide to do this, make sure that you have two shows in mind just in case because your first choice may be something that we could have possibly done in the past or something that somebody may have uh, reserved on the calendar for the next year. So always be prepared to have two shows in mind if you want to do the $25 a month thing. So take care of that and you know, follow the, the protocol on the Patreon website on how to get that information to Bix. And then you should be all right there. If you got any questions, just let us know and we'll try to get them answered and let us know why you're picking the show as well. That always helps. That way we know uh, if things fit in right or whatever. And 30 day rules in effect. Get that information for 30 days, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday, all that stuff. You do all that, and then you'll be able to get a show on the air, and uh, hopefully you'll be satisfied with the results. $50 allows you to send in for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who we have to thank this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, we would like to thank... Based on what we recorded last time, I don't think it could have been this person. Maybe they. Well, we we recorded uh, as we're doing this four days. It's a four day. Oh difference. yeah, wait a second. Yeah, we yeah we got it wrong before we started recording. Hold on. So, um, so wait. We what recorded day? later. We recorded later than normal. We did. So what? Okay. So that should be okay. So I think I know who we have because I don't think we had Cliff Williams last week, did we? No, because okay. I would remember thinking Cliff. Thanks, yes. Cliff. We'd like to thank Cliff. Uh, Rich Moulton, of course, one of the many returning thanks. champions. Thanks, Rich. Oh, okay. So hold on. This is the guy who tweeted us that we didn't – I don't think he read it because he wanted us to make sure that – oh, no, this is someone else actually. 
Okay, never mind. This was a different name. That there was someone that okay. So was did we have someone last week that we thought was spelled Bayruth? Yes. Okay, so he tweet he tweeted us to say that it's Byroid. Yeah, which I wouldn't have known that because the way yeah. it's spelled. Yeah. So, like I said before, feel free to email me, uh, in advance to get that done. But but that anyway. wasn't a Patreon name. That was the name of a the city when the city said WF ran. Oh, okay. In Europe. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, I was confused for a second, but anyway, uh, okay. So we would like to thank Christopher. Uh, I'm going to go with recent hour. Thanks, Christopher. Kyle F went from a dollar a month to the discounted uh, annual version of the five dollar tier. All right, thank you, Kyle. I'd also like to thank Zach Medress. Thanks, Zach. Cody Woolery. They Woolery, I said Chuck Woolery. Same smelling, yes. Wow, what there's any relation? Thanks, Cody. And okay, I'll ask you to guess who the last one is. Uh, okay. Somehow All this right. person usually ends up being last, too. <laughs> is it, is this a, uh, so it's a returning patron. It's a many time returning patron. Danny Kukler. Of course. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> well, he, all, hey, he, 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 he comes, he goes, and he comes back again. So there you go. But thank you, Danny. And thank all you new patrons, old patrons, uh, patrons that have been there from the beginning, patrons that have come along the way, all that good stuff at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Now let's talk about IWTV Bix. Uh, seems like they have kind of a busy time here for IWTV. So what's caught your eye this week? Not much new added as far as, you know, archival on demand. So. Main things will be shows that have not happened yet as of this recording, but will have happened by the time you'll hear this. The big one being uh, what's honestly becoming one of my favorite indie promotions to watch since they've been doing these live streams, West Coast Pro Wrestling in uh, Northern California. And they have a show that it's in their usual Friday night slot, but it's happened already. And uh, they've got a card where they're calling this one The Art of Drowning, which... Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting title. I was going to say, how do you feel about the uh, various uh, indie show names these days? Well, I mean, I just an interesting title. Is that a playoff of something? I assume it is. Like at this, but it's also like I, I almost prefer it. I'd rather people just do random pop it's culture a, references than try to come up of, with a stupid name. It's a, uh, well, it's the album by AFI, of course. So obviously, I mean a lot of a lot of the well a lot of the indie shows these days are or take their names are taken from song titles, album titles, maybe you know, a book or movie title. Mm-hmm. But most of it's musically inclined. So I mean, yeah. whatever you know, I mean whatever gets you off. Yes. Anyway. Everybody, everybody, everybody's trying. I mean, I think everybody's trying to be like PWG and GCW. <laughs> Yeah, but PWG was PWG was the first, but they 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 mixed in more movies and stuff too. Yeah, I mean ECW had their you know it ain't Seinfeld, and they had stuff like that, but you know, no, I think everybody's trying to be like PWG in a way. Okay, so anyway, back in Northern California, so this is a pretty good looking show. So we've got among other things three way between Ares, Gringo Loco, and Nick Wayne. 
Friend of the show, Vinny Massaro versus B-Boy. Titus Alexander versus Blake Christian. Speedball Mike Bailey versus ACH. Four-Way with Kylie Ray, Masha Slamovich, Nicole Savoy, and Rachel Ellering. Kevin Blackwood versus Davey Richards. And a main event of Second Gear Crew of AJ Gray and Effie taking on Jacob Fatu and Juicy Fanat. Oh, and there's also a... Uh, this is a six-man tag where 440 takes on the... Uh, the West Coast Pro team of Midas Creed, Alpha Zoe, and D Rogue. So, pretty loaded top to bottom show there. And, you know, they always have good production and stuff. So, definitely looking forward to this one. All right. Anything else? Uh, our friend, I have to go back because I didn't, I don't think I opened a new tab. Our friends at AIW also have a show that will have happened by the time this is up this weekend. Also on Friday. So, yeah, you can. I mean, AIW tends not to run that long. So, Based on the timing, they, these may just end up being back-to-back. So they have, you know what? I'm Not Leaving is the name of this show. Headlined by Josh Bishop versus Brian Myers. Also, Matt Cardona defending the Intense Championship against Wes Barkley. Also includes Lou Fisto against Jocelyn Navarro. PME defending the tag titles against TME, which, oh, yeah, you don't know about this. There are slash were two tag teams on the indies, including on IWTV promotions named The Main Event and spelled M-A-N-E, too. So these are the Pittsburgh guys, and now they're mainly going by TME, as opposed to the New York guys from House of Glory who are still going by The Main Event. So they're getting a tag title shot against PME. Uh, PB Smooth versus Matthew Justice versus Isaiah Broner versus Kaplan. Bitcoin Boys versus To Infinity and Beyond, which would be quite good. And anything else here? Oh, uh, we got a Team Filthy reunion as Dominic Garini teams with Tom Lawler against Casey Carrington and Ethan Wright, plus various other matches. All right. So, yes, if you are not an IWTV subscriber yet, use code BTSPOD when you sign up. You will not get any extra days or anything, but we will get a referral fee as long as you are. You remain a paid subscriber, I should say. So, independentwrestling.tv, coupon code, well, not coupon code, code BTSPOD. And all this is in the show description, of course. All right. And VPN time, Bix. Tell everybody about the number one VPN that's out there. We are brought to you by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network or VPN. Of course, even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But PIA can help. They encrypt and reroute your internet traffic through one or more of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider and network admin, and with servers in over 75 countries. You can get unrestricted access to geoblock content around the world. PIA comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PCMag. And the best deal you can get, which is, you know, quite a good price... Right now, you can get by going to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. They have a few different plans, but the best one is 40 months for 79 bucks. So about $2 a month. So privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. All right. So on that note, next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon request to show by Andy Linton, who put the $25 down. And he wants to talk about 1996, where we'll talk about Brian Pillman 
making his uh, debut in ECW, the ECW Arena, which we've done a Patreon show about. But we'll talk about that, plus everything else going on on that show. That's Cactus's last show, isn't it? Or is that the no? That's not his last show. That's the show with him and Shane again against each other with uh, Brian Hildebrand's referee, correct? I think that- so. Big ass extreme bash is in March, I think. Isn't yeah. it from like March 9th, March tenth, and that's his last shows? Yeah, I'm I'm checking now just to be set. Yeah, a Cyber Slam, Cyber Slam ninety six. So yes, Shane and Cactus with Brian Hildebrand, Scorpio Sebu, thirty minute draw, and we'll talk about that show. The Headhunters in East Ebbing Arena on that, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we also have um, in WCW, we'll have a nice show to talk about and all the wackiness going on there. WWF in your house to talk about where uh, they build the WrestleMania. So we'll have uh, Brett and Diesel in the cage and uh, Sean and Owen. We'll talk about that, plus all those stuff going on in WWF as they're heading towards WrestleMania. You got a UFC in Bayamon, Puerto Rico to talk about. Which has a lot of stuff interesting on that show. Plus, uh, Dave's thoughts on t- how Tommy Morrison's HIV positive diagnosis will affect combat sports, and a whole lot more. So, it should be, should be quite the show as we go back to 1996 next week on Between the Sheets. And we may have a guest, we may not. Don't know yet. Well, so you'll be surprised, I guess, next week. Yes, so I that, believe that, uh, I believe that's the first UFC without a tournament, right? Yes. So, yeah, we'll talk about that and a lot more uh, next week in between the sheets. All right, you follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets by Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, I know you talked about your fan buy article last week. Anything else going on you? Yeah, the GCW one went up. Should have something that's up by the time this comes out about revisiting the whole Shawn Michaels losing your smile thing. And I should also have something about looking back at Shotgun Saturday Night original form as well coming soon. So plus some other stuff. So check all that out at Fanbyte. All right. Well, that's a, that's it for this segment. We will get back with the rest of the show right now. Well, let's move on now to Mexico and Triple R. We have two uh, two shows to talk about. They ran uh, February 11th at Pachuca. Uh, we have only a couple of matches here, or three matches. We have Abismo Negro, Hysteria, Maniaco, and Pacudo over Discovery, Luxor, Supernova, and Venom. Los Payasos, Coco Amarillo, Coco Zoom, Coco Rojo over Io del Sprecho, La Parca Jr., and Zombie. In your head, in your head. And we got Mascaro Sagrada, which of course has Cranio, Alabrije, Octagon, and Peruguayo, beating Fuzzy Guerrero, Jerry Estrada, and Pentagon 2 by disqualification. Yes, and very early in the run of Pentagon 2 here, in that game. Yeah. And then Cuernavaca, on the 15th, we have Mini Goldust, Mini Bankine, and Mini Vader of a Mini Nova, Super Muniquito, and Torrito. Coco Amarillo, Coco Zul, Coco Rojo, Vapentero, Super Muniquito, and Supernova. Heavy Metal, Ettor Garza, and Octagon over Cibernetico, Dequila, and Pentagon 2. And then Latin Lover retained his Mexican National Highway title beating Peroff in the main event. So, Triple A. They're making do right. with what they have. Yeah, that's about all you can say. 
CMLL. <clears throat> Not much this week as the main event in the February 14th Red Claw Sales Show. So Atlantis, Dos Caras, and Lafayette beat Dr. Wagner Jr. Game Changer Wrestling is Dr. Wagner Jr. Emilio Charles Jr. and Apollo Dantes. No one will return to Arena Mexico and major shows. In fact, there's no results of this show, of any shows for our week for CMLL. Weird. Uh, yeah. They had those moments in the late 90s for some reason where you you have stretches where you don't have results. It's weird. Hmm. Uh, Dave does note uh, spent Ultimo Dragon the return in between WCW dates. I don't think that happens, right? He will. He does some shots. Okay, he does. I thought it was Promo Stack Up for some reason. No, he he does some shots. He wears Mexico. Let's put it that way. He may wear both, but I know he wears Mexico. Again, so there is that. But yeah, interesting. Again, we don't have full results to talk about. But that's where it goes. Pro Azteca ran a couple of shows, and we don't have full results to talk about them either. Uh, they ran. Should we just make so- this one section with India? <laughs> Arena Soshimoko, well, we have other things to talk about, too. Sikosa yeah. over Super Electra to retain the Mexican National Welterweight title. And then Mascara Sagrada beat Mascara Ernest Mill to uh, win, retain his IWC heavyweight title in Cancun the next night on the 15th. Yeah. I don't know how good a worker he was by this point, you know, because he's been around a while, but Super Electra is a lasser, so that's that's an interesting match on paper, at least. Yeah. Double C, Puerto Rico. Dutch Mantel has jumped from the WWA to Double C and had matches over the weekend booked against Carlos Colon, Invader One, and Jungle Jim Steel. Well, let's talk about that. February 9th, La Cancha, Francisco Padilla, and Narecibo. We have Skovar Crush over Farmer Sam. <laughs> Dutch Mantel went to a double count with Jungle Jim Steel. Rotten Ron Star beat Convicto 308. Ricky Santana, Carlos Colon over La Evolucion Hardcore, Rico Suave, Uraca Castillo Jr. Chiki Star over Sean Morley by disqualification, Val Venus. Gordon the third over La Ley. And then Invader One and Ray Gonzalez over the Texas Hangman, Psycho and Killer. Now, uh, after doing a couple of saves back and forth, Longtime rivals Invader One and Chiki Star finally formed a tag team for the first time on February the 15th in Congress against Odaka Castillo Jr. and Sean Morley. No doubt they didn't angle the injured Morley since he had a match for his first All Japan tour. Star said he feels he needs Invader's help. Invader did one of those shoot interviews that are now in vogue, and Dave knows there are some people who won't be moved by it. Talking about the loss of his 18 month old daughter in 1987. He agreed to team with Star one time, but begged him not to betray him because he said he has so many scars in his heart over the years, they wouldn't be able to live with another betrayal. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. After the interview, Invader was in a tap by Castillo, Morley, and manager Rico Suave. Star tried to save him, but he got a powder in his eyes. But still managed to cover Invader and took all the boots from the from the heels. Dave says, Dutch may be booking here again because he's now the challenger for Carlos' universal title with Abdullah leaving. Well, I guess you could put those two together and probably get that. <laughs> Dutch is now immediately the number one contender to the title. Oh, he might be booking. All right, the uh, results from February 15th in La Cancha, Hector Zola, Bazaras, and Caguas. Farmer Sam over Convictor 308. Cheeky Star Invader number one went to a double count out with Raka Castillo Jr. and Jungle Jim Steel. WC World Tag Titles match. Ricky Satana and Lale. 
defeated uh, Keelan or Psycho. Takes name by Q. Heyman retained their belts. Ray Gonzalez over Jungle Jim Steele. So Jungle Jim Steele doing double duty because Morley got hurt. Scoval Crush over El Profe. And then Carlos Colon retained Universal title beating El Nene by disqualification. And Sean Morley, of course, in all Japan, uses the name Sean Morgan because if I remember right, was it Mrs. Baba who thought that Japanese fans would have difficulty pronouncing Morley? Um, yes. And you, like can, that. you can figure out why. It's not even, it's not racist to say that they don't have an L sound in their language. No, it's that no, R is that, the closest. No. Yeah, that's, that's what they, yeah, exactly. I mean, it just is what it is, but it's, but when you hear somebody use that inflection, then they're going to say, oh, you're being racist. Well, if you're not a Japanese person, whatever, but it's like, that's the reason. And that's why you have, you know, mistranslations that miss up the L's and the R's too. Like even professional translations, you know, like, you know, all the, all the old video games that had stuff like that. Jushin Riger, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. That's why. Yeah. All right. Um, the rival WA ran a TV taping recently with no major names and less than 50 fans and empty gym. They're now saying Undertaker and Shawn Michaels are headed in. Shawn Vegas world title with this group is doing his heel turn here as well. Wasn't Undertaker already in? Because didn't he have the staff infection already and wasn't that on a WWA show? I don't know. If, I don't know where the timeline is on that. Okay. But they are booking WWF talent, though. This is legitimate. Yeah. Well, this is the precursor for IWA. Yeah. So. Aki Malumba. Kamala, too, from All Japan, scheduled to return. And how's this for a made-up credential? On the television show last week, it was announced that Gordon Shorts III, Rob Kellum, who does have an amateur wrestling background, represented the United States in the Olympic Games. <laughs> Great. I would love to see that. <laughs> but there you go. Well, he is a shooter, you know. <laughs> All right, since this was such a small section, we're going to add some MMA to this. Yeah, why not? World, World Fighting Federation's taping for the March 14th pay-per-view show on February 15th in Birmingham, Alabama wound up being six singles matches. Most of the bouts being quick and one side, and described as being good fighters being put in against mainly stand-up fighters who were lost once it went to the ground. The winners of the matches were a wrestler named Lyndon, a former Division II national champion named Daniel Bobish, who went to the finals of a Valetudo tournament in Brazil, losing to Kevin Randleman in November. He beat former UFC competitor Joe Charles, who didn't fit into the category of being lost on the ground. You mean the ghetto man Joe Charles, which was yes. the official nickname. Tom Erickson, who destroyed a huge man known as the Bull, described as looking like King Kong rather quickly. Hugo Duarte, a big-name Brazilian who's about 245 pounds, described as being very impressive. Oleg Tartarov, who won with a quick choke. And Gokor Shevchijin, who won with a quick arm breaker over a Japanese Muay Thai-style fighter billed as Bell Maeda. <laughs> B-E-L-L-E Maeda. <laughs> or I guess it was Belle Maeda. I don't know, but or Bell Maeda. Yeah, I'm trying to... Wait, well, wait, in... <sighs> Bell Maeda. No, but if it's Japanese, I, th I think it's supposed to be Bell. I guess it is. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> Bell Maeda? Is this the precursor to Bell Generico? <laughs> I ain't making no jokes about that. No, so I think Tori would appreciate that. 
<laughs> you can have all, all of that right there. Um, the show will air on Action Pay Per View. As neither viewers' choice nor requests are picking it up, which is another way of saying it's doomed as far as being any kind of moneymaker on pay per view. Vix, you want to describe what Action Pay Per View was? I don't know if it was the same company as the Spice Channel, but on my cable <laughs> system, and I believe a lot of others as well, during the day, you had action, which was mainly like B action movies and occasionally live stuff like this. Yeah, I think there is some type of crossover. You think they were the same company? Yeah. That it's an Spice. FNN score kind of thing? Oh, uh, good old Spice Channel. Not, now, not around anymore. No, and Spice... Oh, Jesus, that did not help what I wanted to Google. I left off the E. Uh... <laughs> So what'd you, what'd you what'd you Google Spice Chan? No, I left off the no, I left off no, I was Googling, searching for Action Spice pay per view and I left the e off Spice Action Spick. Yeah. Um. What came up in the search? Hold on, did I keep the window open? Uh, an article on NPR Spickorama where Spick comes from and where it's going from 2015. Okay. I'll say this much. I mean, the first few, the first couple of results are about, uh, are like about the history of the word. And then the rest, it, a lot of the hits for, are, of course, for Spick and Span Cleaner, which I'm sure you're just going to love. Well, I remember the jokes, oh. too. The Spick and Span jokes. Yeah. Um, wait, so we carry Spick and Span still at the grocery store. You don't see ads for it anymore or anything, really. Um, well, I'm sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> are you surprised? Okay, at least if I search the Wikipedia profile for Spice Networks, there's nothing, there's no results for the word action. Okay. Um, okay, so Spice Networks, or group of adult pay-per-view channels, first launched in March 94. Are they still around? Yes, well, the How? broadcast adult content or pornography content, originally built and owned by Playboy Enterprises... The Spice Networks, along with the namesake Playboy TV channel and the operating rights to Playboy's website, including the Playboy, excluding, excuse me, the Playboy, Playboy Cyber Club, which was later shut down, they were sold, sold to Manwin, now MindGeek, in late 2011. The Playboy.com domain was later bought back from MindGeek, while Spice Networks were rebranded with the names of brands owned by MindGeek. So, okay, yes, MindGeek, who is... I guess these days the biggest player in that industry because they own Pornhub and stuff that they, they, they are the ones that own all this now. Yeah. So they own everything that they own Pornhub. So there you go. Well, how about that folks? All right. So back to this, uh, <laughs> uh the idea is that this will be a tournament similar to the rings battle dimension tournament going over a several month period was supposed to $150,000 go into the winner. Oh boy. Good luck with that. Um, the matches were taken to the television studio type setting with about 200 fans were in an arena and were held in the boxing ring instead of an octagon. The Linden and Shavishan matches were non-tournament, so Bobish, Erickson, Duarte, and Tartaroff advanced to the next round. Frank Shamrock was at the show and be in the second taping, which would be another first round deal taped on April 11th. As will Tony Hallmay from Ludwig Borga, who will likely face Silicon when any wrestler Irish assassin in the first round. Nick Tierney. After the four guys advanced from that taping, the next tapings will consist of the quarterfinals and semis all spaced about six weeks apart. So nobody does two matches in a night, but they still will build up a tournament. 
what a what a thing this is. It's also just interesting to see an actual live pay-per-view of any kind on action with all of the talk back in the day about, like, will UFC try to get on action? Will ECW be on action? All that stuff. If only uh, Matt Griffin had action wrestling around back then, he could have had action wrestling on action pay-per-view. I don't know how good a fit that would have been. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I'm not sure I'm not sure the parents of the various action kids would have loved it uh, being on the same channel as uh, Spice. Well, who knows? All right, uh, the other weekend show was Extreme Challenge on February 15th in Davenport, Iowa. In the top matches, Alan Goas beat Matt Anderson, Brian Johnson over Dennis Reen, 48 seconds, and Pat Miletic over Chuck Cox. Chuck Cox. Chuck Sounds Cox. like an NXT name. <laughs> Chuck Cox. Um, okay, I found a USA Today article from 1990 mentioning the launch of action pay-per-view coming September 1st, 24 hours of action adventure movies on a pay-as-you-play basis. Okay, so at least when they launch, it's 24-hour pay-per-view, too. Hmm, how about that? And just scrolling through ProQuest, I see other stuff, um, like a Variety article about them prepping for the launch. Okay, this, this might help figure out, or help us figure out what we wanted to from broadcasting an article titled Cable Adult Programming, comma, B-Movies, Full Gaps, and Pay-Per-View Menu. So let's see real quick what we have here. As so I need to zoom this in here. Uh, Hold on. Let me just download the PDF so it's easier to zoom. All right, there we go. And, of course, there is a uh, photo of a Playboy model with the Playboy at Night logo here. But let's see what we've got as I... It's not letting me pinch to Zoom for some reason. All right. Uh, the pay-per-view is not yet a mature business. Niche services are already stepping in to fill the programming holes. Mainstream pay-per-view leaves behind. Adult services are bringing in buy rates that sometime approach mainstream movie channels, making them the first choice for a third channel. Movies, but uh, B-movie services offer low prices that compete with video store rental costs and attract a niche audience. That's interesting in and of itself because... You know, like, if you're used to Blockbuster, Blockbuster and the average price of a pay-per-view movie, which was about $4 back then, are in a similar price range. But if you've got the right local video store, a lot of them are charging, like, $0.99 cents a night. Or $1.99. Yeah. More like $1.99, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, I about to say, what, which ones are you going to? <laughs> well, some had the specials where, like, you could do, like, five movies, five days, five dollars, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, there were specials. Yes, there were there were specials. Yeah, um, but it's good to keep in mind though, because like the price being the same as pay per view was really more of a blockbuster thing in that era. Uh, the, for for systems, well, care, well I didn't have paper. Well, I didn't have pay per view, so I had no choice. Well, no, but for okay for systems, they carry its old pay per view. One the category can bring in significant pay per view revenue. For Cablecom, which has three standalone pay-per-view channels, 40% of total buy rates come from adult services, 50% from mainstream movies, 10% from events. But on a margin basis, features and adult programs are running neck and neck, according to the vice president of programming pay-per-view for Cablecom. Uh, the splits are often better with adult programming. And just, you know, other stuff from there. But, okay, nothing about Spice, at least. Okay, here we go. Rendezvous 
is an adult service that accounts for 31% of buys on, what is this? On, uh, I can't, wait, oh, Cablevision Systems and Baton Rouge, I think I'm reading correctly. Uh, and it Rendezvous becomes Spice, and it's being renamed Spice on October 1st, 90. Um, they went from 800,000 subscribers to 2.5 million in a year. And, oh god, I remember this name somehow, even though I don't think my cable company ever had it. They grew because of the loss of Tuxedo, T-U-X-X-E-D-O, which, okay, that explains a lot then. Because, Chris, what was the name of the Playboy TV knockoff on The Simpsons? The Top Hat Channel. Yeah, I don't even remember that. Well, it's the episode where they steal cable and Bart is charging kids to come watch the Top Hat Channel. Okay. But okay, yeah, I remember that now. That explains the name, then. Okay, I always just thought it was a funny name, but I got to think that it's it's a play on tuxedo. Um, one of the reasons tuxedo went away was an obscenity charge in Alabama, because I guess we still do that in 1990. Well, yeah, or uh, right before then. Um, okay, so it it seems like at least. In the beginning, action and spice are completely separate. I don't know if that changes later. Okay. Well, there you go. So how about that? Yes. Who would have thought that would have spun into that? But there it is. <laughs> uh, just be glad I didn't mention Brazzers but TV by name until now. Because they own that too. Of course you do. All right, let's go to the indie scene now, and let's go to Massachusetts, the Century Wrestling Alliance. They ran in Bellingham, Massachusetts on February 15th, where they sold out the local high school, 963 fans, for a show which featured Jimmy Superfly Snuka, Kevin Sullivan, Devin Storm, Ace Darling, Tony Atlas, and Muhammad Hussein, a.k.a. Lou Fabiano. Steve and Steve Nelson, former New England Patriots star, worked the show doing a run and saving Snooka from an attack by Kevin Sullivan. And there was some speculation that Sullivan would bring Nelson to Nitro for an angle when they taped in Boston this summer. Let's go with the results. All right. El Mascarado over Kid USA in your opening match. T Rantula over Big Ben. The Pink Assassin over The Prankster. Shabas. Shabu Shabas over Joel Davis. Jimmy snuck over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. Oh, yes. Here we go. Metal Maniac over Mr. Puerto Rico. Tony Rumble over the Stormtrooper. Vic Steamboat over Rick Fuller. Team Extreme, the Extreme, whatever. Devin Storm and Ace Darling over Knuckles Nelson and the Inferno Kid. And then our main event, Tony Atlas over Muhammad Hussein by disqualification. 963 fans, Vicks. Tony Rumble was a very good indie promoter, wasn't he? He probably should be in the Indie Wrestling Hall of Fame. I, I'll, I'll, I'll nag uh, Lauderdale about that. I mean, he, yeah, he's before the indie boom, but he did a hell of a job in the late nineties promoting the, you know, the, the New England area. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's right after our week. The next day, he working with Sheldon Goldberg was who brought in the Mission Oku Pro guys for this tour. That we're going to be talking yeah. about in ECW. Yeah, that's why they're All here. All just kind of glommed on. Of course. Well, <laughs> does that surprise you? No. No. And, and you know what? Hey, if somebody else is putting the bill, why not? 
Yeah. So there is video of that match. I don't know if it's online, but there is. Um, But he put together a pretty solid indie. And, you know, sometimes he'd have, like, interesting matches with bigger names. Like, you know, this isn't one of them, Sullivan versus Snuck. I mean, you know, Sullivan would come in regularly and do big brawls with people. And, you know, we've got some former ICW names. We've got Pink Assassin, who I didn't realize was wrestling this late. We've got your New York, New Jersey guys, because Tony's in pretty good with Dennis Corluzzo at the time. So, yeah, for what's available on the Northeast Indie scene at the time, not a bad card. No, it wasn't, and it drew the house. So, mm-hmm. man, what can you say? Also nice to see Lou Fabiano home from uh, Puerto Rico to visit family, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And work at Tony Atlas, too. Yes. All right, uh, let's go down a little bit to New Jersey and PWA. They're in the New Point Comfort Fire Company Hall in Kingsburg, New Jersey on uh, February 15th, where we have Ice Pick over Rocco Dorsey, Cheetah Master over Lance Diamond, best of 10,000 series, uh, Johnny Handsome went to a time limit draw with Supernova. Yes, Nova. Greg the Hammer Valentine over the Hellraiser. Bam Bam Bigelow went to double DQ with Typhoon. And Bodyguard for Hire, father of Mike Cruel, defeated Iron Mike Sharp by disqualification. What a show this is. Should we assume that Bodyguard for Hire is the promoter here? I would think so. And you got Bam Bam Bigelow and Typhoon, so you got your WF names here too. It could be a it could be a Mike Sharp student promotion or something, too. Possible, because his school was in Jersey. So there's that show in Jersey, and there's another show in Jersey, Universal Championship Wrestling in Bergenfield on fifteenth. We have Larry Briscoe of Regino Caruso. Oh, oh and that's Larry. the Professor Larry Briscoe. <laughs> then we have the Musketeer over the Bounty Hunter by Countout. Is that ECW Musketeer? I doubt it. Okay. Frankie Burns over The Amazing Martine. Cousin Luke over HD Rider. Kid USA over The Spanish Angel. Bam Bam Bigelow doing a double shot, beating Manny Smalls, Rosie. And your main event, in No Suffering Intercontinental Championship in 1985, Batito Satan over Greg Valentine. They've got to be up there on one of those most matches with each other lists, right? Well, yeah, because they worked indie shots together for a while in the 90s. Absolutely. And I wonder Spanish... How drew. Oh, go ahead. I wonder how this drew. Yeah. Spanish Angel is... The Baldies. That's right. Okay. Angel, the Baldies, yes. So. Angel, what was his last name? I can't remember. I just know it was Angel from the Baldies. Good enough for me. All right, ECW. Angel Okay. Not Taylor May Medina. No. Um, ECW, their house shows for the week were uh, in Downington, Pennsylvania on February 9th, which drew about 980 fans. Webster, Massachusetts on February 14th, which drew about 300. And Revere, Massachusetts on February 15th, which drew about 950 or just side of a sellout. Go to show you that the whole air coolest thing didn't really affect the business in Revere, Massachusetts. So there's that. The talk of both shows was a six-man tag main event from a six-man tag main match from Michinoku Pro with Great Sasuke, Grand Hamada, and Grand Naniwa going against Taka Michinoku, Dick Togo, and Terry Boy, Minsteo, 
of Kayantai. The first night was said to have been unbelievable performance, particularly playing before such a small crowd with the guys getting a long-standing ovation after the match, which is said to have been the four-and-a-half-star range. The second night, it was a more bloodthirsty crowd, Revere, Massachusetts. And they were heckled early with USA, USA chants, and Egg Foo Young chants. Dave guesses those brain surgeons don't know the difference between Chinese food and Japanese food. These chants went for the first 10 minutes, but eventually they won the crowd over, and for the most part got a huge reaction, although there were enough fans complaining that it was noticeable that they were mad when they kicked out of the sure near falls. Actually, the best reaction from Michelle Pro wrestlers came the third night on the Central Wrestling Online show in Chelsea, Massachusetts, on February 16th, which said it had been everybody's good, if not better, than the first night's match. Now, on the Revere show, Paul Heyman had the, the heels, tie and tie, come out wearing BWO t-shirts, and they came out with Stevie Richards. Blue Minis and Supernova, and did the Hogan Hall and Nash mannerisms, and also did a six-way Fargo strut, then take the promo where Takuma Chinoku was telling TV viewers to buy the shirt. Apparently, there was some complaining done by some of the wrestlers backstage, saying they were killing everyone's finishing moves by kicking out of so many near falls the first night. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who those complainers were. <laughs> Sabu, Rob Van Dam, possibly. You know? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that's their style. Yes. Now, since I believe that outside of like one-offs and anniversary shows, that these ECW appearances and maybe the CWA appearance are the only times that Teo works as Terry Boy after becoming Men's Teo. Yes, it just has to be him wanting to be Terry Boy because he's in the states and he's a Terry Funk mark, right? Absolutely. Oh yeah. So and they talk. I mean, when you when they you know televise their matches, this is for Joey Styles to tell the story about Terry Funk being his idol. And doesn't he at one point even call him Terry Boy Men's Teo? Yes. Yes. He even wears the Terry Boy gear in one of the matches, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't wear his men's Teo gear. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, the these matches were crazy. And uh, I remember watching them on, on the fan cast for the first time. And, you know, just these guys come in cold, you know, into, you know, ECW. Where, I mean, yeah, they've had, you know, the, the Lucha guys come in and stuff like that, but they hadn't had the Japanese guys doing that style yet in there. And, uh, yeah, they just came in and went crazy. And, yeah, it was it was fantastic. Yeah. Especially Webster Hall. You know, because weren't they doing spots off the stage and shit? I don't know if there was any dives off the stage, but they definitely did dives from the ring near the stage and just... I'm curious to know what that building held, how well they drew relative to the size of the building. Because from how great it looked, I was always shocked they never did TV from there again. Yeah, it's like a perfect place to do television. If they did, if they could do TV from the fucking Manhattan Center and how crammed that was, you mean then they, you mean the Elks Lodge? The Elks Lodge, excuse me. I mean, uh, you can do it from the Elks Lodge and how crammed that was. You can do it from Webster Hall. You know. Because, I mean, you watch those Elslaw shows, there's hardly any room between the ring and the fans. <laughs> I mean, it's a very, very small space to walk around. But anyway, yeah, so they went out and just and, and went to war, so. Yes. And? There's that. And we'll have the results coming up. We got more notes, but go ahead. On top of everything but, else, one thing that was kind of cool is you have the BWO give them the shirts with the bit that they're BWO Japan. And then Kai and Tai just runs with it. 
Yes. They take it to Japan. <laughs> yes. They love it. And then when they do the Hanzo Nakajima heel turn to join Kayantai, they set it up by teasing. He does a run in on a masks, but the tease is that he's going to be, instead of NWO Sting, BWO Japan Tiger Mask. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, too, is that, uh, I mean, NWO was already, you know, huge in New Japan. So why not? You know? Yes. Why not? All right. I know you'll be shocked to hear this. Shane Douglas blew out his knee and had surgery this past week. He came out on crutches and claimed he tore his groin in an intense workout with Francine, which has been as a joke. You know, really rough sex. That apparently some people took seriously. Don't know when to be my action. <laughs> yeah, I tore my groin. Fucking! <laughs> Thanks, Larry King. <laughs> Shane Douglas and injuries. Mm. How does his body just fall apart? It just falls apart, like you said. Like it's. You know, we were talking about Ahmed earlier in the WWF section. Ahmed, I think, was a mix of clumsy and unlucky. Shane just falls apart. It's crazy. <laughs> it really is. Like, what happened to him? Has he, like, he's talked plenty about his drug issues. Has he talked about the injuries and if he has any idea why everything just went to hell in, like, a year, year and a half? He probably has. He's done a lot of shoots, so he yeah. probably has. But, um, yeah, I mean... He he had a hard, I mean he had a hard time this time period and and the worst timing too, the absolute worst timing. Yes, because he just had the best year of his career as a performer. Yes, and he's about to be the world champion again, and you know become the 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 face of the company in a way, and this shitty ass timing. The paper first pay per views coming up, yeah. you know. And you know what? I gotta think, even though he's coming off this injury and stuff, I don't think anyone expected him and Pitbull 2 to have as bad a match as they did, right? No. Because Durante was considered the worker of the Pitbulls. He was always considered a very solid worker. You know, he had contributed very well to, you know, the previous Douglas matches weren't blow away or anything. They were fine. But, you know, he had the great match with Jericho. He played his role well in the four-way, you know, TV title switch. Like, he had been doing well as a singles. It's not like he'd been stinking up the joint. No. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to go out there and, you know, have the world's greatest matches or anything, but it, it, it was going to do what it needed to do to get over. He was capable, and with the right opponents, he could have really, really good matches. Yeah, but... It it's all goes back to Shane breaking down, you know, and how all that played out. So, yeah. All right, Taz turned to action, beating Scott Taylor on both nights. Taylor's been offered jobs with WFWCW and ECW. He's a New England indie guy who's done WF jobs for years and is a good worker. <laughs> yes, Scotty, too hotty. You mean newly returned to the indie, Scott Taylor? Yeah, but I'm just saying it's crazy that you know that he's having this renaissance here 25 years later, and then he had interest from all three companies too, which 
I know he was a standout indie wrestler, but well, to bring him in, you know, as a uh, as a guy. I mean, that he wasn't going to be pushed, as we saw when he went to OEF until you know but, uh, the Rikishi thing went happened. You know, if Rikishi doesn't hook up with those guys, then they don't get over as, much, as well as they do. No, um, but it's also interesting how. I think WWF made a mistake in not just... They should have just tried to do, like, a modified version of that era's developmental deal. They should have just paid him to work indies to be off TV for a while. Because once he was signed, he was not nearly far enough removed from being a job guy. Well, it's like, not like him and Brian... I mean, him and Brian Chris were taken seriously anyway, Bix, so, you know... No, I mean, even before that... I mean, they were giving the quasi-gay gimmick anyway, so... No, 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 I'm saying that even before that, like, when they started using him as a light heavyweight and stuff... But that's... Yeah, but that, they're, they're not pushing that hard. No, but my point is, is that... It, it, it's too far removed... It's not far removed enough from him being a jog, but it feels like you're just making it, you know, the jobberweight title. Now, he's not the only reason for that. You know, you had Eric Shelley randomly thrown in the light heavyweight tournament and stuff. Well, that's what I'm saying. They weren't treating it seriously, so it really didn't matter. Yeah, no, I guess so. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, they weren't treating it seriously. I mean, they they were just trying to fill that out. Yeah. So, that's all that mattered to them. They couldn't care who was in it. So, just trying to find guys uh, that, uh, you know, fit the bill, so to speak. All right, other newcomers this weekend were Michinoku Pro Wrestlers Wellington Wilkins Jr., who worked as Beef Wellington, not to be confused with a Calgary wrestler, worked a few matches with this group with the same ring name. See, there's your confusion, Bix. And Lenny Lane from Minnesota, along with all of Japan's Bobby Duncan Jr. It's the fact that he worked as Beef Wellington here in the States. It's what confused these wrestling well, websites. and sometimes on Michinoku Pro tapes, they would have graphics that had all caps beef in English next to his name. I know, but I'm saying he worked in the States as Beef Wellington. Yes, in a promotion where Shane Brower had already worked as Beef Wellington. Yes. So you can see these results aggregating sites would get confused. Yes. The worst one I saw recently was... I was I was looking something up in some old results that had, like, uh, Rosie appearing as Maddie Smalls or something. And I clicked his profile on Cage Match. Someone worked K Dojo as Chemo last year, and despite Matt and I being dead for over four years, um, they added oh, it to God. his profile. Oh, oh, that's terrible. I mean, that, that's the that might be the most egregious one I've ever seen. Where's the quality control there? Let yes. me talk about last John. I mean. Where is the quality control for that? How does that happen? Excuse me, Bauer, not Brower. I don't know why I thought it was Brower, but Shane Bauer is, is uh, Biff Wellington. God, how does that happen? You, you would think there would be something in the database that w if you have a date of death, you couldn't put in anything after the date of death. Well, I guess not. You know, I think our German friends need to tweak their uh, code a little bit. Yeah. Tommy Rich was in for the weekend and will likely end up as a heel manager, possibly for either uh, Scott Taylor or Bobby Duncan Jr. Well, close. <laughs> He's a manager, but he becomes Italian, Dave. So. Nashville, Italy. Now, what if Bobby, Bobby Duncan Jr. joined the FBI? Oh, that would have been a hoot. 
<laughs> Roberto Duncan <laughs> from Dallas, Italy. <laughs> hey, the Italian had the, sp- had the spaghetti westerns, so there you go. I still can't believe that Tommy hasn't hooked up with anyone, like a pro wrestling tease or someone, to sell Tommy Rich Italian flags. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's a lost opportunity. Could you imagine, especially if he works AIW again, and he had a gimmick table with those? Well, doesn't Game Changer have their merch now? Their own little deal? Well, I don't think he's worked for them, but... Well, he worked the Wombat show. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's right. Which Tony Deppin was on Twitter openly campaigning to be brought back. So Yeah, they only did the two, right? Yeah. So yeah, why not why not bring that back and have Tommy on the show and uh sell the Italian flags and honor Tracy too. So do that. Alright, M. Webster, back to the shows on February 14th. Steven Richards tried to get Tommy Dreamer a BWO shirt, but Dreamer wouldn't take it. Steven didn't try to kick Tommy, but ended up kicking Raven in a tag match. Richards walked down on Raven, leaving him to be pinned by Dreamer in the Sandman. I just watched this same scenario happen on a show, uh, house show two weeks earlier. So they, they were doing this at the house shows. Um, Tommy worked later, Tommy Rich worked later against Dreamer, and Beulah gave Tommy Rich a low blow, leaning to the pin. Luis Piccoli went to no contest with Bo Ray Dudley in a match where Spike Dudley, as a babyface, and Devon Dudley as a heel ran in. Spicoli ended up taking a brutal chair shot. Eliminators won the main event with Killer Kowalski in their corner, beating Brian Lee and Chris Candido. They teased a spot of putting Kowalski through a table, but Perry Saturn saved him and threw Lee through a table. The crowd was held down because a local priest confused ECW with EFC. Guaranteed that won't be in the first or last time that happens. And complain vocally about why they were letting in that group that was banned in New York State. Ah, Bix. How many, how many times we talk about this, you know, we, when this story comes up, about the word extreme and how that just drove people nuts? And as Joey Styles says later in the year, oh, where was it? Was it an online radio show or was it on Get in the Ring? I remember hearing him somewhere mention, well, if we had to do it over again, we wouldn't have named our first show Barely Legal. Yeah. Not the smartest move, but, I mean, this is ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous how something like this happens, you know? Shouldn't championship wrestling be a hint? <laughs> uh, all right, the results of this show. Which is this a reason why they drew 300 fans? You know? Probably was the reason that this priest probably went out there and scared people away. Amazing. Well, you know what? Actually, okay. Um, have we done the week before? Um, uh, let me look. Because there is an article. I, no, I, I know we haven't. I know we haven't. No. Okay. I mean, I don't know if we'd read it then, but I I, found, I searched out of curiosity. There is a broadcasting cable article from February third that talks about request finally booking the pay-per-view date which wait well i mean we we did feb no we didn't do february 3rd we done this through the 29th of january well okay so. let me read this quote though from request president hugh panera um uh while combat sports have been at the center of controversy for their violent content request tv president hugh panero says ecw is different because it isn't real what we found out was that this is not a combat sport like Ultimate Fighting, says Panero. It's a theatrical wrestling event, except more extreme. 
Uh, when Request TV was first approached to distribute the event, the company didn't accept immediately because executives were confused over whether the event was real or scripted. What this is is an R-rated wrestling event, Panera says. People watch it for the same reason they like going to the movies. It's not like people believe Jean-Claude Van Damme is really a spy just because he plays one in the movie. And they talk about the later start time and all that. And then... Uh, where do we have MMA mentioned here? Oh, but the future of the more controversial Ultimate Fighting events may not be so easy. The New York State Legislature is considering two bills regarding the events. One calls for statewide ban, while the other leaves the decision up to local governments. Governor George Pataki in October signed a bill legalizing Ultimate Fighting. New York City Mayor Rudolph Giuliani has been vocal in his opposition to the events and hopes to ban an Ultimate Fighting event scheduled for March 28th in Manhattan. Another Ultimate Fighting event, dubbed Judgment Day, is planned February 7th in Niagara Falls. Wait, March 28th? I don't think... Because Manhattan was going to be MSG, and from what we've always heard about the plan, that's it wouldn't have been that soon, right? It was going to be do Buffalo, then do Niagara Falls... Then do Nassau Coliseum, and if all goes well, you go to the Garden. So I'm intrigued by it saying that there was a March 28th show booked in Manhattan for UFC. But yeah, that it, it just it, it dogged them. Even like it, request though saying that that's got to be bullshit. They saw tapes. <laughs> it's the word. It's all it is. The word. One word. Uh, yeah. Now. Paul couldn't have known at the time that he no could see something and have something like that in the future, but no, it's not his fault. I didn't say it was his fault. It's just the way everything fell. Well, also, I think it is an even that EFC is the number two company and has that name, Extreme Fighting. I think it's specifically that EFC were the ones who basically ruined everything for UFC in New York. Yeah. Which we've talked about before, that, you know, they either unaware of or defying the deal that SEG had with the state government, they decided that they were just going to run at, uh, I think it was the Brooklyn Armory, and go up to New York City right away. Yeah. Still just such stupid politics and everything, though. The fact that it was voted in overwhelmingly. And then the Times ran an op-ed against it, and everyone changed their minds. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it goes. All right, uh, results from Webster. Taz over Scott Taylor, two stars. Little Guido over Chris Chatty, star and a half. Axel Rotten over Spike Dudley, three-quarters a star. Wellington Wilkins Jr., Beef Wellington over Lenny Lane, star and three-quarter. Then we had the mention of Caprice, six-man, four and a half stars. Tommy Dreamer and Sandman over Raven and Richards, two stars. Sabu over Devod, two and three quarter stars. Bobby Duncan Jr. and Balls Mahoney, star and a half. Tommy Dreamer over Tommy Rich, no stars. No rating at all. Lewis McCoy, no contest but Ray Dudley, no rating. Rob Van Dam or Pitbull, one, three stars. And then Eliminators, Chain Tag Titles, meaning Lee and Candido, no star rating listed there. How about Killer Kowalski uh, doing an angle here on this show with ECW, huh? At this point in time in ECW's history. He's had an interesting few days. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it's this is the day after Thursday, Raw Thursday, Bix. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically 24 hours. Yeah. 
I wonder where he, I wonder that which drug you see he saw you know more of uh, Shawn Michaels. Uh, I mean the effects affects drug use. Shawn Michaels on Thursday or Thursday or this ECW show. You're asking who would be more loaded at the time, Shawn Michaels or the entire ECW locker room? <laughs> the scary thing is that I I can't come up with an answer to that. <laughs> yeah. All right, in Revere, Pitbulls and Tommy Jerry beat Brian Lee, Chris Candido, and Raven. And Limiters beat Sebo and Rob Van Dam in the top two matches. The rest of the card, Balls and Honey, Nassau Rock with no contest with Nova and Meanie. Guido over Chris Chatty, Taz over Scott Taylor, Spicoli over Bobby Duckman Jr., Sandman over Devon. Then the Mitchell Noku Pro Six Man, Bubba over Spike, Jeremy Pitbulls over Raven, Lee, and Candido, and then Limiters over Sebo and Van Dam in the tag title match. So, yeah. In, in the stretch run for Barely Legal here. And uh, that's pretty good stuff going on when you watch these shows. So, there's that. Yes, although it does include maybe the worst angle and certainly the back, worst backstage segment in ECW history where Raven cuts the promo about his abusive father and then Terry finds oh, and then starts yes. asking him if his father molested him. Yes, 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 that was it. And Terry Fox not booked on this show. The Russell. No. But he's there. Is Webster where they take that? That I Revere. think it was Revere. Okay. I just remember because I had... When did I... Was this when they started maybe on Channel 31? I guess. I just remember watching that and being like, what the heck is going on? Because also, yeah. like, even setting aside the content, like... Just his tone, Terry didn't come off like a baby face. It was, it was really strange. Very weird. Especially for two guys who would expect to know better. Yeah, it's very, very weird. ECW debuts in Pittsburgh on March 30th and also have a date next few weeks in Trenton, New Jersey and planning on returning to Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania as well. Well, at least Shane can do his local promotion while he's hurt. Well, it's amazing that it took that long for them to go to West Pennsylvania. Yes. I'm also curious what led to them going away from the Flagstaff for a while, too. Uh, who knows? Trenton is also interesting just because it's so close to Philly. Yeah. You know, it's just right over the river. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, this is from The Torch. These last two things are from The Torch. Raven, Sandman, and Todd Gordon were guest bartenders along with local Philadelphia athletes including Flyers players on February 11th. The event was a benefit for the Variety Club, which Gordon is a part of. Several Flyers were big fans of ECW and wanted to come to the shows and wear Sandman t-shirts under their jerseys in the future. Hmm. Don't know if that happened or not, but it sounds fun. And also that's why the first few uh, big uh, TWA shows were Variety Club benefits. Yes. One more thing. and then there's this. There was he- a bit of heat from some fans on Paul Heyman for not mentioning Eddie Gilbert in his speech about the history of ECW at the last ECW Arena show. Yeah, that's <laughs> not great. Oh, me. Eddie's I, dead and gone, for God's well, sake. So yeah, you know, let it let, mention him. Well, that's where I'm going with this. Good Lord. Is this Paul using, like, the Dennis Heat as a reason not to mention Eddie? It's so stupid. I mean, Eddie Gilbert was extremely important to that company getting where they're at now. Yes. 
And especially since, you know, especially now that Eddie's been gone for a couple years. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, a, you know, it's almost a two-year anniversary of that. So, I mean, it is, yeah. I mean, good. Well, because also, because, like, as history has really shown, I think, Paul did not actually do anything wrong in terms of Eddie. It was Todd. It was, yes. I mean, now, obviously, we get why Eddie, especially in the state he was in at the time, felt like he was being betrayed, but... But, but Paul didn't... <laughs> Paul didn't, you know... <sighs> he didn't help himself, let's put it that way. Hmm. So there's that. Now there is the also the other thing where even though like he credits Eddie with helping mentor him as a booker, he is weirdly like he he does take like weird little digs when he talks about Eddie these days too. Like that whole thing when he was on Austin show years ago and he was like, "Oh, there's no such thing as an Eddie Gilbert angle. Lots of bookers have signature things. There's which is like, but there are like." Especially, I think the big one is, like, the format-breaking style angles. Like, they, you know, really ran into the ground in Triple H's NXT with, you know, the copyright logo showing and then doing the angle after. That's Eddie Gilbert. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it, okay? Who was one of Triple H's closest confidants? Terry Taylor. Who was tight with Eddie Gilbert? Eddie, uh, Terry Taylor. There you go. <laughs> I mean, so there you go. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go to the Smoky Mountain. Well, also, who's been working as a coach and producer in NXT for most of that period and is a massive Eddie Gilbert fan? Steve Carino. Yes. Tennessee Mountain Wrestling in Johnson City on Valentine's night. We have Brian Wayne over George Youngblood. Mongolian Stomper. Won a handicap match over Dr. Dan, Night Train, and The Orderly. And as we said before when he came up, not that Dr. Dan. Well, uh, of course not. Mike Powers over J.D. Sullivan. James Blevins over somebody as a spoiler. Chris Steelheart and Eddie Golden over David Jericho, Kid Cash, and Ricky Rocket. And then our main event, what a match this is. Dirty White Boy and Dirty White Girl over Buddy Landell and Terry Landell. <laughs> Now, that's a match. Is Terry Landell the poor man's Paulie or the rich man's Paulie? <laughs> I'd say he's a rich man's Paulie. Okay. Southern States Wrestling, Fall Branch, Bo James on Valentine's Night. You had Danny Christian and Johnny Thunder over Alan King and Rich Mansfield, not the comedian Alan King. Ricky Harrison over G Dog. Eddie Bruiser over Mike Sampson, Dan Cooley over Lynn Montana, and your main event, Ricky Morton, the War Machine, and Bo James over the Hornet, Frank Parker, and Roger Anderson. Hmm. Very SSW show there. Then we go to NCW. That's Steve Martin. The uh, this is Wildside, the original, you know, promotion that birthed Wildside NCW. But they before ran before they moved to Georgia. Oh yeah, this is when they're Carolinas. Yeah, they ran Play World Two. In Asheville, North Carolina, February 12th. We have Rusty Riddle over Steve Skyfire. That's uh, Jason Jett. Easy money. Easy money. Kid Dynamo over Rip Michaels. Kid Dynamo Bix. A very young Shannon Moore. And boy, is there not a match. I Is there a match in 1997 that sounds creepier on paper than Shannon Moore versus Rick Michaels? <laughs> I ain't saying nothing. Rick Savage over Champagne. First name Cham, last name Payne. 
David Jericho, Greg Ka- Kid Cash, went to a time limit draw with Willow the Wisp, managed by the Duke of New York, Al Getz. Kid Jeff Cash Hardy. versus Jeff and Hardy it, with Al Getz at ringside. Yes. Is that, that's a hell of a match on paper, though. Yep, and then you had the Iceman go to a no contest with Casey Thunder with Cal Grog in his corner, and then V-Force, Surge and Venom, Matt Hardy and Jason Arndt, Joey Abs over the beautiful blondes, Andy Golden and Stan Lee. Wow. There you go. That's a card. Yeah, uh, Bo James is uh, sometimes business partner, Stan Lee. Yeah. So, so there's your card there. Yeah, interesting kind of halfway between your Omega and your other stuff, basically, for Carolina Indies at this point. Yeah. Yes. But one thing I'll say from the older NCW that's out there, even before they moved to Georgia, it did kind of have the feel that Wildside would have later on, the look and feel of it. Well, the early Wildside, yes. I mean, Steve Martin had his Steve Martin style, and that's how early Wildside was. Actually, when I think about it, I'm surprised that he hasn't put up any of the older NCW on YouTube, right? He only has uh, the Wild Side Era and Anarchy, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. I wonder if he doesn't have the tape anymore. Maybe not. All right, now let's go to the USWA. No longer with Dave Brown and Corey Macklin by this point. Uh, well, Lance is back, though. Yeah, and, and Lance has a special guest, which we'll talk about in a minute. All right, crowds have been hovering around the 350 mark on Thursdays in Memphis, but they moved to Sunday afternoon on February 9th, and the crowd was nearly tripled. Hmm. On that show, Elijah, Spellbinder, a.k.a. Del Rios, captured the USWA title from Brian Christopher. We have no results of this show. So that's the only result we have. Yeah, nothing, nowhere. Uh, I checked the newsletters and the results sites. Nothing. All right, um... So TV during our week here on the 15th was uh, WWF day, so to speak. Lance Russell. Well, let's let's well, let's start the first of the show. All right. So Lance Russell is uh, doing the opening of the show, talking about what's going on. And um, there is a special guest in the audience that he wants to acknowledge that some of you may know as well. So let's go to the beginning of the show and let's watch this. everybody lance russell right along ringside ready to go with another big day i'm talking about uswa championship wrestling and what a match we have got lined up in just a moment a southern a tag team this might be the most out of sync youtube video i've ever seen in my life oh i've seen worse <laughs> oh i've seen worse okay i've seen uh oh i've seen uswa tag team title match we'll tell you about it in a moment so big that we have a couple of special guests that are with us today. They're here all the way from England. We've got Michael Brannigan and John Lister. Where are they? You guys stand up over there. Okay, came all the way from Manchester, England, and from Preston, England. Thanks a lot for... Is he wearing a Pillman shirt? (laughs) How about that hair? Yeah, they both got some New Jersey indie worker hair. Oh, my God. They, I mean, they got, no, I wouldn't say that. They they look like members of Jeff Tall in the 70s. With us. In addition to that, we have our old friend Bundy. Gorilla mascot. 
Bundy the Gorilla from Fun World at Duplo is right here with us, and we appreciate you being here today. Bundy, we'll be seeing more of you a little later on. Let me get right into it and tell you. All right. Shall I read from uh, John's book real quick, Slamthology? His first book, technically. Sure. Go ahead. All right. Uh, let me make sure I'm looking at the right part. Now, real quick, John was on with us on the show we did for the week after this week, talking about his experience on on that show. So there's that, but go ahead. Yes, yes, he did talk about that, but it was, it start. so it, wait, it started with the, so yeah, this is the last day of our week. So yeah, then we, he talks about Final Four and I think some of the USWA shows as well. That he sees yeah. along the loop while he's in in the South. All right. Uh, let me find the right part here. Because they're... I think it was just some, one of the producers heard their accents. Um, after checking Man and Myself were in focus and checking our names and hometowns by amazing coincidence, a cameraman originally uh, came from one of the many other Prestons across England. Huh. The producer introduced Lance Russell, who got a standing ovation uh, Legend Deserves. Luckily, he didn't start telling the Brian Pillman story. I forget what that was. Uh, Pillman, Pillman, Pillman was on TV the previous week as a guest. Okay. And did some type of angle. Uh, you know, producer counted down. Okay, so after they showed the intro... Lance ran down the card, then as the director cut to a close-up of our fine selves, the man who's introduced every great name from Jackie Fargo to Tatanka um, said that the opening match was so important, quote, we've got a couple of special guests who have come all the way from England, John Lister from Preston, ha, huh, take that, Stevenage, I've turned my back on you, and Michael, who's Matthew, actually, Doe, Brannigan from Manchester. Let's give them a warm welcome. So let's recap here. Lance Russell, that's Lance Russell, has just introduced us by name on Memphis television and 100 fans are giving us a standing ovation. Forget Finn's editing in Power Slam. I don't care if this does make me sound unprofessional. This was truly the greatest moment in my entire life. <laughs> it's Jimmy Hart. <laughs> and I love that it's they decided, oh, we have two guys from England. Let's say it's they came specifically to see the very important USWA tag team guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a world title, Bix. Of course. Yeah. They should have. They should have had them as like the USWA representatives from England. Well, no, they'd be representing the Global Wrestling Federation. <laughs> they could have been in the ring uh, reading a proclamation or some shit. No, no, John, John, and Matthew were the English lords, actually. <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's continue as Lance does the intro. Is this going to lead into uh, some shenanigans as we go along? Okay, you don't want me to skip straight to the other thing? Just go ahead, just go ahead and let it start, and then just let it flow. All right. What we we'll have look. got going. We have as an opening match, this is a USWA tag title match. The Challengers, where have you heard names like this before in our opening tag title match? The King Jerry Lawler. The superstar, Bill Dundee, challenging the Nation of Domination champions, Wolfie D and J.C. Ice, the title will be on the line. In addition to that, we'll be seeing for the first time the South African Truth Commission will be in here, and they will be oh boy. super hysteria and Stephen Dunn, 
You've also got coming back Ken Wayne teaming with Mike Samples, and they'll be going against Flash Flanagan and Billy Travis. Bobby Bolton will be facing King Reginald. And as a final match, all the way from the WWF coming in, the Brooklyn Brawler will be here to challenge Brian That's right. Christopher. <laughs> Is that some kind of show lined up for this very day? We are uh -oh. looking forward to it. We've got plenty. By the way, especially for someone of a previous generation, how great does Lance look for someone who's almost 71 here? I mean, Lance is, I mean, look, this, look how enthusiastic he is. And yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, he's awesome here. He didn't really start aging in a big way until he was closer to 80. Yeah. ...of action in the ring and whatever else. I don't know. I mean, Lance was exactly the same as he did. I think the horses could yeah. come to the post here any moment. Uh, you yeah. might know. With King Reginald King with Queen. Reginald. Reggie, come on now. What? By the way, I hate how the Selker era shows have all this god-awful generic music. Well, no, no, well, Lawler was using that music before the Selkers. Still. That was, that was something that Lawler was using in 95, 96. Okay. Yeah, before the suckers. He's basically using lawless oh, pizza. Let me, I tell you what, let me have a seat, man, so everybody can see my pretty face, me and Queen. I got something I want to tell you. I'm not sure that we need to have you having a seat out here. Nobody invited you. You're a little early. You've got a match coming up later in the show, Reggie. Say your breath, brother. Let me tell you something. How come I can't be out here this week? You had the old king out here. You had the old king out here hosting the show. Don't put Look, yourself with, in his category. Out with the old and in with the new. I'm the new king. I'm going to sit here and host the show with you today. What about yeah, huh? I'll tell you what about that. What about that, that you low buddy? Y'all would like that, wouldn't you? I tell you, we'd better <laughs> we'd better have a little consultation about that. You're out here with Queenie, and uh, no invitation was extended to. I made my King own invitation. Ray. I know you did. Well, I tell you what, we're gonna do. We're gonna take time out with more action coming up. We'll be back in just a minute. Wait a minute. Moment. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not going nowhere. Oh, here comes Lawler. Reginald or Reggie be fine. You're no king as far as I'm concerned. It takes a king to know a king, and I don't know you, Reggie. Do you understand it? Yeah, make sure. Let me tell you something. Why don't you just take a hike? Because if all you are doing is coming out here to provide a little bit of class for the show, you got a lot of class, but it's all low, Reggie. And as far as that, uh, I'm not even going to say exactly what she is on your arm. If we want somebody to look good on the show, Lance, if you need somebody to co-host the show with you. I didn't invite him. Oh, you didn't invite him? I didn't invite him. Well, that's good. Because you are now uninvited, and I'm going to invite somebody very special to come out here and sit beside you that will look good on the show to provide a little class. None other than all the way from the World Wrestling Federation. How about a welcome for Sonny?
standing next to the king of Memphis. Now, this is uh, old Banana Nose here, so uh, keep an eye on him if you can. <laughs> you know what? Hey, let me tell you something. Look at this. This is a seat, a throne truly befitting a real queen. Sonny, would you mind taking your place right there? Uh, thank you so much. We've got a microphone right here that you can use, too. Uh, Sonny Bear. Hey, I like this. You know what we need? We need the king up in the ring because, Sonny, we're opening up with one great match. This one's going to be a USWA tag title match. Pardon me for... All right. Now, by the way, like this isn't the only week Sonny's there. And from the stuff I've seen, her and Lance actually made a pretty good team. Yes. Yeah. I mean, because she's not playing Sonny. No, she took it seriously. She's Tammy. Yeah, she's just yeah, she's being Tammy and working as his color, color commentator. Yeah, and she's she's not really she's not playing face or heel or doing shtick or nothing like that. She probably was having a time of her life. Well, yes, <laughs> because Chris. I mean, Chris is a big Memphis fan. You know, when coming coming along, and she was too. Yeah, people forget. People forget. You, I mean, when we did we're doing cover to cover on a regular basis, you know, doing going through the magazines and stuff. Tammy Sitch is a letter writer in the after magazines in the 80s. <laughs> right. Quite I, a few. I feel like people know that by now, but yeah, you know, like she's she's not just someone who was Chris's girlfriend and started coming to shows. She became she and Chris met at shows where she was a fan. Yes. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, so she's probably I mean, having the time of her life here because it's Lance Russell and Memphis Studio Wrestling and that's a big fucking deal to people in this era, you know? Yep. So, um, so anyway, Sonny in there, and Lance is all excited about that. You know, so there's that. All right, um, we have another angle here. We're going to flash forward during the show as, um, you know, King Reginald has Queenie, Queen Nikki, and uh, they're getting ready to try to do something with her and Sonny. So let's fl- flash forward later in the show where, uh, we have a little confrontation here. 1.30 out at the big one, and we are looking forward to a great Oh, trip. I hope I can make it. I hope I can get the day off from the World Wrestling Federation. Let me tell you one thing. That trumpet means that King Reginald, is, he was supposed to be out here this time. Earlier in the show, he made his presence without Those any... Those strip club mirrors on this era of USWA TV are so weird. weird. <laughs> relax, relax, brother. You gonna make your pacemaker act up. Relax, okay? Take it yeah, I'm relaxed, Hey, you know what? I am real mad. You, you know, I was in the back, man, watching the money. I was laughing. Jerry Lawler remind me of the old Jerry Lawler. Jerry the loser Lawler. You see him laying flat on his back three minutes ago, didn't he? Yeah, I saw. <laughs> he reminded me of the old king. You know what I mean? Uh, where did you come from? You jumped in here and got involved in the match. Don't be standing here and thinking we're dumb enough not to know that. Don't get your eye checked, brother. That wasn't none of me. But anyway, check this out. Look, I got a title match with that fool coming up. They make it look. I had to pull up my throne in order to get a title match. You know what? Only thing I'm missing is that go around my waist, you understand? See, next two, three, four, five weeks from now, whenever it may be, I'm going to be sitting right there in that chair with the belt and my crown and this beautiful cape I got on. Oh, you got the cape. You got the crown. You don't have any belt, and you have, for the moment, a throne over here, but that's going to be up against that belt. All right, enough about me. What about Queen? What about this Queen? And let me say something. I know I smell something. It sounds like some New York garbage, you understand? Excuse me? Look, look. Look, she ain't got no business out here. (laughs) 
Look, we, look, we, look, look, look. Hey, you must don't know who I am. I don't know who I am. You must don't know who I am. Oh, I don't know who you are. Look, first of all, what's the proper king. English? Look, I'm the new king. Queen, I'll tell you what, baby. Look, this lady right here makes you look like a, a mud hole. Look, man, you met a real queen sit out here talking about that girl ain't got no business out here. No, what's, what's her name? Cloudy. Oh, Sonny. Wow. Queen, I'll tell you what, Queen. Why don't you do me a favor, love? Why don't you take care of this low budget for me? Why don't you beat up one on out of here for me? Take care of her for me. I can take care of that, Queen. Hang on a second. That's the true Queen. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. You think that she can come out here and be the Queen of not only the USWA, but the World Wrestling Federation and every other wrestling company in the entire world? You think she... Could you throw me as the first lady of professional wrestling, honey? I don't know. I don't know. Hold on a second, thinking, Sonny. I know it. Maybe your days are long gone because the new queen is in town now. Hold on a second. I have been in with the best of them. I've been in the ring with Sherry Martell. I've been in the ring with Medusa Michelli. I've been in, ring, in the ring with more people than you can even name, honey. Yeah, but maybe you, you haven't came across Queen Nikki yet because I will pull out. Every strip of that bleach blonde hair, baby, and you won't know what hit you. Why don't you just take it all out of here? Nobody is fighting. I can take you. on She's any man in this building with one swift kick, and I'm still the queen of the World Wrestling Federation and all of professional. Maybe you probably didn't take on every man, but I don't need to take on a man, baby, because I will pop them falsies for you right now. Okay, hey. We don't need any of that kind of conversation out here. Reggie, you're the one that got all this started. You know, this two-bit tramp is just like 7-Eleven, open all night, and I ain't got the time for you, honey. <laughs> hey, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing out here. Let me just say this. You see her standing here. I see you standing there. You look froggy. If you feel froggy, why don't you just jump on her? Go ahead. Huh? Well, come on. <laughs> I can take care of her. No, no, let no. me tell you something. She don't Reggie. scare me one bit. Reginald, King Reginald. Let me Reginald. tell you something, Reggie B. Fine. King Reginald. When I get through with you next Saturday, you came out here, you pulled your little stunt a few minutes ago, but when I get through with you next Saturday, I will be sitting on that throne right there. I will still have the USWA and the Unified World title, and I will take that cheap 25-cent crown off of your head, and I'll send you right back to the project that you came out of. You understand that, Reggie? Man, like I said, I think she's ready, willing, and able anytime you are. I tell you what, well, look, I'm, I got, I'm, I'm gonna make a phone call. Come on, come on, baby, we're gonna make a phone so call. We're gonna take care of her. I bet she don't make it back to New York. I See, there's one difference well. here, Harry. There's one difference. She's gonna walk around and strut whatever cheap stuff she has, where I have the power of the brain and the power of the mouth, and I don't need to even be in the same room with her. Thanks for coming out, Joe. We're gonna be back in just one moment. We've got more action for you. Lots of it. Sonny, that uh, uh, we're tickling uh, to see together because what a segment! <laughs> oh man, see, Sonny should have been in stuff like that in WF. <laughs> you know, yeah, because I mean, it's kind of insane with hindsight that they did. She had no other valet feud to feud with at any point. I mean, it's insane that they didn't use her to her to her maximum potential there. I, I, I guess it, you know, it got to the point where 
once she got the AOL thing and all that stuff, that's all that she became then from then on. It's she's just eye candy now. That's all we need her for. We'll ever come out and be guest referee or guest ring announcer. Right. And and I think it was also that it's like, God, fans like her because she's hot. Can't be a heel anymore. I mean, we just I mean, we're st- she still could be a baby face like this. Yes. It's like she doesn't have a personality anymore. She's just tits and ass. Well, also, they should they they easily could have and should have kept using her as an announcer after they changed what shotgun was going to be. Because her her dynamic on commentary is honestly one of the highlights of that original run of shotgun shows. Yes, like she was very good at it. Yes, she was good here on the show with Lance. I mean. They dropped the ball so much with her. So much. And that probably contributed a lot of her problems, too. I mean... That she was dependent on so much about how she looked. That's what they That's what they were obsessed with, rather than her other talents that she had. Which, I mean, I mean, some of those women they had come through there, that's all they had was their looks. Sable. Yeah, exactly. Tammy was so much more than that. So much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at Smokey, it's really only the beginning of her run there that it's even a factor where they kind of imply that that's how she got Brian Lee to turn. Yeah, but even that is just, it's still, it's totally different though because she's, it's just different. Yes, and no, it is, absolutely. And I just don't get why they didn't think they had anything else for her. And then, you know what? Based on what she said in interviews at the time, because boy, was she not shy as far as talking how she felt about Sable in this era. Um, Even in public. The impression I get from what she said in interviews back in the day, and she said since, and what others have said since, I think she absolutely felt... Like, another blonde came in with bigger fake boobs, and suddenly all the attention was taken away from her, and she was de-emphasized. Yeah. She was yesterday's news. She was she was yesterday's news at the ripe old age of uh, 25. Yeah. It's like she was in All Japan Women or something. You know? But for different reasons. Well, no, she's not. She's not going to be twenty five until December. Yes, yeah, but Sable though doesn't start getting real hot until ninety eight. But Sable's I mean, 90, 90, been... 97, 97 is when it starts. Yes, absolutely, is when it starts. But I mean, ninety eight is the year where everything just. Woof. But Sunny is also greatly de-emphasized starting early in the year. She but I think just also... turned twenty four. I think part of the Sunny problem, though, as well, was her, the heat she had on her. That was part of that problem, too, I think. You know, and it... You know what? Here's the thing with that, though. In that era, before she had the drug issues, have we ever actually heard any specific stories of why all these guys in the locker room thought she was some quote-unquote huge bitch? Not really, but I think a lot you of you get where I'm going with this. Though, I know, right? I know, but I think the whole sunny days thing basically killed her. Y- yes, that did not help. So there's that. 
All right, speaking of WWF, the WWF sit in the team called the Truth Commission who are doing a gimmick that they are from South Africa. They are trying out the gimmick here first. The team consists of Barry Buchanan, formerly the Punisher of Smoky Mountain, and Sunset Sam McGraw in Georgia, and Mike Halleck, formerly Mantar in WWF, and Bruiser Mastino in Europe. They have a manager who is actually from South Africa, who is an actor from that country, who is friends with Bret Hart, that Bret worked with in doing a television series, Sinbad. Well, let's go to the Truth Commission here. They had their match, and uh, the Commandant and crew will be joining Lance and Sonny at the table. So let's go to this. Outside members couldn't rely on the two guys in the ring. Out goes the Oh, and by the way, for those of you who have never seen USWA Truth Commission or very early WWF Truth Commission, Mike Halleck is tank. Yeah, and Kurgan's on the floor. You can't miss him. Yeah, he's just wearing the same outfit as everyone else, but with a black mask instead of the beret. Yes. Again, we've done your 14,500 Here's something I noticed, too, um, with Commandant's half a promo there. Vince must have hated the genuine South African accent because it becomes more of just a generic international villain accent by the time he hits WWF TV. Yes. Here he sounds like a South African guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And, okay, how long is he around? Into the summer, I guess? Yeah, I mean, he's in the 97. Because I'm trying to... I can't find it on ProQuest. So I want to... I can't... I don't remember if this is while he's still there or after he stops appearing. My dad's reading one of the trades at work, and he didn't always bring them all home, but he brought this one home because there was an ad, I think, in Variety, and I'm not able to find it right now on ProQuest or anywhere like that, where WWF was basically doing a casting call... Look, look, looking for someone who was an actor who had martial arts experience and could speak Afrikaans and stuff like that, obviously to be a new manager for the Truth Commission. And I don't know how that casting call went or what, because then eventually they just go to Don Callis and he becomes the Jackal and is clearly not supposed to be South African. <laughs> He's just going to be a cult leader. Yes. The greatest work of Don Callis' career as well. As a manager, at least. All right, so um, I'm going to read these last two and come back to the last clip. Ken Wayne was also a television looking really heavy. 
And uh, Lawler and Dundee challenged Wolfie and Jamie for tag titles on TV. Reginald and Fear caused Lawler to get pinned, which happened earlier in the show. All right, Brooklyn Brawler at the TV main event um, against Too Sexy, Brian Christopher. Brian Christopher. Yeah. And um, there is a beatdown towards the end of the match where the nation comes in, comes in Reggie, uh, Wolfie and Jamie, and King Reginald's involved. And Brian gets some uh, kind of unlikely assistance from a old name from his past. So let's go to the clip. Come on. I think... Give him a little help. I, I think he wants... Oh, a light. Keep it going. Next Saturday at the Big One Expo is where we're going to be. Saturday, 1.30 in the afternoon. A great time, really, to bring the family out and really come along. Let me jump out here and uh, catch quickly with Brian Christopher in a short... Like I told you, I told you, you're messing with the wrong man. I told you, I was going to pick apart the NOD one by one. Tracy Smithers is gone. Spellbinder, you're next. Each and every one of you. Because I got a true friend right here. I got the best partner a man can ever want. The dangerous one himself. Doug Gilbert, baby. You know what, Lance Russell? What I've got is there some idiots over here holding these NOD shirts while I rip every single one of them apart just like that, like I'll do them. Let me tell you one thing, Lance Russell. Brian Christopher called me, see, he knows I'm a little bit crazy. He called me. I said, Brian, you have just called 911. What's going to happen, Lance Russell? The spellbinder thinks he's got some fire. So help me God, Brian. Oh, me, yeah. Yeah, fight fire with fire, baby. And baby, I'm going to give you every bit of fire you can have. Okay, Doug Gilbert, good to see him back. Sonny, thank you very much thank for being here. We love having you here. Please come back. Saturday, 1.30, the big expo, the big one out there. Till we see you. Bye-bye, everybody. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of USWA Championship Wrestling.
There we go. Now, All right, so yeah, Doug hadn't been around. Doug had Doug had been gone for a long time. He was working opposition, working for Ian, and he was running opposition at USWA in Louisville, and uh, he makes his return here, short return, but here he is. Yep, and I dug around more. I realized why I couldn't find that uh, variety ad at first, which ran in the July twenty first and August eleven issue. Excuse me, August eleventh issues, it's because the names Titan Sports and World Wrestling Federation are never mentioned. Okay. So, here's what it says. ACTOR, in all caps, and they have the comedy and tragedy masks and a curtain motif for the ad. And the variety classifieds. Global Sports Entertainment Company, gee, I wonder who that is, needs an award-winning seasoned actor to portray the role of bilingual English and Afrikaans, South African, for appearances at live venues domestically and internationally. Candidates must have, in addition to extensive on-stage experience, martial arts training, and a demonstrated appreciation and understanding of the wrestling business, please forward your resume to Human Resources Department, P.O. Box 3857, Stamford, Connecticut, 06902. I wonder who that is. Global Sports Entertainment Company, huh? Yeah, and they must and they 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 must uh, have some familiarity with the wrestling business too. Obviously, Stafford, Connecticut. It's interesting though that they say wrestling business, but they're still hesitant to put Titan Sports or World Wrestling Federation. Odd. Yeah, but um, there you go. So there's your USWA, and I did love at the end of the show where Sunny had had to come across the table and sit where the her her the skirt she was wearing had the big slit, so she sat where her leg was almost completely showing all the way, <laughs> showing off her leg. <laughs> Some of those young boys in the crowd were growing up that day in the studio, I guess. So there you go. Well, they'll grow up a lot more after SummerSlam. <laughs> all right, all pro wrestling. Hayward, California, rolling out Xander at the garage on February 15th. We have Mike Diamond over Boom Boom Kamini by count out. Aaron O'Grady over Steve Rizzono. Tony Jones over Jason Clay. Chicano Flame and Chris Cole over Kwame Kamosi and Jay Smooth. Frank Dalton over Michael Moss by disqualification. And then our main event, Universal Heavyweight title, Robert Thompson retained over Vic Grimes. You know, it's an early APW show if Vinny's not on it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. You know, you look at these these shows and look at all these names here, and they're, they're there for the long haul, you know? Rollins guys were always there. Yep. The ones, so, I guess, who would have the longest presence would be uh, Boom Boom Comedy. Well, Tony Rizzo- Jones. Yeah, Tony Jones, Steve Rizzono. Robert Chris Thompson. Cole, to a degree. Uh, Modest Thompson. Grime. Grimes would come back, right? Um, I don't know if he actually came back or not after he left to go to SPW. Yeah, I'm not he sure, may... actually, now that you say that. He may have, but... Um, and Dalton was in and out for a bit, too. Yeah. So, a lot of mainstays here. Yeah, but... So. He got a very early all-pro wrestling show. Mm-hmm. All right, let's close out with World Championship Wrestling. Just a few days before the World Wrestling Federation began its own generally weekly live primetime wrestling show, World Championship Wrestling is up the ante again. TBS, Ted Turner's original cable superstation, had basically got off the ground nearly two decades ago through Atlanta Braves baseball and George Championship Wrestling, had decided his future is to go back to his past. 
TBS will begin its own live two-hour primetime wrestling show at some point in the not-too-distant future, perhaps as early as the May sweeps. Oh, there's been heavily rumor within the industry about it being a Thursday night show, and the odds are probably better than it will be on Thursday than any other night. The decisions as to what night and when it will start will probably not be made for another few weeks. The idea of doing the show had just come up in the past week or two, and it was finalized by Eric Bischoff in a meeting with TBS on February 14th. The show would largely be funded by TBS with a weekly financial package that would make it basically impossible for WCW to be a losing money proposition at any time in the near future. Oh, just you wait. It is expected that WCW would now try to add talent rather than subtract in order to fill up four live hours plus five other taped hours between national major cable and syndication every week. The show will either air on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, or Friday on TBS. Obviously, Monday's out the window. Sunday would conflict with the pay-per-view shows, and Saturday already has its traditional show. Thursday's the most likely date because the other nights would have too many baseball preemptions during the summer. And that's exactly why. I mean, Thursday in Major League Baseball is always the lesser day. It has the least amount of games because you have teams that are traveling for the Friday, Saturday, Sunday weekend series. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it, you, you never have a full docket of Thursday games in Major League Baseball. So that would be the easiest night for them to work around to uh, have a wrestling show, another wrestling show on TBS. But of course, this brings up the obvious question of what point does oversaturation hit? It was largely believed in September 95 when Bischoff and Turner came up with what became Nitro, a primetime show that had head with Mr. Manson's testimony that raw that the competition would drive down both live attendance and preview buy rates for both companies. Plus, divide up a finite group of wrestling fans so both shows' ratings would be unimpressive. As history has shown, that turned out to be not to be the case. If anything, the addition of Nitro revitalized the wrestling industry that had largely been at a lull since a combination of scandals, weak booking, and inability to create new stars had taken it down several levels in 1992. The competition changed the entire face of pro wrestling booking. Long-term ideas, for the most part, were dropped based on constant changes both made to fool a public with more access to information and to win on Mondays. By loading up on established names in the past, creating new stars, particularly high flyers who are generally thought to only have a career internationally, and booking favorite quality matches on a weekly basis, Nitro held us on with Raw from the start. Combination was spent in two hours, introduction of Kevin and Scott Hall, both of which happened simultaneously in late May, then the WCW dominating the ratings for each and every Monday. If anything, the expansion only picked up live attendance even more. Both companies ran house shows far more successfully and profitably in 1996 and in several years. Both increasing attendance for the year, nearly 60%. As mentioned a few weeks back, my rank with WF actually increased on a per-show basis at a slightly greater margin than WCW. Which again, Feather and Shawn Michaels care. On pay-per-view, while WF buy rates and revenue decreased slightly in 96 as compared with 1995, even increasing the in-year house price tag from 1495 to 1995 and making the five-day pay-per-view events all at 2995. In 1995, WF ran 10 baby shows, averaging an estimated 1.8 million per event, while in 96, everyone in went, averaging an estimated 1.66 million. And buy rates did de- decline at an estimated 11%. And that's based 0.75 to 0.67. So there's your counter to your house shows. WCW slightly increased its buy rates, 0.63 to 0.64, while increasing from 9 to 10 pay per views in 96, increasing the per event revenue from an estimated 1.72 million per event to an estimated 1.8 million. So while but overall buy rates have declined slightly the past year and per event revenue has stayed about the same, the addition of Nitro has not had any significant negative effect, at least at this point, on that end of the business. So 
After more than 30 consecutive Monday Night Defeats, WF has upped the ante starting on February 17th with their own version of a live weekly show. WCW is responding by adding its own primetime show, which will go unopposed when it goes to wrestling competition. Although if it goes on Thursday nights against the NBC blockbuster lineup, it's hardly without entertainment competition. However, those same points are brought up when Bischoff started Nitro on Mondays. Think about how the combination of the NFL in the fall and WF every week will leave that show in the ratings dust. And all the points about overexposure were brought up, and to this point, haven't come to fruition. However, there is a saturation point in every entertainment industry, and we're quickly heading in this industry to a real-life night the line was crossed. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's coming. And, uh, you know, I mean, Eric Bischoff has said in all these interviews to this day that, you know, he was against this. He didn't want to do it. But uh, how can you turn it down? You know, how can you turn it down? I I also wonder about because it does seem like something where he is pretty honest, where his memory's decent. Like, why didn't he stick with the idea of Thunder having a distinct set of stars like he wanted? Well, that's where they made their mistakes. They should they, they should have been the, the that should have been the first brand extension, you know. Yeah. Thunder should have been its own own deal with their own stars. Absolutely. And you know what? It would have been easy on everybody if that was the case. Because then you don't have the guys that are working Nitro and Thunder that come in on Thunder and just are going through the motions. Thunder's their show. That's exactly what they should have did. And that would have been a way to split the NWO. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, how, how's that that we haven't thought about this or before? That's an angle they're anyway. Yeah, I mean, you go do an NWO Nitro. I mean, why not just have two NW and the two NWOs on the two on the separate shows? Yeah. So there's that too. I mean, and just think about how I mean, just think about how different everything is if they do that. You know, let's say you. I mean, yeah. all right, you bring Bret Hart. You bring Bret Hart in. Okay. How about you make Bret Hart the star of Thunder? That was the idea, He's theoretically. TBS, <laughs> TBS exclusive. Makes him special. You know? Yeah. There's, a, there's so much... That company, there's so much stuff that could have been done <laughs> in that company that probably would have kept it alive and would have changed wrestling forever. Mm-hmm. But no. It can't happen. But here we go. I mean, Thunder doesn't start until January 98. So we're here 11 months early with this, you know, basically being finalized in a way. So, yeah, there was definitely a long-term plan to do this. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. Um, now, what are your thoughts, again, on the business numbers we have here, the pay-per-view buy rates, you know, and compared to 95, 96, the house shows? What are your thoughts on on all that? I don't think it's particularly surprising or anything. Um, I think it mostly got hot. what we knew. Yeah. But WF was doing great at house shows. So. Yes, they were. Just not on pay-per-view and television. So what does that tell you? Hmm. I don't know. For this run, I don't know. <laughs> Because usually there's the whole house shows pick up first thing, but if that's what's going on here, then it takes quite a while for everything to turn around. Yeah. You know, so I guess sometimes it's 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 on the longer side, but, you know, it's still a good two plus years, so. Mm-hmm. 
All right, well, let's talk about another part involving TBS and the T in TBS. It's not exactly the best kept secret that Ted Turner supposed to appear in the March 3rd night show to fire a fish off. In fact, the story was not only released to WC, on WCB's own hotline, much to the chagrin of Kevin Sullivan, who was also thrilled with Mark Madden reporting on February 12th that he never had a conversation with Paulie dangerously. He did, and his angle with Nancy and Ben Wall was all work. It was also in the New York Daily News on February 13th, which goes to the torch. The, Feb- the New York Daily News ran a brief item on Ted Turner perhaps appearing on Nitro to fire a fish off. Being that Ted Turner will make a rare appearance on Monday Nitro, the wrestling show on TNT that promotes his WCW League. He's going to fire the announcer at Bischoff on the air. Wrestling upsets fans know Bischoff as the guy who launched a new world order, a league filled with bad guys and send-offs. Insiders say Turner's appearance means he wants to inject some excitement into the league to try and garner the same preview on live attendance numbers that competitor Vincent Man does for the WF. Well, isn't that interesting? Ted only beats Vince in TV ratings. And anybody who knows Ted knows he'd do just about anything to win. Even show up on TV and mock his mock fire his commentator. And for the record, this is in the hot copy uh, gossip column by AJ Benza and Michael Lewittis. The legendary AJ Benza, yes. <laughs> AJ Benza of disappeared from show business after suckering stuttering John fame. <laughs> oh, good old AJ Benza. So we, of course, covered that Nitro. And of course, Dr. Harvey Schurler was the one that did the appearance. And that was at the Omni? At the Omni, yes. Yeah. This other Ted would have showed up, but it, they, they didn't do that. But, but it uh, worked anyway, especially because the crowd knew who Schiller was. <laughs> yeah. But um, how about the line about wanting to beat the WF and uh, everything, but it, since they already beat the TV ratings, wanting to beat them in pay-per-view live attendance? Uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that's what Somebody, uh, someone in Stanford is, might be saying to them. Yeah. How about that? All right. More from the torch and more major media. Although the this is out starts... of our week. Well, it's the cover date is out of our week. You don't always know what this is. Yes. That's why I put it in here. The February 17th advertising age is at age, reported that Turner plans to begin a major campaign to add awareness to WCW's product. TNT this week launches an ad push for its WCW programming that aims to broaden WCW's popularity among the core 18 to 24 demographic by portraying it as hip entertainment. The campaign from Gray Entertainment New York pushes WCW Nitro block on TNT and will print ads in national consumer magazines as well as outdoor boards, commuter rail cars, bus shelter ads, and other postings in the top markets. It's our goal to extend wrestling's popularity to a new audience, said Scott Saffin, TNT's senior VP of marketing. The theme of the campaign is the rules have changed. With pictures of, get this, get this, folks, listen to this. Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and Rey Mysterio Jr. Wow. Big you know what, though? Do you remember remember any of this in New York? I don't uh... remember this ad campaign necessarily, but I do remember that they do start to feature Ray in more mainstream promotional imagery around this time. Yeah. Well, they should have. Yeah. (laughs) Should have went huge on that. I mean, I'll say this. Did he not use him to his full potential? No, but Bischoff clearly did see value in Ray. Yeah, so what Bishop did. That's why he wanted to unmask him. Which was a, a mistake, though. Yeah. Because he thought he'd be he thought he'd be bigger without the mask. Because he was so handsome. 
Yes. Well, again, like we talked about before, Hoovy. It worked for Hoovy. It didn't work for Ray. Yes, and at least in terms of uh, how do I put this? At least before he unmasked, not seeing the merchandise potential in the mask. Well, at least that helped out uh, one uh, Michael Bikikio of uh, North Carolina. Do you think if Ray was not was not a balding man that things would have been different? If Ray had luxurious hair like Hoobie did, that it, it would have been different. Because I mean, Ray unmasked and he's balding. He, he had uh, he had early baldness going on, which I did too. So I, I don't know. It is. Which also is a little weird though, since he had had the shaved head before. But I guess he didn't like how the shaved head looked with. Uh... When just yeah, it made no sense. Yeah, he had the shade tip before. <laughs> but you're going with male pattern baldness. You know, you lose your mask and, and run with that. that. Not the greatest of looks. Maybe he didn't want to steal Conan's gimmick as being a bald guy. I don't know. Boom. Well, I mean, Chris, think about it. What was that thing that I think it was in the um, the the wrestlers on Vice that I think he said that he and Angie have. They know they always thank God and they thank Conan. Yes, they're loyal to Conan. Ray's loyal to him. Absolutely. And understandably so. Yes. All right. Uh, there has been at least interest in using Reggie White at the March 16th Uncensored Review. Kevin Green's trying to clear things with the Carolina Panthers to work that show as well. Reggie White's deal is mentioned on the WCW hotline, which caused the IRS to decree that nothing related to contract status and negotiations are allowed to be talked about on the hotline. Well, the hotline's in some shit this week. There was also heat about WCW's hotline talking about Harlem Heat potentially going to Titan. At one time, that was a possibility, but it seems to be a long shot or dead now. Man. <laughs> Someone needs to get the hotline to check. Mm-hmm. Like we've said before. Oh. Yeah. They, they, they needed to keep a type, tighter... Uh... Tighter grip on that hotline. So we, we kind of glossed over it, but refresh the people in the Martin Madden thing with Sullivan, the Sullivan Nancy thing, and Paul Heyman and all that. I don't remember. Because I, well, I sure don't remember. That's why I thought you would remember. Oh, I don't know. That specifically, no. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe that'll come out in the future between the sheets. So there's that. <laughs> When we do when we do that the week before, so mm-hmm. all right, let's go to Nitro, February tenth in Jacksonville. <laughs> no, what a coincidence! Uh, they drew us out seven thousand six sixty nine, fifty nine twenty four, paying sixty five thousand one thirty four for another convoluted show. <laughs> mm. The only good wrestling was in the opener, where Dean Malenko beat Eddie Guerrero by a count out at four fifty six, when Eddie was chasing six. Who tried to leave with the U.S. belt? Another totally flat finish to what was a good match. And then we get uh, Diamond Dallas Page coming out, and he was challenging anyone to come fight him. But the NWO's got the bullseye in his head, and he's retired of running. And if, he, if something's going to happen, let it happen. So here comes Sting and Macho Man Randy Savage walking through the crowd to the ring, in the ring. Savage whacked their pages, chair with the baseball bat. Sting poked him in the chest, choked him into the corner. Larry Zbysko called Sting disgusting. Sting threatened to hit Page. Page cowered in the corner. Sting handed Page the bat, turned his back. Savage also turned his back. Savage didn't get the bat from Page and walked off. Well done segment. 
that was towards Dave uh, said that uh, Sting did the bat gimmick, so Page is on his team. But Savage sold, Savage sold the bat back for Page after and left. So there's kind of some foreshadowing there, you know, with Savage. Yeah. That Sting is on the up and up, but Savage, not so much. Conan beat Bobby Eaton in 80 seconds with a Northern Lights buster. Wade said too short to be entirely credible given Eaton's history. Yeah, that's what Bobby he, and Bobby Eaton was at this time. It's a job guy. Lex Luger came out with his arm in a cast, and Bischoff wouldn't let him wrestle for his own good and said if he didn't have a doctor's release by the end of the show, he wouldn't be allowed to work in Super Brawl. Yeah, which is the um the thing where Scott Hall and Nat and Nash uh hurt Luger on the Nitro the week before. Nitro uh, uh Bischoff said one of the toughest parts of his job is to take responsibility for the wrestler's over eagerness to wrestle injured. That's a rich line, Bix. <laughs> Over the giant, Yes. Giant walked out and the crowd popped, but Bischoff's hilariously saw it as the fans were cheering him. Bischoff then batted down from the Giant, and Giant replaced Luger in his match against Ron Powers in 148. Giant told Mike Tanay he'd take Hall and Nash on by himself, and if he wins, he'd get the other tab about the Luger. Dave said Bischoff was good in his role in this whole segment here. So next we get uh, Hall, Nash, Six, and Big Bubba. Showing up in a limo outside the arena. Bubba said he wants to fight some page of Super Brawl. Well, good luck with that. Next, we get the Steiners. They beat High Voltage. Um, public Emmy watched from the stands. Face of Fear came out and watched the match. So they're scouting. Bischoff, Hall, Nash 6, and Nick Patrick of the announcer's desk. And uh, it's at this point that Randy Anderson comes out, who had been fired by Eric Bischoff, and he's Got his family with him, so let's go to Randy Anderson. We got business. I look like Vince Neal over here. Oh, you said Vince. <laughs> I started to get sick. I wasn't sure what you were going to say. I hear he's real ill. Dog's disease. Hey, you smell something? You smell something? What's Just that? us, baby. It's us. Because we're the stuff. Hey, we understand. We've got some business to take care of here. I got a uh, memo from my secretary that Randy Anderson wanted to talk to me. So without further ado, without further ado, let's bring him out and see what he has to say. Where is it? You remember him? Come on down, you inbred redneck. Come on down, Randy. Look at these people. They love it. It never hit me till now. Did Walvin get a perm when he went to WCW? <laughs> well, he just he, he rocked the curls. He was rocking in WF a little bit. Hmm. But his, 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 hair, his hair is longer here. He his hair is oh, definitely oh, no. Mom and the babies. What is He's his family feud? And his kids and wife are dressed up. Come on, spit it out. Oh, no, we, we told him we'd give him his. his oh, Mr. Bischoff. Yes. Two weeks ago, you called me out here and you fired me. Yeah. On a national TV in the world. Yes, I did. Payola. So this week, I want to bring my wife and children out here so you can see the pain that you've caused terminating me and hope that I can just ask for some way possible that you can reconsider and give me my job back. They're pretty well dressed. What are you paying these guys? 
You know, for a little more money, he could get the real ostrich boots. I'll tell oh. you what. You're right. I maybe I should have given this a little more thought. What What are your kids' names? Names. What are their names? This is Montana. This is Chase. My wife, Christy. Come on up. Come on up a little closer. Chase and Montana. I love that name, Montana. By the way. I'd like that Eric realized they did this in a way where they can barely hear each other. No, no, no. I'll tell you what. Kids, come on up here. It's all right, Randy. It's children. It's all right. Kids, would you do me a favor? Would you please tell your daddy that he's still fired? <laughs> would you do that for me? Please. Montana, please. Tell your daddy he's fired. Get on with his life. Do it for a little tiny Michelle, God bless please. us, everyone. Is there anything please, Bob I can do professionally with WCW? I got two children and a wife. Wow, 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 wow. Everybody in this arena has got responsibilities. You have to learn how to deal with adversity. Rule number one in life in general, deal with adversity. But I'll tell you what. You want a little test in adversity? You want your job back? Yes, sir. Chase, Montana, you want your father to get his job back? Would you like your husband to be able to provide an income for your family? I'll tell you what, to prove to the world that I do have a heart and that I will play in a level playing field anywhere, anytime. It's real simple. Next week, right here on Nitro, you come out, you get in the ring with Nick Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? Yeah, he just did. I heard it. That's so sweet. No, it's crazy. You know what the doctors have told you? No. No. It's real simple. Oh, come on. Know who wears the pants in that family. Wouldn't the little kiddies like to see Daddy in a real fight? Back me in the corner. He really backed me in the corner this time. It's, it's about opportunity. It's about seizing the moment. I got two kids here. I got support. I wrestle cancer, and I'll wrestle him anytime. You, you got tell it. Me. Right here, next week on Nitro. Deal? <laughs> Deal, sweet. Oh, he's undefeated. Nick's undefeated, you idiot. He's oh, suspended he's until next week. <laughs> oh, you. Tell your story walking. All right. What hey, tell you what. I'll tell you what. You guys in a mood to wrestle? We're the working man's champion. All right, I We're the working man's champ. You guys. Now, of course, we covered the following week, and everyone remembers where. Uh, who was the other ref that slips Randy the roller quarters? Oh, was it Scott Dickinson? That's what comes to mind. Um, but or was it Mickey cool. J? Mickey J would make more sense. I think it's Mickey J. But it's a cool moment where he just he's doing the search and he just smiles and nods at him and Randy Dex, Nick Patrick, and gets his job back. Of course, probably kind of the joke to all of it, too, is though Randy Anderson is a tiny man, he was an excellent high school wrestler. Yes, he was amateur. Well, Nick Russell, too. I don't know about amateur, but Nick Russell. He was a pro wrestler. But yeah, I mean, Randy was an amateur. He was like David Manning in that way. Yes. And of the guys who came from Rome, Georgia and trained under Ted Allen, Randy was the much better worker than Arn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, better better athlete, I should say. Yeah. So, <sighs> that, 
I remember though at the time, even at this time, you know, I'm not 18 yet, and you know, you know, kind of, you have different feelings when you're that young. You're, you're kind of a harder edge in a way. I still was uncomfortable with this whole angle with the kids. Yeah, the kids did a job though, and they seem to the be can, in the on cancer. It. The, the cancer thing, and well, they had done that already. The problem with that, though, I think, was that. They had never mentioned it before until Randy brings it up the previous week. And then the thing here, and Dane brings it up, you know, it's also about, I mean, they just did the thing with Piper's kids the week before. Yeah, it's just a bit much. They could have figured out a better way to do this. Yeah. So. Anyway, well, Hall and Ash defends the tag titles next against Ace Darling and Devin Storm, the extreme. Bill from Stanford, Connecticut. Just for clarification, Tony Rumble actually came up with a name, The Extremist, for Storm and Darling. It had to do with the extreme games on ESPN and extreme sport and not ECW. However, in WCW, they were renamed The Extreme Team and continued to get squashed in an embarrassing fashion, which appears to be clearly aimed at ECW. Even Holland Nash's interview was lame, which is about to become a pattern. Uh, Bischoff called them the Eastern Seaboard Champions. So, there's that. <laughs> what, what, what were your thoughts on how how they, how they were portraying Ace and Devin here? Not like WWF would portray them much better later in the year. Uh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> the extremist Stanford, Connecticut. <laughs> Why not for Philadelphia? You know? If there's supposed to be a, uh, a rib on ECW, why not Philadelphia? You mean the place that's actually closer to where both guys are from? Uh, yes. All right, so um, next we get Steve Regal. And uh, he wrestled uh, Rey Mysterio to a seven-minute draw. Yes, seven minutes. <laughs> well, it was a uh, ten-minute draw that actually went just under seven. Well, Dave, Dave mentions is six fifty six, the shortest ten minute draw in history. My, how time flies when you're watching a miserable match. <laughs> Ray, is Regal and Ray are both great, but it totally kills Ray's illusion when you see him with a guy who is the size of Regal. The match is even worse than Dave Fear, and worse than that, that's beginning a program between the two of them. Ray is nowhere near ready, his knee knee wise. So they told me it was important he worked Nitro because they were beginning a new program for him. It's amazing that 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 that's, that you know. And, it, and Wade notes the size difference wasn't any different than when Jeff Jarrett fought the Giant. But it seemed less credible for some reason. So by the end of the match, Ray scored a two-count, the bell rang prematurely. Seconds later, Ray rolled up Regal again. This time a two-count bell rang the end of the time limit. Storyline here is Ray needed more time to beat the bigger man. It's interesting because you would think that working against Regal, even though Regal is a deceptively large man, it still wouldn't be that big of a deal because of how good Regal is. You know? And that so much of what he's doing is on the mat and he can hide his size and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was weird. But they didn't do a Regal Ray feud, so there you go. Well, they don't do the feud because it transitions into the Prince Ayukea thing. Oh, yes. And that worked out very well. All right. So next we get this awesome match. 
Kevin Sullivan beat Northeast Indian wrestler Maverick Wild in a match most noted for Jacqueline, throwing forearm smashes, Alaria, and doing a body slam on Maverick Wild, which got huge pops. Sullivan did deliver one of the nuttiest interviews in wrestling history. Wade doesn't even note the Sullivan interview, by the way, in his notes. So I don't even know what that means. I'm kind of intrigued by No, that there's bit. a reference... I, when I was scrolling through earlier, there was the, no. There's a reference. What's in the notes here from the Observer? Okay. Well, yeah. So that's it's interesting. The torch never mentions this at all in their review hmm. because it has the it has the thing about the hotline. So let's go to the clip. Let's go to Sullivan. Set it up. Okay. So let's you go want to the clip. You don't want to. Yeah. What's in the Observer here? Okay. I want to. I want to hear Sullivan talk about this. Okay. Wait. So where? Because I didn't think we were going to play this. So this is. I mean, I'll have to queue it up. So. Give me one second. No. What the hell spot am I in? It's after this Kevin Sullivan match. Oh, wait. I see. It did have its own chapter. Okay. Good. That's why I was confused. Thanks very much, Tony. February 23rd at Super Brawl, the Taskmaster. Taskmaster, you suck! This isn't a wrestling (laughs) interview. I'm talking to two people. It's a shoot, brother. Nancy, Chris, last night... I was laying in my bed alone, 11.20, Nancy, and the second closest person in your life called me, Paulie, and he told me, how's everything going? And I said, the deal's gone south. They are zoomed in uncomfortably close on his face, by the way. Well, it's a shoot, Dex. And he said to me, Listen, you've worked too hard. You've driven up and down the road for years. You've bled to lose this job. This is the number one watch cable program in the United States, and I'm part of it. Part. A big part of it. Big part of it. And he told me no sides did he take because... He happens to think a lot of you. But he said, do your job. Then he said to me, what would your mentor, Jim Barnett, say to you? He said, ha, do your job. Then he said, what would your tag team partner and former best friend, don't wrap me up, shut up. He said, what would your best friend say to you, Mark Lewin? One thing leads to another, but do your job. What would King Curtis say to you? You've been through a lot of invasions, but do your job. Benoit, when you first came to WCW, you asked me if she was really that pure. She lived with me for 12 years and picked up some bad habits. Nancy, when you were on the stairs of the lighthouse, and you said I do, you knew it wasn't no better roses. Let me tell you something right now. The difference between Nancy, Jacqueline, and myself is you come from a community, and we come from the neighborhood. And the deal is this simple. I can go back to 2nd and Ridgewood and get anything I want at any time. And Nancy, you've been bluffing people for 10 years saying that you're tough. You got no main charge ever against you. You never pulled out an eye. 
and you never bit anybody's nose off. It was the guy you live with that did all that stuff. So I'm going to tell you this. In San Francisco, the first night you was in, you tucked something under your skirt because you were intimidated. I'm going to make it real clear. What? In San Francisco, when she whips you, if you reach for anything under that dress, you got to pay to me because this is the most important person in my life now. Taskmaster, what? It's Kevin right now tonight. Real simple. You want to talk? Let her talk. Jacqueline at Super Brawl, you're going to be strapped to woman. Nancy, see, let me set you straight. See, you and I are different. You came from a community. Kevin and I come from a neighborhood. See, you might think you're tough in your community. Honey, you will be nothing in my neighborhood. And if you think Chris Benoit is going to protect you, save you, listen. In my neighborhood to survive, you have to beat everybody, man or woman. And the only person I thought could beat me is this man here, Kevin. She is here. Tony Schiavone, the situation surrounding the Dungeon of Doom gets stranger and stranger. A straight-up interview from the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to relive the moments last week when Piper came in the ring with his young son. What a segment that was. (laughs) Oh, my God. Boy, are there way too many people going on TV this week plastered, though. Oh, man. Just what a segment that was. That was sad. (sighs) And, of course, he's talking about Heyman. Oh. I mean, that's Ollie. I mean, yeah. right there in your face. Let's let me read Dave on this. All right. So Dave talks about Kevin Sullivan did one of the nuttiest interviews for us. She talked about having a phone call with he and Nancy's best friend Paul Lee. Sullivan and Paul Heyman were on the phone when he said, and basically talked about exactly what he said, which sort of kills Heyman's illusion about ECW hating WCW when it comes out that a WCW Booker thinks ECW Booker is one of his closest friends. He didn't talk about Jim Barnett. Apparently, Sullivan's of the belief that Barnett is secretly behind the scenes manipulating everything in WCW. Mark Lewin and King Curtis. And more nonsense. Kevin and Nancy are trying so hard to make everyone believe they're now separated that they actually are. Although behind the scenes, they are political allies. While in front of all the wrestlers, they are not on speaking terms. Once these guys fooled the people for a few days with Brian Pillman, and Angle was sure no money for anyone except wrestling hotlines, they lost their perspective and now think their job is to work the wrestlers. <laughs> wow. What a segment. And at least as the story goes, whatever was up with Kevin and Nancy, Chris and Nancy are not together yet. They're not together no. until April. No. Not yet. But this is building towards all that when they're working this separation. Can you believe Kevin's version that they had actually been separated for a while? I mean, I, I mean, he could be right. I mean, it could be, you know, trying to save face, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, that's something else. All right. Uh, you more spin out. Well, also, right. uh, the other thing I want to say, I almost forgot. I'm trying to find the date. Boy, was that line about pulling a knife from under her dress interesting, knowing um, what Nancy ends up getting arrested for around this time. 
But you want to tell everybody what that is? It's mostly been forgotten about something happened where she was arrested for brandishing a knife at Kevin and the charges were dropped. Whether or not she pulled it on him proactively or he did something and she pulled it defensively, we don't really know. And that's kind of up to everyone's interpretation, I guess. But I for, yeah. it's in 97. I just forget when it is. And I'm trying to find. I couldn't find the People Magazine article right now. And I can't, can't find the right part on the Volusia County uh, court website to search for that. Because I know I've checked. Well, anyway. All right, so uh, Humor Spinellis right. Mongo and Chris Benoit beat Chavo Jr. and Jeff Jarrett when Deborah talked with Jarrett while Mongo destroyed Chavo. Horseman in an interview, which went nowhere, had no point. Momo only because Ric Flair was there in body, but not in mind. And because a fan threw popcorn, which got caught in Deborah McMichael's hair, and nobody could get out of her hair during the interview. <laughs> That's I mean, Arn, they didn't show any close-up of Arn. They stay with a wide shot of all the horsemen. This is Wade. Flair gave his usual contentless charisma spaz fest. And um, they talked about, you know, um, it's just about other stuff. You know, so horsemen are kind of uh, in a lost spot at this point in time. It's mainly around Mongo and Jeff Jarrett and Deborah, basically, and Benoit's deal with Sullivan. Then we get Piper. Yeah. Oh, Chris? Piper. Yeah. I just found it. Um, guessing something like this had already happened a few times at this point. It's only a little over a month later that charges are filed in the state of Florida v. Nancy Elizabeth Sullivan. Oh, okay. It's on uh, March 20th, and eventually the divorce case is filed by Nancy on August 28th. Okay. So the show closed with Piper and Hogan's. Hogan supposed to have a satellite. Hogan tried to hold the seven together, but Piper was way out there. Luckily, Piper can get away with anything. He tried to make a crack that Hogan would fit in in San Francisco, as if it made Hogan gay, which is silly, since Piper is the babyface and matches in San Francisco. And then made a comment about Rodman giving the illusion he's gay. Ironically, says WCW has been battling WF and negotiating to use Rodman. He's going to be at the next pay-per-view. Yeah. After that. So, yeah, shows you how close the negotiations were. So that's Nitro, which did a 3.8 rating on a post. 5.8 share, 3.5 first hour, 4.2 second hour, which still beat out the dog show in USA doing a 3.7 to 5.6 share. That Again, what were we saying about Raw's ratings they were doing and like the low twos? Mm. Dog show's doing 3.7. That's why dog show's airing on Monday nights. Well, it's uh, also uh, ad rates, too. Well, of course, but still. And prestige. Yeah, Prestige. Uh, replay did a 1.4, 3.4 share. The February 9th episode of Pro did a stroll 2.1 on Sunday night. Ric Flair was the honorary coach of the number two ranked Wake Forest basketball team for a game on February 12th against Clemson. That Wake Forest won 55-49 ESPN. It's got a ton of mainstream press. This was the highest profile game of the night. Flair had met Tim Duncan, the top player in the country, at Nitro in Winston-Salem. Tim Duncan of Wake Forest at the time, future San Antonio Spurs Hall of Famer. Lots of press, particularly in the Carolinas. It's amazing that Flair is getting more mainstream press and is more celebrity now that he's 47, turns 48 on February 25th, than all that time when wrestling was supposedly so hot mainstream and he was the best form in the world. He did a skit with Dick Vitale at the game. Um, it is interesting 
to see Flair's trajectory as a personality to the mainstream world and how, you know, when he was at his peak wrestling wise, he wasn't as big of a mainstream name as he would be starting in like this era right here and going forward. You know? Yeah, and also seeing this makes me realize, boy, does Nitro deserve a lot more credit for making him the kind of mainstream name he's become. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, sadly, this is not on YouTube. Because <laughs> I was hoping it was, that it's not. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Now, we do have a New York Daily News did an article about this, uh, February 12th. Flip, Philip Bondi... Wrote about Ric Flair appearing in the game. Flair wrestled the Wake Forest Demon Deacon mascot at halftime. Then sat on the bench as honorary coach. A Wake Forest assistant director told a reporter they were concerned with how Ric Flair would behave because Wake Forest is a pretty conservative school. He said their understanding was Flair can be low-key when he has to be and added his family will be there. Flair's parents was born with Flair meeting Tim Duncan and Ricky Pearl after the Nitro in Winston-Salem. Both players are big wrestling and Flair fans. The opposing coach joked that he hoped Flair would get fired up. So fired up, he called some technical fouls to be called. I think that was Rick Barnes at Clemson, too. When asked if Flair was being there would cause an unfair advantage or violating any NCAA rules, Steve Maloney of the NCAA Legislative Services said nobody would suggest Flair gives Wake Forest a competitive coaching edge. Wake Forest won, and Flair got partial credit in the papers the next day. <laughs> yeah, Rick Flair is going to give them a competitive edge in the coaching part of the game. Sure. But that's a pretty big deal, though, you know, because Wake Forest, I mean, Tim Duncan was the number one guy in college basketball at the time. And um, he's a Flair fan. And, you know, having Flair on ESPN definitely doesn't hurt WCW's uh, Q ratings. So, yeah, there you go. All right. We got more on Flair and the torch. Rick and uh, Rick talking about going back, talking about his first match being back on the May pay-per-view show in Charlotte. But he's advertised for the April 11th show in Montreal. Yes, the Jean Rougeau spectacular. So uh, I don't remember if he worked that show first or he what. He doesn't. No, his first match back is Slambury. Well, there you go. So there's the answer to that question. All right. Uh, Torch said Flair and Arn are among the top names who are said to be concerned with being pushed to the back burner of the promotion. How Flair is treated as he returns from his injury and whether the horseman storyline goes the way he wants, i.e. He, him turning heel could be major factors in whether he resigns to WCW next year. Arn will likely follow Flair wherever he ends up. Yes, Ric Flair cannot not be a heel. <laughs> it's just it's like it's against his religion. I don't want to be a baby face. <sighs> it's insane. But it's funny reading this, but they were concerned about being pushed to the back burner. What do you think? I mean, what did he think was going to happen if he turned heel? When the NWO is there, you know, if you're so concerned about going to be the push to the back burner, but yet you want to be a heel, obviously you're not that concerned because you're not going to be the lead heels, you know? Yeah, that's weird. This is, I mean, Rick's being a mark for mark for himself and me being more for being a heel. That's all this is. So, you know, you can't come through with that excuse when you know you're not going to be the lead heel in the company. And, no, and you know what? He probably shouldn't have been a lead heel in the company. So, ah, uh, Rick. God love you. All right. Um, expect Randy Savage back in the ring sooner or later. 
And also expect Randy Savage to turn heel and perhaps feud with Diamond Dallas Page. Which happens in that direction. Of course, Dave doesn't know he's going to be in NWO, but put two and two together. Expect Sting back in the ring later than sooner. Sting is wanting back in the ring, but the plans as they were is that it's still a long way from happening. Yeah, I mean, this, Sting was wanting to wrestle, but Dave's like, no. And I mean, it was, I guess it was just the right decision for business. It may have been the right decision for Sting as a performer because of what happens to him. Wasn't he hurt part of the time anyway? Well, there was stuff to that, but he just wasn't, he wasn't training. He wasn't doing none of that stuff like he would used to do. Yeah. So that affects him when he comes back. Although I will say this, you know, I saw that, that, you know, I was talking about this. I saw his first match back in Macon, but the Nitro before Starcade. And, um, I mean, he had a hell of a match Scott Hall that night. So part of me, you know, wonders how much of it was, you know, because it was Hogan and the style of match they were working at Starcade, you know, because Hogan definitely wasn't Scott Hall in the uh, bumping and selling factor. No. That's she, which, you know, it's a big part of it. So who knows? All right. Uh, Arn Anderson may need surgery in his hands. So we had for a while. With the horse and decimated, it appears a lot that Jarrett will beat Mongo and wind up in the group, at least until everyone's healthy and they all turn on him. So at this point, they don't even know that it's Arn's neck that's the issue. No. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, they just think it's like nerve, nerve damage. Like a local nerve issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How dumb were doctors back then? <laughs> that, like, he's a pro wrestler. <laughs> what are you expecting? I don't know. Alright, so Extra, Extra, they did a feature on WC, the Monday Night Wars, in fact. Story said they've been fair, complete with the exaggerated stats. They said pro wrestling was a $360 million a year industry in the United States, but adding everything up, you couldn't even, with liberal exaggerations, hit $150 million. Each channel is next on the same story. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. And these are, I mean, these are major shows. These are, I mean, I know they're entertainment shows, but this is major media coming up with those lies. What was the and, number that Donahue said in 92 for WWF for revenue? That was insane. I it was in the, exact. was it a hundred million or was it in the billions? I don't think it was in the billions. I think it was like a hundred, in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I'm like, and you're and, like, what the fuck? Okay. So let me real quick. Cause I have this, uh, I have what they made in revenue in the early years. And at least for WWF, the stuff they put later in the... Hold on, do I not have this ready right now? I can take it. I, we'll move on and I can find it in a second somewhere else. But, um, like... Well, no, it couldn't be in the hundreds because I think they were over 100 already by the end of the 80s. So it it was really high. I think it may have been in the billions then, actually. But oh, whatever. Because if I look at this, the uh, revenue, revenue, revenue. Okay, so according to their tax returns, Titan, Titan's peak at this point, not adjusted for inflation, going th into 1990 at least, I should say, was 100. And yeah, 1990 was the number they used in on Donahue, was what Donahue said, right? So it was 138.3 million in revenue in uh, 1990 for Titan. 
And what was the number here for WCW or for the whole industry, I should say? 360-something, yeah. Uh, you know yeah, what? Just... You know what, though? It doesn't seem like as big an exaggeration as as Dave's saying. Yeah, but Dave Dave stood on the business numbers at the time, so he I think he would know more. Yeah. Oh, wait, what am I saying? So... I have the Donahue transcript. Why don't I just search that? Okay, well, here's anyway. what it was. It was $1.7 billion. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so more than 10 times the actual revenue. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Dennis DiPaolo in Buffalo is putting out a second annual Ill DiPaolo Memorial Show for later this year. Both Lutez and Bruno Sorrentino are going to be part of it. There isn't exactly good blood between the, the two of them these days. As San Martino was said to have been furious about Dez claiming his book, and he easily would have beaten San Martino had it been a shoot, and pretty much praising San Martino as a person, but knocking his lack of true wrestling ability. Doggone it, Lou. That's uh, like Bruno had no amateur wrestling experience. <laughs> right? He had yeah. some. Uh, these old wrestlers. There's, there's mm, yeah. It... <sighs> I gotta think the bad blood really goes back to that Bruno decided not even to bother taking the belt off of him when they wanted to even the NWA belt. That Bruno yeah. was like, ah, whatever. Like, wait, so you're telling me <laughs> I'd have to work all these dates around the country? No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the money he's already making? Mm-hmm. You know, similar similar to what happened with Bockwinkle. They wanted Bockwinkle to be the champion at one point in the mid-70s. And he was like, well, wait a second. I'm working, like, half the month. I'm making great money. I like Minnesota. I actually get to have time with my family. Like, I might make more. Like, I, what was it? He made, like, maybe, like... What was it? He made, like, 150000 200000 a year in the AWA, and maybe he figured he would have made three as NWA champion. Something like that. And he's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's totally understandable why he wouldn't do it. Yep. Yeah, it, we don't talk about it that way. And I guess because there weren't really that many champions other than Vern. Being a top guy in the AWA was one of the nicer spots in the business for a long time. Yeah. If you can do well with cold weather, it might even be the best. Well, I mean, if you're working for WWF, same thing. You know, cold weather up north. You used to be working Maine and... Working, you know, some of those places in Vermont. And yeah, it ain't up... the Twin Cities, but I get your point. And it's cold. All right. Yuji Nagata just arrived this week from Japan. His arrival was held up since the beginning of the year due to WCW having his hands full, getting all the foreign wrestlers' visa problems worked out. Hubuntu Guerrero finally his problems cleared up in, in the U.S. and definite for the Cow Palace. Suppose Sakosa returned Cow Palace as well, but that's not a definite. So, there's that. And the New York well, the visa issues were just a hold up in getting renewals on everyone, right? Yeah. And getting one for Eugene Nagata. New York Times Magazine had a short feature on the power play on February 16th. It was about 10 guys showing up for tryouts at 6.30 a.m., all of whom didn't make it, one of whom threw up a few times on the way to nowhere. So they got some run in the New York Times Magazine, so there's you that. You don't want me to pull this up, do you? Nah. nah, ain't into it. Giant got married on Valentine's Day, so good for him. This is, I mean, it's it's best, right? He's been married to the same woman the whole time. Yep. And then we got this. Supposedly Shawn Michaels asked Scott Hall if there was a spot open for him. Although he's under a long-term contract with WWF, so don't take that as something that's likely to happen. 
even if he is frustrated by losing the title and it's not being the curtain cards for him to get it back, which leads us to the torch. Eric Bischoff has told people behind the scenes he doesn't think as much of Shawn Michaels as others. Publicly, in an interview with Prodigy last month, he said, I'm not sure Michaels would even fit on our roster. If Michaels doesn't even show up in WCW, it won't be anytime soon. You know what? And that's another thing Eric Bischoff has been consistent with in shooting interviews over the years. Yeah, that as much as... Sean and Hall and Nash would tease it publicly. Eric had no interest in bringing Sean in, in part, I believe, because he knew what bringing Sean in would do to the already fragile locker room. Exactly. Which, you know what? Eric's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. WCW would have, cool. would have died sooner if Shawn Michaels came in for reasons having nothing to do with drawing power. Yeah, it would be cool for us, for our fans, to have that whole thing going on. Because Sean, NWA t-shirt, picture, and all that stuff, blew the internet up and stuff like that. It'd been cool for that. 97, yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool for everybody to deal with. But for the business, no, not at all. So, yeah, we're, he may, but they died anyway, so hell, who knows. And to close the loop of our opening uh, part of this section... The general response upon the word getting out about the new two-hour show within the company was, how in the hell are we going to pull this off? <laughs> exactly. Sounds I like WCW. Know. Yeah, well, that's, they didn't want it. So, well, there you go. It, it becomes an even bigger problem once Nitro goes three hours. Yes. And, you know, you know what? For all anyone wants to say about Eric and his bookers and all that, the overexposure came at such the wrong time, and that's not his fault. No. And that's probably a super overlooked factor in speeding up WCW's demise, too. Because, yeah. okay, they don't go full-time three hours until when? Because the first three-hour show is Luger winning the title. But when do they go full-time three hours? I know we covered this before. You ask me every time, and I don't fucking know. I know. <laughs> so, it's like I never can I mean, remember. it's become a running thing on this show. You it's, ask me, and I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's either later done, in, in 97 done, or very early 98, right? Done, I think we've done this like it, maybe five to ten times. And I think we've done that week, too. <laughs> and, yeah, and again, I, I don't know. I don't okay. remember. So, anyway. Um, so, there you go. That's it for this week's show. Yes. And next week, we go back a year. Yeah, and our Patreon requested show for next week. Uh, I'm missing the Patreon patron's name. Hold on a quick second. Let me go there to the calendar. And it is Andy Linton, one in 1996. So, yeah, we'll go back to 1996, and we'll talk about a Ultimate Fighting Championship pay-per-view in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, with all kinds of controversy both in and out of the octagon. And... What's going? What, how's is Tommy Morrison's HIV positive diagnosis going to affect all combat sports? So we'll have that story to talk about. Um, I haven't done the notes yet, so I'm out of order and stuff we're talking about. Um, WWF in your house in Louisville Gardens, which is setting up WrestleMania. So Brett and D's on the cage, Sean and Owen on that show. So we'll talk about that. And uh, we got. The Ultimate Warrior on his way back to the World Wrestling Federation. So I'm sure everybody's excited about all that. So we'll have that. And 
We've done a show about this, a full Patreon show, but you know we're going to talk about it here because of how big it is and happened during our week. Brian Pillman debuts in ECW at the ECW Arena. So we'll have that. We got all kinds of stuff in Japan to talk about and so much more next week on Between the Sheets. Again, I haven't done a note yet, so I don't even know if we're going to have a guest or not. So we'll see what happens. We may have a guest, may not. I haven't, I haven't gotten into it yet. So um, there you go. So we'll have an interesting show next week on Between the Sheets. Including, I'm just looking at house, uh, the WCW uh, section here in the Observer. We have maybe the, one of the most profitable house shows in the history of the company to talk about. So there's that and a lot more. All right. That's it for us. We'll be back next week. So, Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris and so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Between the Sheets, Patreon Special Edition number 64. 
I'm your host, Chris Zolder, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Spin and Bix. It's not a Patreon show, basically, in, in these recent days without us talking about a Philadelphia independent wrestling promotion. <laughs> you know? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Heyman's cursed us. But he's not involved in this. No, he's not. Well, Todd is. Todd Gordon is, but Paul Heyman is not. So this is a Heyman-free Patreon show. But not an Andy Gilbert-free Patreon show, although... Oh no! We don't get in the weeds with him, but he's there. Yeah, well, he's a prominent person in in this uh, promotion. We're going to talk about. So we're talking about Joel Goodhart's TWA, the original Super Indie, and uh, we're going to talk about how it came to fruition and talk about you know what happened with what they did, the shows, and everything else that's going on, including the end. Which was uh, quite sudden in the end, as they had a big show planned and they couldn't do it because money ran out. Yep, and we're—I mean—but we're covering based on all the clippings and stuff I could get the whole, uh, pretty much the whole Joel Goodhart story, at least as we could find it. Well, so this is going to be interesting because that's part of his story, just as we give the introduction here. So. He was a fairly well-to-do Philadelphia fan, and, you know, not going to get too into the weeds because he's profiled in the Philly Inquirer and some other papers a few times. And he started his radio show, the fan club, bus trips all over the place, travel packages to major shows in places that you couldn't do a bus trip to, wrestling stores we'll get to in a sec, and then finally this big super indie, Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, where he basically ran quarterly spectaculars at Pennsylvania Hall, smaller building connected to the Philly Civic Center, Philly Civic Center, excuse me, and would run a regular indie schedule of smaller shows that were less loaded but still had names on top in between. And also ring announce at Spectrum and uh, Civic Center shows. <laughs> As Joel Goodhart of the Squared Circle radio show, yes. Yes, WWF. I'm telling you, him. And also yeah. ends up ring announcing for Dennis Corluzo and Larry Sharp's WWA and doing some business with them before they split up, which we'll be talking about in detail later, although not, not as much when it happens as later when we get a post-mortem from Corluzo and Sharp. But, yeah, I mean, is there anything else we should do as far as preamble? Like, or not really, because we're going to get these details. Uh, Joel, in Joel Goodhart is like the, you know, he's like the trendsetter for what we've had in recent years in the indie scene. A guy who is just a fan, you know, who had money and decided to open up his own promotion. Yeah. You know? And, you know, super indie because so much of those major shows, at least, are just filled with flying names. You know? Yeah. He... <laughs> He's booking the best available unsigned wrestlers. Easily. Most, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's get started. 1989, the week of April the 3rd. Philadelphia Daily News, April the 3rd. He puts out Matt Welcome. Wrestling has a hold on Talk Philadelphia Fan by Dan Geringer. Sure, Joel Goodhart's Philadelphia's Mr. Wrestling. 
Sure. It's just debuting his wrestling radio call-in show Saturday mornings on WIP AM 610. Last September, Goodhart's life has been in an ending series of great moments with large individuals you don't want to aggravate. Sure. As Mega Maven of the 800-member Squared Circle Fan Club, Goodhart spends his days and nights arranging celebrity luncheons with the likes of 400-pound Bam Bam Bigelow and booking club trips on buses that show wrestling videos continuously while motoring towards matches in far-off lands like Tennessee. Observing the hostilities, Goodhart was pleased his party was going well, thus preoccupied somewhat with the upcoming Ric Flair banquet. He carries two proposed menus in his briefcase at all times, worrying about those vital culinary details, the freshness of the ingredients, the sprightness of the presentation. They can make the from a banquet to remember in Gristlemania. He pulled out the proposals and weighed the chicken Brazilian with tomatoes and broccoli against the beef jardinier with potatoes and chef's vegetable. What the hell is a chef's vegetable, he asked, suspiciously. Sounds like whatever they got left over from the last banquet. Most fans aren't into this fancy stuff. I think we'll go with a simple Roy Rogers-type salad and the beef. <laughs> Three and a half years after he became obsessed... Early on, the radio show started in now defunct WDVT. Goodhart's company cleared just enough on the banquet to finally put the squared circle on a positive cash flow basis, even after he deducts major expenses like the food and the $1,200 gold plate of wrestling year, wrestle the decade championship belt. I'm going to honor Flair, Goodhart said. Hopefully, meant my name at the same time. It's my bar mitzvah. It's my wedding. It's my big thing. I'll let it come out with this with national radio syndication. I'll let it become the Dr. Roof of wrestling. She makes a couple million a year talking about what she knows best. Hey, also for a couple hundred grand. Okay. The Dr. Roof of Wrestling. <laughs> so at first it says a hundred grand over the last few years in lost compensation. That implies that his main loss in these four years was just spending time on wrestling that he could have spent on selling more insurance policies and getting that's what I that's 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 what I got. For the hundred grand. However, yeah. With the scale he's got and the parts that shouldn't cost that much, how the hell would this be the thing that finally makes them cash flow positive? You have 800 members of a fan club. You should be able to scale your fan club so that it's at least that it's profitable. At least just that you have enough cash coming in just from memberships and stuff. Like how... What? How bad a businessman is this guy in our, outside of selling insurance? Maybe those people were cheap. We, very weird. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I make of this yet. Um, but also, it broke up his marriage. Yeah, that's never good. No. Um, it's been a while since I don't even know when the last time I've heard the term would be that I've had anything that was called chef's vegetable, but I think. It's usually like like an oven like well it's but usually I don't think it's usually chef's vegetable on its own it's potato and chef's vegetable it's like roasted potato and then like what is it usually like roasted cauliflower carrots and like one other thing I think your chef's vegetable yeah depends on the chef but yeah um also like you you're doing this banquet you don't need to get Ric Flair a twelve hundred dollar belt <laughs> well. Of course not, but they're Marcia Ric Flair, so they're going to do something to impress Ric Flair to get him to come to their banquet. Well, is it even they at this point? Isn't it just Joel, probably? I don't know. who. I don't know. 
I don't know what the, when, the, when the Panthers got out of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm not sure. Either. I think they were on the radio show for a while longer, but I'm not sure about the rest. All right. Um, let's go a few months into 1989, October 23rd, Philadelphia Day News, October 25th. Excerpt from The Gods Are Good to Good Heart by Dan Garinger. Good Heart started small doing a one hour radio call in show and now the fun WDBT AM. Then moved his wrestling radio hour to WIP Saturdays at 8 AM. His Square Circle Fan Club grew from a couple hundred to a thousand members. He promoted weekly lunches with wrestling stars in Northeast sports bars. One night in the middle of the night, he sat bolt upright in the bed and envisioned promoting a wrestling decade banquet at the Civic Center for Nature Boy Ric Flair. A six-time world champion in National Wrestling Alliance, Superstar Fonda throwing his peroxide blonde head back and howling woo in an eerie wail when he's around, whenever he's around the ring. Goodhart and his wrestling radio faithful are fierce National Wrestling Alliance fans who believe the Ron World Wrestling Federation starring Hulk Hogan's a giant cow pie in the pro wrestling pasture. Funny, because he worked for them. Uh, he took their money. <laughs> Too much bluster, not enough black and blue. So Flair won the wrestling radio poll by a margin of, I guess, 15 to 1? It's IS the one here, or IS to I, I don't know, and agreed to come to the April 30th. Yeah, it's 15 to 1. That's a, it's a uh, newspapers.com OCR that I missed. I got most of them, but it happens. Overjoyed, Goodhart rented the Civic Center's Plaza Ballroom. Price tickets to the stiff $75 a head. And after days of careful consideration, chose, chose the beef jardinier. Well, I'm glad we got that settled. He wanted to do something that would endear Philadelphia and the Square Circle fan club to flare forever, so he spent $1,200 on a championship-style wrestler of the decade belt. One of those huge gold-plated jobs that like armor. Wrestling insiders told him he was nuts to think he'd break even. They were wrong. 138 paid. Goodhart had the moment videotape for posterity and for sale. The other day he stopped by with a master tape. We watched together as Goodhart told the crowd, I cannot believe this thing actually came off. When the B. Jardinier was history and the moment of the truth was at hand, Flair was clearly stunned by the magnificence of his record of the decade belt. I'm speechless, he said, to know that you think so highly of me. And then his eyes teared up and his voice failed him. That's not Ric Flair the wrestler, Goodhart said. That's Ric Flair the man. This guy has integrity. Word has got out that Goodhart has integrity too. This Saturday, for the first time ever, the National Wrestling Alliance is presenting a major review live telecast for Philadelphia. Halloween Havoc 89 at Civic Center, which will feature Ric Flair and company beating each other senseless in a 30-foot by 30-foot electrified steel cage. Bruno and San Martino, living legend, will be the special referee. And who did the NWA manager come to for San Martino's home phone number so they can ask him the referee? Joel Goodhart. I remember Bruno feuding with George Animal still back in the 60s at the old arena, 46th and Market, Goodhart says. They feuded through the concession stands, out the doors, into Market Street and back. I grew up with Bruno. Bruno was wrestling to me. And now here I am, getting my first god, Bruno, together with my second god, Ric Flair. Goodhart shakes his head in awe. You look at these guys, he says. You realize the wars they've been through. Yesterday, Goodhart met with syndication guys about going East Coast Regional and wrestling radio. If that happens, he figures his exclusive rights to distribute Caribbean wrestling tapes will pay off. If you're in the gore, he explains, there's more gore than in North America. You see heads busted wide open and stitched up on TV, tables flying, forks being used. Forks? Forks, Goodhart happily says. Forks! <laughs> this is such a, 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 a interesting time in the smart wrestling fan universe because mm -hmm. you have 
the you, I mean, you didn't read the old observers. I mean, you have these viewing parties and tape all the parties. tape drinks, tape parties, tape trading. You know, I mean, it is a it's like the Wild West in ways, and it's just really interesting to look at how how things were back then. Yeah, compared Resi's to I mean now, a few months in too. Yeah, compared to how it is now, where everybody can watch everything at, at, at any time, and you could have you know Twitter watch parties or whatever. Everybody's you know watching live streams and stuff and commenting, but back then it was totally different, you know, and how the how it was done. Yeah, and so also real quick before I forget, does this mean the English clamshell double double C videos were all from Goodhart? It was very possible. I didn't know that, did you? No. I, I don't see what else they could even be talking about. Plus, Timeline 89, I mean, that's when a lot of those came out. Yeah. You know, so, hmm, interesting. It also makes me wonder then, too, remember when just a ton of them hit eBay, like, God, 20 years ago? Along with, see, like, brand new, too. Like, I wonder if that was someone, I think they had a lot of Coliseum videos as well, but I wonder if that person bought out stuff he had. That's possible. Yes. Now, all of that said, what a fucking mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's Ric Flair, he has integrity. <laughs> okay, so let's also do the math here. So one... 38 times 75 means he grossed $10,350. So I don't know how much it costs to rent the room. Um, With this type of thing, I'm assuming the food cost is taken out of each admission. Um, I, I mean, I if it's a success, I guess it's a success. I don't know if it made a profit or if it's just breaking even, but... And good for him, I guess. Doing it, you know, doing it the weekend of a Civic Center show makes sense, too. Um, one thing I had not realized as well, those lunch things were weekly? They weren't just around Civic Center shows and stuff? What it sounds like. That's not something I realized. It may be the week-to-week -week ones are locals and stuff, but... And it's just weird to me... Oh... Okay. All right. So this. All right. So I'm looking at uh, the Philadelphia Daily News right now from the Friday, the two days four, mm -hmm. the Flair thing, and yeah, Flair is not announced. I mean, so I mean, Flair is not booked on that show. He's not announced at all. Huh. But right up, right up under it is the rest of the '80s award banquet. Sunday afternoon, 4:30 p.m. at the Civic Center. So it was at the Civic Center where the show was held. And it was three and a half hours before the show started. Sponsored by Wrestling Radio Fan Club. Um, open to the public, $85 per person. Oh. Fan, fan, fan club member, $75. Okay. So we should probably do multiply it by $80 then, right? Includes, yeah. full, course, inc includes full course dinner, autographs, posing for pictures, and more. Reservations and proper dress requ required. Which we always know goes great with wrestling fans. They they always respect the dress codes at fancy events. Well, you know, maybe back then they, that this group did. Well, also in a, like in a 
ballroom type setting with a dinner well, it, different. Like, well, it just said the civic center. It didn't say where in the civic center. Well, no, it was a ballroom thing. But... I know, but it just said the oh, civic the center. Oh, the ad only says civic center. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, the fans at the WWE Hall of Fame generally did at least wear collared shirts and stuff before the Hall of Fame became an arena event, right? Yes. 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 It was the switch to the arena event that really changed things. Yes. Absolutely. Um, hmm. So, but, yeah. interesting. Weird, though. I, I still can't wrap my head around Flair not being on that show. Yeah, I know. Maybe he figured he was going to have such a good time at this banquet that he was going to be, not going to be in condition to perform. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Perhaps. All right. Uh, week of January 15th, 1990. Philadelphia Daily News, January 17th. Except from Going to the Mat for a Dream by Dan Geringer. Yes, if you haven't already figured it out, everyone, he sure seems to have this fellow wrapped around his finger. Oh, yeah. Opinion among Joel Goodhart's peers was evenly divided. Some thought he was crazy. Others thought he was nuts. But the Flair Dinner sold out. Why are we still talking about the Flair Dinner in January 1990, Bix? That's weird to me. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.